Game of Microphones is brought to you by CMG Podcasts. I am Lord Protector of the Vale, and I command you to escort me safely back to the Eyrie. I think not. Sansa. I beg you. I loved your mother since the time I was a boy. And yet you betrayed her. I loved you. More than anyone. And yet you betrayed me. When you brought me back to Winterfell, you told me there's no justice in the world, not unless we make it. Thank you for all your many lessons, Lord Baelish. I will never forget them. Riding their dead horses. Hunting with their packs of pale spiders big as hounds. It's your hosts, Sir Duncan of Fearsome and Lady Rachel of House Fox. You're listening to Game of Microphones. Well met, pointy-headed demons and undead legions and seven blessings for Season 7, Episode 7. A warm welcome to Game of Microphones, where you always have a place by our hearth and meet and meet at our table. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan the Eager. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, the Whisk Wielder. (laughs) And this is episode 109. On this episode of our series rewatch, we're covering the Game of Thrones season 7 finale, The Dragon and the Wolf. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, what an episode too. And in case you're not already aware, this series rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season seven. If not, there's still time to be evaporated by electric blue flames of ice spat from the mouth of an undead dragon piloted by a maniacal necromancer. So you don't have to hear these spoilers. Oh, the season seven finale. We did it, Duncan. We did it. We did. Actually, I should say you did it, like most of it. (laughs) Because I know you you, like don't sleep and edit all all night long. (laughs) (laughs) The burden is shared. The burden is shared. Hmm. We did it. Yes. Just in time. Right? In the nick of time. That is true statement. (laughs) Oh, man. So let's uh, jump right into our top five. What do you got? So my number five is Jamie Leaves Cersei. Oh, that's one of mine, too. I think my number four, maybe. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So um, we start the scene and Cersei is watching Jamie talk to the bannermen down on the map. And Jamie's, you know, informing all of his men that they're going to be leaving King's Landing and they're going to march north in three days. And 
the guy is kind of arguing with Jamie, like, dude, it's going to take longer than three days to get all of our supplies together. It's like closer to a fortnight. Right. And Jamie's like, dude, we don't have a fortnight. If the North falls, like, we're all fucked. We're fucked. <laughs> so Tyrion's um, diagnosis, right? <laughs> Isn't that yes, it? totally. <laughs> um, so he's planning the strategy of which roads that they're going to take. They're going to meet at Lord Haraway's town. Mm. Um, and then they're all going to march together towards Winterfell. And I was, I have in my notes, I'm not sure where Lord Haraway's town is on the map. I was curious if you did. Lord Haraway's town is right where the three branches of the trident sort of converge. It's uh, directly north of the God's Eye and Harrenhal and just slightly upriver from the Ruby Ford where uh, Rhaegar was killed. Oh, okay. So Cersei is irritated at this because she thinks Jamie is just stupid. I always knew you were the stupidest Lannister. (laughs) (laughs) So she calls down from the upper level and she goes, Sir Jamie. And Jamie's like, your grace. (laughs) Yeah. And everyone kind of, um, you know, looks up at her and she tells them that she needs a moment with her brother. Fuck. So they get dismissed and Cersei looks at Jamie and is like, what are you doing? Like, are you really, (laughs) do you really think that I meant to march all the way north? And there you go. She says, I've always known you were the stupidest Lannister. So we, we see again, Cersei is just freaking crazy. She's like, the Starks and the Targaryens have united against us and you want to fight alongside them. Are you a traitor? Jamie has this look on his face like, this is, what is this madness? Like, you're turning your- Did you not see the dead person, like, running towards you? Yeah, like, like, are you out of your fucking mind? Like, we need to do this. What more proof do you need? I don't understand, like, what are you talking about? Plus, they were standing there, and I'm sure we'll get to this, you know, the, the, the grand meeting, I guess we could call it, in a little bit, but, like, how- how can you sit here and say that they are taking arms up against you right now? They they're suing for peace at the moment. So everyone can survive. Right. Or, or even called Jamie the stupidest Lannister. I'm like, you're the stupidest Lannister, Cersei, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's just like, and Jamie even says this, you know, you saw it with your own eyes. You saw a dead man trying to kill us. Are you like, are you're the stupidest Lannister? (laughs) Like, Think about it. Yeah, and he's like, you ple- You also pledged our forces to fight, you know? Yeah, like, how can you go against your word? She's like, you know, I'll, I'll just say whatever I need to say to ensure the survival of my house. Basically. And he's kind of like, what house? Right. <laughs> there's just like three of us. I mean, there's an unborn child and you and me. Yeah. That's it. Um, And so she's, she says to him, yeah, I saw it burn, but if the dragons can't stop them, if a hundred thousand Dothraki and... You know, 8,000 unsullied and all the northern man can't stop them. How are our armies going to make any difference? Yeah. I mean, I can kind of see where she's getting going at, but shouldn't y'all at least try? Yeah, seriously. And I I thought it was interesting when she says, um, I'll say whatever I need to say. And she tells him, you know, and he's like, you you pledged our forces. It made me think of... um, you know, we've been concerned about Tyrion maybe being turned by Cersei. 
But I think her saying here that she'll say whatever she needs to say, etc. I think she claimed to pledge her her forces to Tyrion and hoodwinked him, basically. Oh, okay. So I'm hoping that he's not like. There's another angle of that too, which we'll sides. talk about later. But yeah, ugh, I don't know. It's, you know yeah. it makes me nervous. Yeah, I still have a little bit of faith in Tyrion, but I can see where you're picking up on that. Because she sure. says, she says, you expect me to trust the man who murdered our father? And I was thinking, well, if she doesn't trust him, then she wouldn't want her plan to rely on him. Like, like it would have to rely on him if he was in on the secret, you know, in on the betrayal. That would give him too much power in her plan. So either she doesn't want him to know or... She's compartmentalizing the truth and keeping Jamie and Tyrion from knowing how much each other know. Yeah, kind of. Again, she's playing both sides too. Potentially, yeah. She's Potentially. nuts, man. She is. She's fucking baddie. Yeah. So Jamie, again, kind of echoes what they were talking about at the big meeting. And he's like, this is not about the houses, it's about living in the dead, you fucking idiot. Yeah. She goes, and I intend to stay amongst the living. Let the Stark boy and his new queen and Jamie. It's like, no, I made a promise. I'm done being an oathbreaker, basically. Which is, again, like a part uh, of his major arc in this entire series is yeah. redeeming that reputation. And he, I, I really don't think he can fathom not keeping this promise. Yeah. He's, he will not break his word and like, unless he has to, you know what I mean? Like he had to, when he decided to kill Ares, there was no, no other option. He was going to kill countless innocent people. You know what I mean? Sure. So when he has gone back on his word, it's been in times where he felt like there was no other option. Kind no of. other choice. Yeah. And he's like, here, there is another choice here. The only choice is following through with what he said. Because, I mean, he tried to prevent an apocalypse of wildfire. Why wouldn't he try to prevent an apocalypse of undead, you know? Exactly. Totally. And so she completely kind of, like, changes subject. Like, our child is going to rule Westeros. And he's like, girl, our child is not going to be born if we don't deal with this threat. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? So Cersei kind of goes into this monologue of, the monsters are real, the White Walkers, the dragons, Dothraki screamers, all of the frightening stories we heard when we were young, they're all real. So be it. Let the monsters kill each other, and while they battle in the north, we'll take back the lands that belong to us. And Jamie's like, this is insanity. <laughs> he looks like this is talking about? Yeah, this look of like, what the hell on his face? It's hilarious. It's hilarious. And he he kind of fires back at her because he is done with her madness. Yeah. You know, when the fighting is done, someone's going to win. If like, do you get that? Right. You understand that. They're going to march South and kill us all. If the living win and we've betrayed them, they're going to march South and kill us all. Totally. That was, I felt (laughs) like that was like a, Ooh, shots fired moment. Cause he like, he's mad if he's talking to Cersei like that, like saying, you do understand that. Don't you (laughs) like talking down to her? Have you lost your mind? Are you capable of logic? You know, (laughs) you must be (laughs) mad if he's talking to her like that. That's definitely his attitude here. And how he's like snapping back at her a little bit is foreshadowing his uh, departure from being on the same page as her. (laughs) Yes. So she's like, well, 
they already want to kill us. And most of them are going to die in the North anyways. And Jamie's like, I don't think you get it. We faced them in the field. We cannot beat them. Right. Like, they, they have dragons. Yeah. And she's Queen. like, this is a crazy moment, too, because she's like, well, how many dragons did you see at the pit, at the dragon pit where we just had the meeting? I found it really interesting that she noticed that there were only two. Right. She's like so stupid, but also like so, you know, smart at the same time about some things like she has Euron pretend to freak out and leave when it's like an excellent plan to like sneak off and go get the golden company, you know, and like she's doing slick things and making astute observations while at the same time like she's like she sees all the details but she misses the big picture you know what i mean (laughs) exactly she can't put all the details together to see like the actual picture in front of her she just focuses on like little tiny tidbits totally because she's trying to be like outsmart him here she's like well you know what happened to the third one and he goes i don't fucking know they could be guarding the fleet she goes no she came here with all of her Dothraki, all of the Unsullied, and her dragons to show us her power. Something happened. The, the dragons, dragons are, are vulnerable. Yeah, oh, exactly. And she's right, man. Oh, she's right about that, at least. Mm, yeah. Ugh. And Jamie's like, it really doesn't matter because even if she didn't have dragons, we can't beat the Dothraki. <laughs> right. They, they just like swamped them and just oh, shredded them. Yeah, we don't have the support from the other houses and we don't have the numbers. Like, that's that's it. And then Cersei being, she tries to be so smug with Jamie. Like, she's always trying to outwit him. Yeah, she's, she goes, oh, she's well, the worst. We have something better. We have the Iron Bank. Yeah, and she's like, you should have listened more when father spoke about the importance of gold. And this is me talking. I'm a gold bug. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I buy bullion <laughs> when I can. and uh, <laughs> And even I'm like, thinking jamie's like what the fuck are gold coins gonna do against dragons you know like, and dead people plus dragons hoard gold and maidens they're gonna come for your gold you know <laughs> you don't want to have gold when there's dragons around they hoard gold in like in you know in the legends and stuff like, like that the, yeah the myths yeah so that's one of the things that's funny too about um star wars they have, there's all these mythological archetypes that are woven throughout the story and jabba the hut is representative of a dragon in term for star wars Wars mythos and uh he's hoarding gold and maidens in that one scene in episode five where he's got um c-3po at his side captured and he's got leia on a chain <laughs> oh yeah i can remember that yeah totally fulfilling the archetype pretty cool yeah so even i'm like dude gold isn't really gonna help in this part in the <laughs> in this situation you know so that's funny if, if even i'm saying gold isn't gonna help then it's probably true so uh She's like, oh, I know. It's boring for you. You just wanted to hunt and ride and fight. But I listened. I learned. And she just, oh, talking down to him. And she's like, uh, High Garden brought us the most powerful army in Essos, the Golden Company. And she basically, she's like, with all the gold that we stole, we bought ourselves a big army. She's like, 20,000 men, horses, elephants, I believe. Yeah, that was a crazy line. Yeah. We're going to see war elephants in season eight. I hope so. Yeah. We got to see one of them, like a kraken, a big giant spider or elephants. I'm hoping we get an army of ice spiders, (laughs) an (laughs) army of war elephants, Nymeria and her army of dire wolves. Oh my God. (laughs) And all three dragons at least a few times. Yes. (laughs) Blow the budget. Blow the budget. (laughs) Just poo. Uh, So, um, (laughs) 
that's when Jamie's like, the Golden Company, they're not even here. Like, how is how is some army in Essos going to do us any good? And this is when we learn that the, she tr- tricked everybody. But everybody should have seen it coming, as uh, as I'll explain. But she she's like, you really think Euron Greyjoy got scared and ran away? Euron fucking Greyjoy? Dude, he, he sailed over to Essos to pick up the Golden Company and come back under the cover of being terrified you know, and everybody bought it. And I was like, oh my God, that was so slick. So they must have had this plan for, she's like, listen, you're on for some reason. We don't know why they want to meet us. We don't know what they have. Like if they have something to show us, we don't know about that. We don't know what the deal is, but you're going to think of some reason to abandon me during the, during the proceedings. Right. And make me seem like I'm in a position of weakness. Cause she, when you're strong, you act weak. When you're weak, you act strong, you know? Art of yeah. war. So uh, she's feigning weakness um, in, a, in a couple of different ways. She, A, Euron leaves and depletes her forces. B, she lets him walk away. You know, and that makes her look weak. Like you turn the fuck around, Euron Greyjoy. And, you know, otherwise the mountain will have your head and I'll still have your fleet. You know what I mean? Right. So the idea that she walked, let him walk away. She's intentionally feigning weakness here. Um, making them, you know, lower their guard a little bit, John and Danny, I'm guessing. Um, so, because even in this sh- scene, she tells Jamie, you know, no one walks away from me, talking about how Euron Greyjoy walked away. Like, it was all part of the plan. You think he abandoned his chance to marry the queen? No way. That's actually the name. Of, so the music that's playing while they're talking, that's actually the name of the score is No, no one, one walks, walks away from me. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's killer. That's great. Yeah. This is the episode, just a little sidebar. This is the episode that Ramin Jawadi won his first Emmy on. Oh, no way. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That's amazing. I'll have to listen to it again. Um, it's so good. I really paid attention to the music. I, I watched this episode... He didn't I watched win it a few Emmy times. until season seven. Yeah. What? Isn't that ridiculous? That's insane. He didn't win one for um, the one where the light of the seven light plays. Light of the seven. Yeah. yeah. Season six, episode 10, the winds of winter. Winds of winter. Thank oh, you. Yeah. God. I thought for sure he was going to win one and he didn't. That's crazy. Yeah. I would have assumed that that would have, you know, won one, but this, <laughs> you know, because it's for the whole episode. So, I mean, like, Light of the Seven was great, but I guess... But that came Emmy, throughout the whole episode. I know. You know I, I don't like, understand it. It tied the whole episode together. This this music in this episode is exceptional. I mean... It is. It is. There are some really good places in I this. I wish Light of the Seven, like, came into this episode, too, because I might have lost my mind because it's one of my favorites, but... One of the melodies from Light of the Seven is in this song, No One Walks Away From Me, this one. If you listen to every scene that music plays, it's all truly exceptional work. Yeah, there is where, like when they all show up at the Dragon Pit, there's uh, yes. they mix a couple different songs together. We'll get to that. We'll get yes, to it. Yes, yes. <laughs> so she's like, no one walks away from me. And I'm like, oh, spoke too soon, Cersei, because Jamie is about to walk away from you. Yep. You know, and she, she starts going off on... Um, on Jamie for conspiring with Tyrion without telling him. And, and he's like, I didn't conspire him. And she's like, you met with him in secret without my consent. And even I'm like, dude, he, he met with Tyrion unknowingly. He didn't even Yeah, it know. wasn't on purpose. 
Yeah, and she just keeps blasting off at him before, without giving him a chance to rebut or defend himself or anything. You know, you plan to promote my enemy's interests. That's the definition of a conspiracy. And I'm like, eh, technically, I think that sounds more like the definition of treason, but I'll give it to you. I, th- I thought that too. I was like, that's more like treason, yeah. but okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, then, Cersei. <laughs> yeah, then, then he's I like, well, I pledge to ride north and I intend to honor that pledge. And that's when she says, and that will be treason. <laughs> treason? Yeah. Disobeying your queen's command, fighting with her enemies. What would you call it? It doesn't matter. Yeah, like, it's like, we're, this is We're talking bullshit. about grammar. We have way more, <laughs> big, like, larger problems in grammar. Also, and, like, you're just not listening to what anybody else has to say. So even if you're asking me what I, my opinion is, it doesn't matter to you. Like, you know, it's like... Yeah, you're just being a giant Belligerent. Bitch. Yeah, yeah. So she's, he starts walking away and she repeats herself. I told you. I no told one you. Walks no one walks away from me. away from me. Yeah. And he's like, are you going to order him to kill me? Because Gregor, like, ooh, like, steps in front of him, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. Give the order, then. When I first watched it, she, like, nods her head. She and he does. Doesn't... She gives Gregor the order. And this look flashes across Jamie's face as Gregor draws his sword and his eyes sort of, like, flicker. Like, he half blinks in astonishment at just the, the betrayal. I don't the person he loves most in the world ordering him to be executed and he calls her bluff and says I don't believe you yeah dude that's twice in one episode she threatened you know two times in the same episode first Tyrion says give the order and then Jaime says give the order then they both fucking she threatens to kill both of her brothers in this episode. I know it's That's crazy. She's nuts, she's dude. lost her mind. Yeah, with with the death of Tommen, like her moral compass is just gone. And she's pregnant and hormones are a bitch. Yeah, if so, she truly is pregnant. If she really is pregnant, but I can attest that pregnancy hormones they mess with you for, for sure. sure. I mean like for instance, we saw she had this plan with Euron today to trick everybody, right? Where he walks out under like the false impression, like under a false explanation. She could have easily had um, an operation like that set up with Kyburn. So when Jamie walks in the room, Kyburn's like, I could give you something. You know what I mean? Like yep. baiting Jamie to make him think that she's pregnant. Um, That's true. Who knows? I'm, you know, so I just thought it was crazy. She threatens to kill both of her brothers in one episode and they both tell her to do it. <laughs> yeah, do it. Damn. Oh, they call man. her bluff. Yeah. She, he, you know, she, she, he's like, you're going to ask him to kill me. I'm the only one you have left. Father's gone, children. And she's like, there's one more yet to come. Like, I don't need you. You know, I still have one more. And he's like, fine, just give the order then. And she nods at Gregor and he pulls out the sword part way. And Jamie looks a little nervous at this point. (laughs) Yeah. And like, and just kind of pauses for a second, looking at her and like horror and disbelief that his beloved Cersei, you know, the, who he's loved his whole life would threaten him with death and, and give the command. And he's like, you know, I don't, I don't, I I don't don't believe believe you. you. Like, yeah, like there's, and he walks right past the mountain. And, and he lets him he go. Lets him go. Oh. I think I think Cersei has to like actually say the word, not just nod for I, him yeah. to like. In kill a situation her. like this, I think the mountain understands that he needs more explicit orders <laughs> for yeah. Jamie, you know? And then it cuts to Jamie riding off outside of King's Landing and he's riding away. Oh, he's leaving. And we get all of that like 
um, like eerie kind of music in the background and he's fitting his glove over his hand and he looks up and there's just little a little snowflake that falls right onto his glove and melts and it's like Oh my God! Winter is in King's Landing now, yeah. and this mirror it's is snowing. I know, and yeah, and we get that montage of like looking all throughout King's Landing with the snow falling. Yeah, it's all the around theme the song at, with like yeah. people humming the theme song all oh, eerily. It's so good. <sighs> it's so we see badass. the empty dragon pit and the snow falling. We see like this giant wall. Oh with, like, a my gosh! I get goosebumps and, and snow I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah, then we get that vantage shot of King's Landing from the side, and we see the Red Keep like hulking in the mist and the foggy, you know, storm. And the, the fo- like all of the hearths, like the smoke is coming out of the chimneys, yep. and you see all the candles in the windows. And the and- sky is dark. Oh, oh my God. It Winter looks is very here. ominous. Yeah, and the, yeah, like you said, the theme is slowly playing, and... Um, this is this this scene with Jamie with the the snowflake on his glove mirrors a similar scene in the book where Jamie is reading a, a raven scroll and snow lands on it and we know winter oh, is here. Nice. Uh, I won't give I like too that. many details, but <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I don't really think cool. that's a spoiler. And uh, this made me very nervous as well because with Jamie gone, the next easiest person for Cersei to take out her anger on would be Bronn and we didn't see Bronn leave and Bronn thinks he's in the clear as, as he said, you know, I've, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm having two of the queen's enemies walk their heads right through the door, you know, but he, he, he thinks, he thinks he's safe. Like you said, Um, but he doesn't, yeah. And he doesn't know that just in the last episode when Cersei confronted Jamie about meeting Tyrion in secret, she suggested punishing Bronn. For betrayal. Yeah, to Jamie. So we know that Bronn is somebody who is potentially in Cersei's sights right now. And I'm really, Bronn's really on her hoping, shit list. Yeah, uh, I'm really hoping that she doesn't get her hands on him. We, he's been outwitted by her at least once now. She knew about how he led Jamie to Tyrion and everything. And he didn't, Jamie, and Bronn didn't know that he, that Cersei knew. So yep. she outwitted him and spied on him without his knowledge. That makes me scared for Bronn that he's in a position where he's vulnerable to the wiles of Cersei and is has been, like I said, outwitted by her before. So I completely agree because he's also cocky right now. And we know what happens to people that are cocky on this show. Yeah. Well, I think that's it for my number five. And that's it for my number four as well. Okay. What's your number five? My number five is reunions. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm sure we'll both want to talk about this as well. (laughs) This part of it is my number four. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So we're um we have our crew of heroes who's arrived in who have arrived in King's Landing and they're all walking down the street to uh to meet up with with uh Cersei's henchmen essentially who in this case ends up being Bronn <laughs> and Brienne is there um, I think cuz they arrived early cuz that raven that Sansa got and sent Brienne to. This is where this Sansa oh, right, was, she was supposed Sansa. to attend. This, right. yeah. So she's and representing Sansa, Sansa sent her of in her pl- in Sansa's in her place. Stead, so, yeah, very yeah, smartly. They, I think they got there early. Yeah, so they're they've been waiting for the rest of the North. So to come. Uh, 
so funny, man. So, so they come walking up and Bron comes up and introduces himself and uh, welcomes them to the city. Oh yeah. He says that, you know, Brandon pot arrived before they did basically. And, uh, the Dothraki walk up and they're like, uh, like I and all of them and Brienne and Sandor see each other. Oh my God. And Sandor <laughs> looks like almost scared to see her. Yeah, Do you I see think that? she's very surprised to see him too. Yeah, like, she like uh, I think God, she I like you. yeah, she can't believe he's alive. <laughs> I, I bet. You know? <laughs> I thought you were dead, is what she said. Uh-huh. And I yeah, and I thought Rory McCann had a great performance here, like looking like scared and surprised, and I don't know, just had a really really great expression on his face seeing her. And uh, so they the the guards part, and a path opens. And the Dothraki look at Tyrion like, do we trust him? And Tyrion gives the go-ahead. So they walk through the middle and begin their procession towards the dragon pit. And at this point, Podrick comes up to Tyrion. (laughs) And Tyrion is stoked to see him. You know, he's like, he says, a pleasant surprise in an unpleasant situation. (laughs) (laughs) And Podrick, like, obviously, was like, never never thought I would see you again. Yeah, he never thought he'd be back in King's Landing, you know, after being wanted for the murder of Joffrey and Cersei putting like a bounty on his head, literally, you know, specifically his head. Tyrion's like, yeah, I'm back, bitch, and I'm supporting the enemy, no less. You know, I'm on the on on the other team, and Podrick sympathizes with him. He's like, it's hard, it's kind of hard to blame you, man. Like, why he doesn't want to be with Cersei's side either, you know? No one does. Yeah, and Tyrion says, basically says, well, Cersei will still manage to blame me anyway. But uh, they both say that they're uh, they're glad to see each other. You know, Podrick's like, I'm glad you're alive. And this is when Bronn comes up and says, you can Go suck on. his magic cock later. <laughs> and Tyrion, I think uh, one of one of our listeners commented, uh, I think it was Sir Patrick has said that Tyrion looked kind of like a little agitated by that and thought Bronn, I think Patrick thought Tyrion may be interpreting that as Bronn bringing up the idea of dwarves having, you know, like dwarf magic. Oh, magic cock. Yeah, the magic cock. But I think he's talking about Podrick's magic cock. Pod's magic cock. I took it that way. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Too. But I, I, so I who can knows? see what Sir Patrick is talking about they too. They both have magic cocks in their own way, potentially. So <laughs> funny. Perfect line for Braun because he could have been taken either way by either of them. And uh I think it was funny too because Braun's like, You can suck Pod's cock later, Tyrion. But 
Bron was even more excited than Tyrion when he saw Podrick. You know, he like gra- he grabbed him from behind and was choking him and like grabbed his balls. You know, and <laughs> Bron was, was so super funny. stoked about about seeing Pod. You know, but then he's like, "Chill out, Tyrion. You can suck his dick later." I just thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> Rusing each other. Yeah. And then we get the we get Brienne and the Hound meeting up this with each other. This is my number again. four. Nice. Take it. You yeah. can take it away if here if you want. Oh. Okay, um, so the soldier is looking at this donkey pulling this like huge crate, and He's like, what the he fuck? asks, he makes the mistake of asking the hound, "What's in there?" Right, and you don't interrogate Sandor Clegane. You know, Sandor Clegane interrogates <laughs> <No>. you, <laughs> and as we know, the undead white is in there, but, he, but this guy doesn't have any idea about that. Yeah, in, in in typical hound fashion, fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. Yeah, yeah. And Brienne's kind of walking ahead of him at this moment, so she actually stops. So yeah. uh, the hound catches up, and she looks over at him, and she's like, "Thought you were dead." Not yet. You came pretty close. <laughs> And Brienne's like, I, I like this line from Brienne because there's a lot of weight to it. Because she never really apologizes, but she does say, like, I was just trying to protect her. Right. A.K.A. I don't have beef with you. You know, like, it's nothing. It was yeah, nothing I didn't want to have to try to kill you. Yeah. I just, I was following my, my duties to right. get Arya Stark. And Sandor, you know, switches it right back at her. Like, you and me both, you know, like, it was nothing personal. And now I know better than to fuck with you. <laughs> yeah, I think he was also saying, like, I was trying to protect her, too. Yeah, exactly. Like, like she wasn't in danger with me. Mm-hmm. I, I read into that a little yeah. bit, like, you and me both. Right, like, like, we're both on the same side here. We you know? both were looking out for Arya's best interest. He, by saying you and me both, he places himself in a position of mutual interest with her, you know, like, saying we're on the same team, essentially. And for Sandor to do that... Like he normally doesn't go out of his way to let people know we're on the same side here, buddy. You know what I mean? Not so at it's, all. It's pretty significant that like he knows not to fuck with <laughs> Brienne anymore. He's getting making her an ally as soon as he can. <laughs> well, he is the hound, and that's a prime example of Pavlovian training right there. <laughs> and so Brienne finally drops the bomb on yeah. him. She's like, she's alive. And he oh, looks yeah. he looks very happy to learn yeah. this. Where? She's back at Winterfell. Yeah. And this is interesting because this means that Sandor must not have told John about the time that he spent with Arya. And in that case, John wouldn't have known telling Sandor that Arya is alive would be like pertinent to his interest. So I'm assuming, based on this conversation here, that John doesn't know about the time that that Arya and the Hound were together. And that's why he didn't tell Sandor that she's alive when he got the raven. I agree completely with that. Makes sense. So the hound, the hound is like, well, who's protecting her if you're here? And I love it. (laughs) The only one that needs protecting is the one that gets in her way. Yeah. And she is dead (laughs) serious too. And Sandor, he actually kind of smirks for once. There's like a hint of a smile across his face when he tells her, well, it's not going to be me. Right. <laughs> I'm not getting in her way. He I, knows, I have no beef with Arya. He knows she was a badass with like uh, the hard mind, you know, and and I think he sort of sees her as kind of like a daughter, you know, and and he and when when he learns on the, about the influence that he's had on her, I think he'll be proud. Mm-hmm. So this is actually kind of 
where my number four really kind of kicks into play because throughout all of these cut scenes, it, number my number four is Ver- is actually Varys. Oh yeah. Um, if if anyone gets a chance to rewatch this episode again before you know season eight or even after season eight, pay attention to Varys. <laughs> He's like laughing at Cersei at times and stuff. Yeah, um, he's always, I feel like he's always in the background of every camera angle. And you can tell (laughs) that he's listening to these conversations. So right. Yeah, because he totally like involves himself in a couple of them. Yeah, I mean, we'll go into this in a a minute. But like when Bronn talks about like being Sir Bronn of the fucking Blackwater. And if that's not looking after myself, I don't know what is like Varys kind of, he like kind of nods his head and lifts his eyebrows. Like, well, yeah, I can, I can see that. So he's listening (laughs) to all of the conversations going on around him that we're hearing as well. And he even tries to interject and like try to find out what it would take to get Bronn on their side too. He's like double, you know, Tyrion says, remember my offer. Right. And he's, I'll, I'll pay double. And, uh, and Varys is like double what, you know, like, just let me know what it needs to be. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's, in all of these scenes, you can see Varys in most of them, and you can tell that his little spidey senses are listening to all of the conversations going around him because he this that was like the only thing that he says during that whole walk to the dragon pit. The rest of the time he's listening, and it's just such a um I forget the actor's name who plays Varys um Conleth Hill. Conleth Hill, he does such a great job with just facial expressions. Yeah, he's amazing. You you know who he's listening to based off what they're saying and in Varys's facial his reactions reactions. Um, we also get this when Euron Greyjoy like cuts Tyrion off, and he looks like who's this fucker? Like his <laughs> eyebrows get all like wonky, and his like little lip like curls up a little bit and he's yeah. like looking around. Yeah. What is this? <laughs> so he, he was so entertaining for me in this scene. <laughs> um, Cause he, of his facial expressions. So yeah, it's that's pretty kind awesome. of the root of my number four. <laughs> it's kind of woven throughout this whole thing. But my favorite part of him is when Braun and Tyrion are talking, you know, Tyrion starts going, like you said, um, he's trying to recruit him. Yeah, you know, and Tyrion's like, helping me arrange this meeting wasn't exactly looking after yourself. You put yourself at risk. And he goes, Bronn goes, I put yourself at risk. Important yeah. difference. Um, You know, it's your head that Cersei wants. Right. It's not mine. And I was like, dude, like, oh man, two episodes in a row now. Cersei first mentions Bronn by name and now Bronn mentions mentions Cersei by name. It's the first time these two characters have been like connected to one each other and I don't like it, you know? Yeah, that's true. Bronn is unaware that Cersei has singled him out for punishment just last episode. Yeah, so, (laughs) you know, he's pretty proud of himself. He's totally patting himself on the back that two traitors heads are coming right through their door. Yep. She can lop them both off and throw them into the black water. <laughs> <laughs> and Bronn is blunt and self-oriented as ever. And Tyrion's like, it's good to see you again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, he missed Tyrion. 
Oh, they both missed each other. Totally. They love each other. They, they, I know that's their banter. Oh, I that's miss their them language. working together so much. I know. Me too. Uh, hopefully, Drogon forgives him. I hope so too. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to see Bronn die. Yeah. Neither do I. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So, yeah, that's the end of my number four for the most part. Nice. So I have there's a couple more reunions here to talk about. So it kind of goes right into the into the Dragon Pit meeting because there's a lot of reunions at the meeting itself. Yes. So we can talk about the reunions leading up to the meeting and then cover the meeting separately if if we want. Yeah, I mean, that's totally fine. Cool. So. One, it's cool how they're meeting in the ruins of the dragon pit. Like that location is just really awesome <laughs> with the whole it pit so destroyed cool. and everything like that. And um, in case you were unaware, the dragon pit was destroyed at an event during one of the traumatic times of, of Westeros where the people basically turned on the dragons and all stormed the dragon pit and burned it to the ground. Oh, shit. For a little bit of history about the Dragon Pit, here's an excerpt from one of my Still Smug episodes where I compiled information about the night of the storming of the Dragon Pit and how a shepherd enraged an angry mob to go kill the dragons. We see the Dragon Pit in ruins in this episode as a result of this fateful night during the Dance of Dragons. The Princess and the Queen When a crazed one-handed prophet called the Shepherd began to rant against dragons, not just the ones who were coming to attack them, but all dragons everywhere, the crowd, half-crazed themselves, listened. "'When the dragons come!' he shrieked. "'Your flesh will burn and blister and turn to ash. Your wives will dance in the gowns of fire, shrieking as they burn, lewd and naked underneath the flames.' And you shall see your little children weeping, weeping till their eyes do melt and slide like jelly down their faces, till their pink flesh falls black and crackling from their bones. The stranger comes, he comes, he comes to scourge us for our sins. Prayers cannot stay his wrath, no more than tears can quench the flame of dragons. Only blood can do that. Your blood, my blood, their blood. Then he raised the stump of his right arm and pointed at Rainy's hill behind them and the dragon pit black against the stars. There the demons dwell, up there. This is their city. If you would make it yours, first you must destroy them. If you would cleanse yourself of sin, first you must bathe in the dragon's blood, for only blood can quench the fires of hell. From ten thousand throats a cry went up, Kill them! Kill them! And like some vast beast with ten thousand legs, the shepherd's lambs began to move, shoving and pushing, waving their torches, brandishing swords and knives and other cruder weapons, walking and running through the streets and alleys towards the dragon pit. Some thought better and slipped away to home, but for every man who left, three more appeared to join these dragon slayers. By the time they reached the Hill of Rainies, their numbers had doubled. High atop Aegon's high hill across the city, the queen watched the attack unfold from the roof of Magor's holdfast with her sons and members of her court. The night was black and overcast, the torches so numerous that it was as if all the stars had come down from the sky to storm the dragon pit. 
As soon as word had reached her that the enraged crowd was on the march, Rhaenyra sent riders to Sir Balon at the Old Gate and Sir Garth at the Dragon Gate, commanding them to disperse the mob and defend the royal dragons. But with the city in such turmoil, it was far from certain that the riders had won through. Even if they had, what loyal gold cloaks remained were too few to have any hope of success. When Prince Joffrey pleaded with his mother to let him ride forth with their own knights and those from White Harbor, the queen refused. "'If they take that hill, this one will be next,' she said. "'We need every sword here to defend the castle.'" The World of Ice and Fire, the Battles of 130 AC. Storming of the Dragon Pit, no true battle, where an unruly mob under the leadership of a man known as the Shepherd went mad. This resulted in the death of five dragons, the loss of both Sir William Royce and the Valyrian sword Lamentation that he bore, and the deaths of Sir Glendon Good, who was Lord Commander of the Queen's Guard for one day, and Joffrey, Prince of Dragonstone. We also find out from the World Book, Young Joffrey Valerian, the Prince of Dragonstone, plummeted to his death when trying to ride his mother's dragon, Cyrax, to the dragon pit in order to save his own dragon, Tyraxes. Neither dragon survived. Wild tales and rumors followed about the deaths of the dragons, that some were hewn down by men, others by the shepherd, others by the warrior himself. Whatever the truth, five dragons died that bloody night as the mobs broke into the huge dome and found the dragons chained, and people perished in droves. Half the dragons that began the dance were already dead, and the war was not yet over. The princess and the queen. Mayhaps the attackers hoped to take the dragons within whilst they slept, but the clangor of the assault made that impossible. Those who lived to tell tales afterwards spoke of shouts and screams, the smell of blood in the air, the splintering of oak and iron doors beneath crude rams and the blows of countless axes. Seldom have so many men rushed so eagerly onto their own funeral pyres, Grand Maester Munkin later wrote, but a madness was upon them. There were four dragons housed within the dragon pit. By the time the first of the attackers came pouring out onto the sands, all four were roused, awake, and angry. No two chronicles agree on how many men and women died that night beneath the dragon pit's great dome. Two hundred or two thousand, be that as it may. For every man who perished, ten suffered burns and yet survived. Trapped within the pit, hemmed in by walls and dome and bound by heavy chains, the dragons could not fly away or use their wings to evade attacks and swoop down on their foes. Instead, they fought with horns and claws and teeth, turning this way and that like the bulls in a flea-bottom rat pit. But these bulls could breathe fire. The dragon pit was transformed into a fiery hell where burning men staggered screaming through the smoke, the flesh sloughing from their blackened bones. But for every man who died, ten more appeared, shouting that the dragons must need die. One by one, they did. Oh man, so crazy. So, uh, it seems like Sandor has been tasked with being in charge of the undead guy crate, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> on the boat, he walks down to it and like taps it to make sure that the undead creature is still living or, you know, still, still animated in there. And it like, isn't the hound also the one that like jumped on him north of the wall? Yeah, yeah, he was because he put his hand over his mouth when the white started screaming right, and, and like, like all his skin his peeled off. And he was the one also who grabbed the white when Drogon arrived and jammed him onto one of the spikes on Drogon's back. So he's been yeah. like... The protector. Yeah, as like the the biggest and the strongest and the most physically capable. I feel like it makes sense for him to be in charge of controlling the undead demon that's like <laughs> frantically trying to <laughs> kill everybody. You know, yeah. 
makes sense to put him in charge, but he's taking his job really seriously. You know, he's checking on that thing in the cargo hold. He's telling people to fuck off when they're asking about it. So nobody has any idea. Anyone touches it. I'll yeah. kill you first. Exactly. <laughs> he he leaves it here for a second to go in to get this meeting set up. And he's like, don't fuck with it. You know, he's maintaining the strategic advantage by keeping this a secret and keeping it under wraps. And so it's funny that they're meeting in the ruins of the dragon pit <laughs> and Tyrion and everybody arrived there first because the last time that people arrived to an event before Cersei got there, it got blown up <laughs> even worse than the dragon pit. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? So I'm like, damn, it's not like, I wouldn't want to be anywhere before Cersei arrives uh, <laughs> because I'd be worried about getting exploded. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. So it's a good Wildfire. move. Yeah, it's a definitely a good move that Danny waited and arrived late, <laughs> you know. Yeah, maybe that was the reason why. I'm sure it was, you know, definitely. So uh they walk into the into the pit and everybody's getting all situated. And this is when Bronze like, "Come on, Pod. Let's you and me go have a drink while the fancy folks talk, eh?" <laughs> and uh this is uh, I have written down after having shot Drogon, Bronze knows he doesn't want to be anywhere near that dragon when he arrives. <laughs> For sure. Smart to get out of there. So I liked how Podrick sort of looks at Brienne like asking Can for permission. Yeah, and she <laughs> gives him the nod. So they go off together and it's just cool having those two guys being able to spend some time and hanging out. They're going to a brothel. They're not getting a drink. Yeah. And Sandor is anxious, you know, just like he was waiting for the whites to attack when he started throwing that rock. He's pacing around here and he's like, ah, getting all frustrated. I left this shit city because I didn't want to die in it. Am I going to (laughs) die in this shit city? (laughs) So, So good. You might. <laughs> yeah, Tyrion's just straight up with him. And I, I'm just thinking at this moment, like, I'm just so glad that the Hound is playing, like, a big role in all of this. He started off as, like, a, a minor, you know, tertiary character. And his his involvement in the story has become more and more central of, as things have gone. Totally. And uh, it's really just, it's. I'm just so glad that he, he's one of our main characters at this point. I love his banter with Tyrion so about... Good. Um, you know, every bad idea, there's some Lannister <laughs> cunt behind it. And Tyrion's like, and some some Clegane cunt to help them see it it's through. It's so true, man. <laughs> First, it was Tywin <laughs> with his dog, with his mad dog, the mountain, cutting the mountain. down Elia Martell and everything, doing his dirty work off in the Riverlands during season one and two, causing havoc during the War of the Five Kings as well at his order. And then we have Cersei now in control of the mountain. And we had Joffrey with his dog, the hound for so long doing his bidding. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's, it's so true what they say in those two little lines. It's so funny. Every bad idea has some Lannister cunt behind it and some Clegane cunt to help them see it through. It's so true. (laughs) And now he's furthering, you know, he's, he is, uh, (laughs) had the terrible idea to come to the city and treat with Cersei and he's got the hound helping him see it through. So even with him, it's, it's so great. And then the first we see of Cersei's arrival is actually the hound's reaction to spotting Gregor in the distance. So we're we're looking at Tyrion and the hound and he's like, like, you know, his eyes widen and he's, he, turns and points like a like a hound dog pointing at a target you know literally and uh and then it cuts over and we see the mountain leading the brigade with cersei and i'm like oh my god dude this is nuts 
And then cue Cersei and yeah. the music gets very... Yep. Um, Speaking like, of Lannister cunts and Clegane <laughs> cunts, you know, a couple more arrive. <laughs> yes, I love the music um, as yeah. she's walking in. It's like, I think it's a cello it's, that's uh, playing. Yeah, it's, and it's playing The Light of the Seven as well. Yes, it is. And uh, we, we get this melody... A few times in this episode, right yep. now in this scene, it's extremely low, but we get it with the um, the violins later on when nice. like it's um, when there's like more of a climax and it gets higher and a little bit faster. Uh-huh. So it's so great. I love everybody exchanging the looks. the The way that they um, yeah. did the camera angles. So this seems good. to be a really difficult oh scene to so film. So difficult. So many things, because, and they managed to capture everybody's reactions yes, and all of yes. these and, tiny and the way nuances. it was cut. Like, I mean, John and Cersei look at. We see John and Cersei see each other, yep. and then Brienne sees Jamie and almost melts. You know, like oh, yeah, and is. then Cersei and Tyrion look at each other, and then Euron and Theon for the first time since Tyrion was sentenced to death. He sees, you know, Tyrion. He sees Cersei, and they make eye contact, and it's so tense. And it's like oh. they. I love that the director chose those moments to show because. We could have really just watched Cersei walk in. Right. I know this not, just, yeah, yeah. And like the way it cuts, like they're just glances. I mean, but they add but they so much, so to, much to it. The, the tension and you it's can masterful. Like, like it, it's masterful. Yeah. The, the way that this scene comes together, you can cut it with a knife. You really like the can. tension. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's because of those strategic camera angles and shots and the way it's cut together. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super so good. seamless. So good. Like really this scene is quite an accomplishment being able to capture all these nuances while not losing a pace, you know? Yeah, it's exactly. Amazing. So they walk up the stairs and the, the team Cersei sits down and um, Sandor is just like, dude, fuck this. And he goes and stands right in front of his brother. Yeah. He can't take his eyes off of the mountain. And he's just like, this is, you know, he just needs to get closer a, to see what the fuck happened and B to confront him, you know? And he just walks right up to that dais and that, and the mountain just comes right out to meet him. And I'm wondering, is he knowingly coming out to meet Sandor as his brother, or is he just doing what he's supposed to do and protecting Cersei from whoever this is? Is he thinking enough to know, you know, like that Sandor is even there? I think he knows there? it's her, bro- it's his brother. Right. Cause there was that time where Jamie like insulted him. Like, does he even know what we're saying right now? Exactly. Like, like, he he listens because to Kyburn's point, when he first introduces him, like this is, you know, Sir Gregor Clegane. Right. He's um, still he's Gregor taken Clegane. A, yeah, he's taken a vow of silence. So just because he's not speaking does not mean he doesn't understand. Right. But at the same time, it's like, is that actually true? Has he taken a vow of silence or is that a cover because he's undead and no longer talks? Oh, you know what I, mean? you know what? I never even thought of it that way. Oh yeah. I thought that was like maybe a public explanation to explain why this guy isn't saying anything. Oh, <laughs> when he's really, really like a necromancy <laughs> abomination. You know what I mean? Yeah. And dude, he looks fucked. Like his right eye looks like all red and like you can't even see his iris pretty much. It's yeah. just like a, like a smear. You're Ugh. even uglier than I am now. Yeah. Yeah. 
And yeah, I think you're right. The hound recognizes that he, that the mountain recognizes him too. Cause it's like, remember me? Yeah, you do. He can see the, the knowledge, the acknowledgement in the, in the mountain's eyes. So he's in there. The, the implication is. And I like the line that Sandor says, you know, what did they do to you? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it's the same. We've heard that a few times. Cersei few times does it in too. In this very episode, she does it. Yeah. She also does it to, um, Ilaria Sand. True. It's like they ask these questions and then it shows doesn't like matter. a little bit of weakness. So, and it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, right. forget I even said it. Or even like that, just like the past is the past and there's nothing that can be done about it anymore. It doesn't matter. Like the, the hound says the same thing when he's, when Beric asks, what do you think happened to these people? The, the old man and the, and the, the daughter who died after the hound stole their silver. And Beric thinks that the guy slit the daughter's throat basically, and then killed himself so that she wouldn't starve to death. And he's like, how do you, what do you think happened? And the hound says, it doesn't matter, you know, because it's, it, there's nothing that can be done now. So it seems to be like a recurring theme in season six and seven. Yeah, for sure. Or maybe just season seven. I don't know. I'm losing track at this point. <laughs> it's all <laughs> blending together. I know. Seriously. And this is when we get the threat. The Clegane Bowl is imminent, people. It's going to happen. This is it. We got six weeks to see Clegane Bowl. <gasps> <laughs> Oh, the anticipation. I'd, I'm probably not going to sleep at all for like the next <laughs> week until his air. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. He's like, uh, that's, he's like, what, you know, what, what did they do to you? What did they do to you? Doesn't matter. That's not how it ends for you, brother. You know who's coming for you. You've always known. You know who's coming for you. You've always known. So like, crazy. I'm coming for you. Like, Lennox, I'm coming yeah. for you. Yeah, Lennox Lewis. <laughs> oh, Lennox. I'm coming for you. It just and gets Cersei me so looks amped up. super pissed. Like, Sandor is walking away, and he goes and takes his place back behind Cersei, and we get an image of Cersei, and her lips are all pursed, and she's like, where is she? Right, she's so mad. Yeah, this is when we get into the actual... Uh, the negotiations. Do you want to stop right? here then, or do you want to? That's wanna... the end of my uh, what I have okay. for my number four. So okay, let's stop there, and we'll pick it back up in a little bit. Sounds good. So, what do you have for your number three? Let's see. Oh man, we got so many good things to talk about in this episode. My number three is the revelation. Me too. Okay. Okay. The cool. Truth. Yes. Sam the and truth. Bran, the ultimate intelligence combo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it goes God, all the way, dude. like kind of to the, you know, end of the boat scene. So yeah. mm, I had to have this, this in is, my top five for sure. It's a good transition too, because it's another reunion as well. There you go. Perfect. So we'll collab on this because this, this is your number three too. Yeah. Nice. Okay, cool. <laughs> Why don't you go for it? All right, man, this scene is just so exciting to me. Like there, there, there are certain things that are happening in season six and season seven of Game of Thrones that just are thrilling, like the Tower of Joy and the revelation of the birth of John at the end of season six. I don't think I've ever been as excited to see anything happening on TV as I was when I realized that Ned was riding up on the tower of joy, you know, and that we were going to get to see things happening there. 
Yes. And this is that same type thing. It's just ex- an extension of the Tower of Joy scene, right? Where we get it to totally go back is. there and learn more about this truth. So this is something that's just really exciting for me. Whenever we're getting bits and pieces of this story, it's just like the most, probably my favorite thread of things happening through Game of Thrones the, the revelation of Aegon Targaryen, you know, it's just so epic. It's amazing. So, so Bran is just chilling as usual in the dark room, <laughs> just brooding like, like Stannis or John, And he's sitting there looking into the fire, which I thought was interesting. Just, just the idea of Bran looking into a fire sort of evokes imagery of two supernatural powers facing off with each other. The Werewood the Network. Networks. Yeah, exactly. The Ice Network, the Fire Wi-Fi, et cetera. Um, exactly. So I'd, it's just kind of interesting and sort of like the way that Ned and Robert in the pilot episode look at each other and stare each other down. And you don't know if they're going to be friendly or, or, <laughs> or antagonistic right off the bat. And it seems like they're going to be antagonistic at first, but then it turns into a joke and we realize that they're good friends. I'm wondering, like, we don't know how Fire and Ice... Wi-Fi's are going to interface when when Danny arrives with John to meet Bran. You know what I mean? And it's going to be the, like the first time that potentially R'hllor and the the old gods are like immediately connected with one another. You know what I mean? If if in fact the Lord of Light is you know accurate in their promotion of Danny. You know what I mean? Because Danny yes. basically has the vol- like the the Red priests and priestesses backing her at this point. So I feel like we can kind of equate the dragons with the Lord of Light, sort of. Um, even if, yeah. you know, even if Danny hasn't endorsed that. They're, it's relatable. It's, it's the fiery aspect of the whole thing. So, so 10 minutes later, Samuel finally walks into the room. <laughs> <laughs> so Samuel walks into the room and Bran. Samuel Tarly. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you'd remember me. <laughs> I remember everything. <laughs> and he has like a look like he doesn't understand, nope. but he's still like nods like, oh yeah, okay. You know? okay. <laughs> <laughs> Closes the door and Bran's like, you're a good person. You helped us to get beyond the wall. And he's like so robotic, you know, but he like he's able to still distinguish good from bad, it seems. You're a good man. Yeah. And he's like, even Samwell like refutes him a little. He's like, oh, well, thank you. But um, I'm not sure that I am, you know, a good man. And I was like, oh, man, Sam is doubting his own honor ever after having stolen Heartsbane, Heartsbane and after having stolen the books from the Citadel. And he he may be looking at Yeah, he may be like viewing himself essentially as a criminal on the run at this point. Which is kind of funny, you know, these sacred, these like books stolen from the Citadel, ancient wisdom, you know, like. Yeah, he's feeling a little guilty. Yeah. And he's like, he asks like, what, what happened to you beyond the wall to Bran? Cause like, goddamn, how'd you survive? Like what the fuck happened, man? I became a three-eyed raven. <laughs> and another great confused reaction by Sam is. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> So Bran explains it to him that he can see the past and the present, everything that's happening all over the world. Yeah. And interestingly, he does not mention being able to see into the future. So we don't know if he can see into the future at all. I noted that, too, because in his vision, we get that uh, a few episodes back when he, um, he touches the weirwood tree. We see the dragon flying over 
King's Landing. Yeah. And I thought it was a possible image of the future. Right. But once he said this, I'm thinking maybe it was an image of the past. But it, it's strange if that's an image from, from the past, though, because it would be the only thing, only shot of anything we've ever seen from that long ago. Well, we saw. Um, well, except true. from except for the White Walker being made. You know, That's but that was true. like thousands yeah. of years ago. We we haven't seen anything from that. It happened like a hundred years ago. It was about a hundred years ago when the last dragon but died. I, right? I, like like you, I did note that he did not see the future, so it made yeah. me kind of second guess. Yeah, when various, that dragon yeah, flew over various things too, because we had speculated that you know Bran has access to the the ice network, ice Wi Fi, and so does the the Night King. It seems so. We had speculated that via that technology, that capability, that maybe the Night King had seen the future and known that knew the dragons would be at north of the wall at that battle at what we think is potentially also hard home. So yeah. maybe the Night yeah. King knew the dragons would be there. Maybe not. We'll just have to keep you know, keep our eyes out and see if we can determine whether or not they're able to see the future or see different versions of the future. Cause also, um, the, the three eyed Raven, the first one had said he'd waited for Bran for a thousand years. So that indicates that he could see the future. Yeah, As, that's true. You know what I mean, it's interesting. Or maybe he was from the future. <laughs> like if he was Bran, some bugged out shit happens and it goes backwards through time or something. I don't know. Who knows? This, this show's all fucked up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> so Bran's like asking Sam why he came to Winterfell and Sam's like, dude, like I'm on your side. I got to fight with John. He can't do it by himself. You he know, I had to come. right now. Yeah. And Bran tells him, oh, this is a great moment too. He's on his way back to Winterfell. With Daenerys Targaryen. You saw this you in saw a vision? This in a vision? <laughs> and he just holds up the scroll like, no, I didn't need a vision oh. for that. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And this is when we get it. The truth. Oh my God. And the music starts going. Oh, so good. Starts ramping up. He needs to know the truth. The truth about what? About himself. No one knows. No one but me. John isn't really my father's son. He's the son of Rhaegar Targaryen and my aunt, Lyanna Stark. He was born in a tower in Dawn. His last name isn't really Snow. It's Sand. It's not. It's not. <laughs> Dornish bastards are named Sand. And he, he like missed it. He missed the detail that first time when he witnessed this. He must have just been so distracted by the, the madness. That she like, says Targaryen. Yeah. He, Aegon Targaryen. Yeah, he missed the name because she whispered it. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't like close enough to get that detail, I guess. Um, just shows that even his perception is potentially fallible. You know, he can miss details and things like that. So hopefully that doesn't become a problem in the future. I think he's still learning how to. Yeah, he is. He needs to be. And I think also she says it so quietly. And I think he was really um, surprised by the scene because she was supposed to be raped and murdered. And here she is like dying from childbirth. Well, as far as he knows, she still potentially could have been raped. And yes, but she wasn't murdered. She died from childbirth. Yeah, I don't think there really is an official story for how Liana died. 
I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know if that like appears in the books at all or if there's um, theories out there. We just know um, that Ned didn't really talk about it. I would love to know. But um, I think Bran is watching this vision of her handing a baby to his dad. Right, he's just and so distracted by like everything that's happening that he's like mentally like this is a total mind. It's like fuck it's the him. reverse of Cersei where she sees all the details and doesn't see the bigger picture. He is seeing the bigger picture and seeing John and not noticing the details yeah, and noticing that it's like realizing it's John and that he's the rightful heir or that that like that he is who he is, but he doesn't he doesn't pick up on the details the first time. He sees like everything in perspective, kind of, but slightly wrong. So funny. But yeah, he's he's like, his name isn't Snow, it's Sand. In Sam's face, he's like... He's like having like, a revelation. Yeah, like you see it all wash across his face. He starts kind of like shaking his head and yeah, his eyes get shaking. really wide. And he, he's like, oh my God. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, it's not. You know, like, And he like realizes it. It hits him all of a sudden. Like, what a fucking moment. That he, yeah, at the Citadel, I, I transcribed a High Septon's diary. He annulled Rhaegar's marriage to Ilya. He wed Rhaegar and Lyanna in a secret ceremony. Brands like, <gasps> Brands like, oh, oh I my just God. literally, like, all the hairs on my arms just stood up when I said that. <laughs> Brands like, are you certain? Is it possible? Sam's like, I don't know why this guy would lie. It was his, his private diary. diary. Dude, in a high septon, it's not like just some random person. Yeah. This is like a big deal. And then Bran's like, I got to investigate. <laughs> like, yeah, is this something that you can see? And he's like, let me tap into my network. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Computer Bran, activate. <laughs> Download data. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. We're such nerds. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, we, it cuts to the wedding and it's happening and we're seeing it. And we see Rhaegar Father Targaryen Smith. for the first time. Yeah. And yeah. And who does he look like? He looks a lot like Viserys. I think Viserys got his total style from his brother. Oh, yeah. He was like trying to totally like rip it off. Yeah. He's biting his style. Totally. I thought it was the same actor when I first saw oh, it. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Like, different actor. That's crazy. But they look, but they a look lot alike. alike. Same like profile, the same shape of the nose. Um, In the wig that they have. Yeah. And- people he was criticized like people didn't think that this was good casting when it first happened like they were expecting something else from Rhaegar but I thought it you know I think the casting is pretty good it looks like it fits the family you know what I mean like yeah yeah whether they want him like more of like a warrior type look I'm not really sure more gallant or something (laughs) yeah I liked it because I feel like I, and this is the vibe. Maybe it's because Viserys was on the show. I always like had this image of like the the male Targaryens. Targaryens being like more feminine in a way, like in their style. Oh, gotcha. Not gotcha. necessarily like their tenacity or ability to be great warriors, but I always feel like their Some descriptions. Of them for sure. They always have like these the like the silver hair, and they have like their be- their told to be like beautiful right and right yeah you don't normally hear men described as beautiful exactly <laughs> jamie so lannister I, is another example of that exactly and kind beautiful of the same fool. thing is they have strong features both jamie and this actor that plays rhaegar but there's like a softness to them and then you add like the longer like flowy silver hair and yeah i thought it was a good cast i had no yeah thing. me too i didn't have a problem with it so 
they're they're going through the typical um, faith of the seven Father. wedding, repeating like you were saying, saying in unison, Father Smith, warrior, like we saw with Rob Stark and Talisa, uh-huh. and like we've seen so many different times. And um, Rosalind and uh, what's his face? And Edmure. Edmure Tully. And the floppy yeah. fish. Yeah. Floppy fish. And Bran, again, is having a a big picture revelation at this moment where he's realizing that Lyanna wasn't kidnapped or raped, that she was in love with Rhaegar and that something beautiful was happening. He loved her. You know, and he sees it as they kiss and he realizes, he says, we get the narration to come over it. in that scene? For, yeah, th- probably. Yeah, like, I think because she, she looks, it, it's hard to tell. I, I, yeah, I didn't see, but I, like, um, I'm assuming it, she's that she's wearing like a long flowy dress, but she's kind of a small figured woman, but it looks like she has a baby bump. But I couldn't, I rewound it a few times. I think she's pregnant. I, I bet she is. Yeah. So John's there too, techni- <laughs> technically, <laughs> which is cool. And we get this music. Leading into the the Danny and John theme, and I, I think we could call it the Rhaegar and Lyanna theme during this part. Yeah, and uh, it's it's cool because Rhaegar and Lyanna led to the creation of John, so it's 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 neat having their theme song build and develop right into the John and Danny theme song as they're like a progression from generation to generation and like in a, you know, a progression from theme to theme in the song. Yeah. It's so good. Ramin Jawadi is a genius. Yeah. So it makes sense that he won an Emmy for like just creative, cool stuff like that. You know, this this whole episode, episode, like musicality wise is seamless, I guess is the only way I can really describe it. Like from one scene to the next, it flows so well and it yeah. builds so much tension and it builds so much oh, emotion. So many emotions, yeah. It's crazy. He's a genius. Definitely. And then we cut to the boat. <laughs> um, yeah, then it cuts to the boat after they kiss. And John walks up to Danny's door and knocks. And the music starts going even more. The John and Danny theme comes in, <sighs> yeah. I love how he hesitates first, too. He, like... Yeah. <laughs> Holds his hand up and he looks down and he like like takes a big like breath in and then he's like Does knock it. knock knock and then he's like oh fuck I shouldn't have done that. And Bran <laughs> says he loved her, realizing that Rhaegar loved loved Lyanna, but it the camera's looking at John when when he he says it. It's so genius it, the yeah. way this whole scene cuts in and out. Totally. And then it cuts to Danny and on screen and he sh- and he says and she loved him. And it's just like, so like mirroring these two events together. I'm seriously getting goosebumps. It's hard for it's me to so like want to like this scene was so hard because you know it's coming. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's like incest, you know that it's incest, but you want desperately for them to like get together because they don't know it's incest. Right. How <laughs> you got to be a really good writer to get like. 99% of the world rooting for it's incest. It's like, I don't right? want to like it, but I do, I do. And it drives me crazy. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, I'm sure it's caused quite of a bit of like confliction, but <laughs> introspection with It makes me feel viewers. awkward about my feelings about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, I still exactly. love it. I like want to see it and I so want to funny. see them together. It's hilarious. They don't know. You know they don't. I know. I know. It's not like, I right. think that's the de- the difference between like the Jamie and Cersei situation and the John and Danny situation, like incest wise is Cersei and Jamie like know what they're doing. Yeah. And they're 
like their their blood relation, their brother and sister. It's like really close genetically. Whereas like they, Danny and John, they, have they no don't know. Reason to suspect. They have no. They're the same. Aside age. from the little details that we've talked about, where like, oh, Drogon seems to like John, or oh, John doesn't like killing either. That was a, a characteristic. Yeah, but that, that would not had. even like exactly. That's not anywhere near enough to make you know them. You like, know, but like an aunt and a nephew, like I yeah. feel like the genetics are like far enough apart that <laughs> you're trying to rationalize it now, Rachel. I Make am it stop rationalizing right there. No, it because <laughs> it's like weird for me to like want to like it. It's like I always rationalize it. It's like that's funny. I mean, if they were to have a, a baby, it would like genetically, I think, be okay. You know what I mean? Like, whereas. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is also like a typical Targaryen scenario, right? Oh, really? Like aunts and nephews? Well, at least incest. I mean, Aegon and his two sister wives. I'm, I'm sure there's been like you know aunts and nephews or some crazy shit like that too as well. (laughs) Like whoever, if 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 the family tree is running low, you gotta you know pick pick them from where you can get them to to keep that bloodline pure as possible. I guess. Yeah. It's weird, but I like it. It mirrors real history, you know, so there's an element of relatability for sure. He loved her. And she loved him. And I love how she just like... She just pushes she opens the door, the door open. and she just pushes the door open. Yeah. He's like beckoning him. You know, it's a, it's a, like, yeah, the door's open. Oh my god, literally yeah. and metaphorically. Oh uh, my goodness! So he walks in and the door closes, and right as they're, as he like walks in and they never take their eyes off of each other's eyes. He walks in, turns to his left as he passes the doorway and they're like locked onto each other. And as the door closes, as it passes Danny's face, the last thing we can see of her is that she is just still locked onto John and their theme is playing so beautifully. And then ominously the music changes as we see Tyrion. Yeah, because he's creeping lurking and we get a very, very ominous very and sad foreboding note in the music and it like settles in a very different place than it had been a second ago. It's really like Ramin Javadi was being very clear with the music there that like something is not right, you know, and we're, we've been worried that it's Tyrion like this is after his secret meeting, you know, we don't, you don't get to see what happens with Cersei after Tyrion sees that she's pregnant, but we do get Tyrion in that same scene saying that his biggest regret, like the thing that he feels the most guilty about in, in the, in the world is what happened to those children because of him partially. So it's, it's feasible that Cersei could have made him swear that no matter what happens, he won't do anything to endanger the child that she the still child. has, you know, like it's something that could have possibly happened, you know, yeah. although we do get the hint that she potentially deceived him as well. And he may not be in on her deception. Um, so it could be innocent and it could just be that he was, he was mad that like he was, he was first mad after John compromised their negotiation by, admitting to kneeling, having knelt to Danny and essentially admitting that there, there, there's something happening there, you know, that they're allies. It's quickly happening, you know, like their relationship 
has potentially affected their diplomatic relations with Cersei at this point. That made Tyrion mad. And this is eerily mirroring the scenario with Rob Stark, how he married Talisa and mm-hmm. and love overcame duty and it ended up costing him his head, literally. And his progeny was killed and his wife was killed and his mother was killed and their whole army was slaughtered. And here we have a similar thing happening where they're falling in love and they have, they're going to have to straddle the balance between the, the priorities of, you know, the love and duty. And even like when, when Davos was with John a couple episodes ago and he said, you know, her good heart, I've seen how you look at her good heart. Yeah. And he's like, I don't have time for that. He can't let love be the death of duty because duty is the, is life here. That's like life is on the line as a whole. When I first watched this and I saw Tyrion creep in under the stairwell, my first thought was, is he intended to marry her at right. some point? Right. Because he had been and positioning himself as we exactly. talked about We've getting Dario it. out of the way. And, and you know, talking about, you know, aligning herself with like a noble house and, yep. um, you know, the scene where she names him Hand of the Queen. And he's in love and you can see it. Yeah. So I when I first watched it. Right. There's so many layers. I to this. felt like he just was really sad because yeah. that part of his plan is not going to pan out. Yep. And then you look um, again and deeper and you realize that there's that whole Cersei. There's angle. that whole Cersei layer. And then you look again even sure. deeper and you realize all these layers from previous seasons where love has been the death of duty and this whole like overarching theme. And it's just like, there's so many layers of, of things happening here. The writing is so good. It is so good. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we flash back to after Leona gives birth to John and Ned's kneeling beside her and Bran goes and John, John's real name. And then we cut back to Leona. His name is Aegon Targaryen. Oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's a fucking Targaryen. Like, this is ins- insane. Yeah, you have to protect him. Promise me, Ned. Oh, and, oh God. my God. You can see the weight of the truth hitting Ned. His, I love that actor so much. So good. You know, his his blood is suddenly the mortal enemy of his best friend, you know, and he's bestowed upon him and he's realizing that he, the difficulty that faces him because he knows that he realizes that what he's heard is a lie, you know, that that when we like, see her lip, uh, her, we see her say, you know, like Robert will kill him. You yeah. know, he will, like you have to protect him. Like promise you me know he will. her, the sense of urgency in her voice is so like gut wrenching because she knows she's going to die. And, and there's nothing more that you want in life than to protect your child. And this you is know? another love versus duty situation with Ned Stark. You know, the one person who duty would always be, who would come first in, in this case, he chooses love. Whereas his duty under his commander, Robert would be, you know, to obey Robert and to expose the truth here. He chooses love and decides to protect Aegon and call him John and, and is loyal to his sister and sacrifices a lot, you know, (laughs) for it. It's just so like so much like he's just 
like thrust into the grips of this impossible decision, a similar decision that Jamie had to make, you know, when he had to just choose to kill the king. He, Ned is essentially betraying his king here, Robert, by doing this, you know? So yeah. in a way, um, Ned is betraying his king just like Jamie did. Jamie stabbed the Mad King in the back, and you could say that uh, Ned is backstabbing Robert here by by covering up this important truth. And it's like, crazy! What a just what a tragedy! This whole situation. I know it's he's doing a dishonorable, honorable thing. If that makes any sense, like he's dishonoring his king, but he's doing the honorable thing by protecting his nephew. And it's just a balance of priorities again. You know? Yeah, it's. You know, and Jamie talks a lot about this with Brienne. It's like when there's so many oaths to keep, like right. you're bound to break one honor of them. Honor your father, honor your king. What happens when your king asks you to kill your father? You know, like what do you do? You know, it's like you're gonna have to break one of them, right? And so, man, it's just so intense. Like the intensity of this situation, it's it's on an epic scale, like a Shakespearean tragedy of galactic proportions, like a relationship so beautiful and so potent between Rhaegar and Lyanna, who, you know, ice and fire connect at this tournament and in bizarre circumstances and fall in love and realize that they're part of a, like a, a destiny and a prophecy and they sacrifice everything to be together and, in doing so, would have united the North and the South together in preparation to overthrow the Mad King. Rhaegar knew about the prophecy and realized that the prince that was promised was potentially his progeny and was focused on preventing the Long Night, essentially, forging the prince that was promised from this combination of ice and fire. So it's like this Romeo and Juliet-esque tragedy with star-crossed lovers from opposite warring families. You know, a tale that ends in tragedy, a dead prince, a dead wife and mother, both Romeo and Juliet dead at the end of, of that story, spoiler alert, a destiny lost and shattered to the winds of time. I love that connection. That's great. And just one shred of hope left behind in this case hidden and protected and secreted away to the north a king hidden as a bastard it's fucking epic yeah and so then we cut back over to the boat and danny's like on top of john <laughs> and they are like just going at it and there's a nip slip dangling He's- by their bellies like two sparrows <laughs> We see Danny's boob Damn, too. Damn, I, I missed the nip slip. It's a nip. It's a nip slip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. So I, I was actually kind of surprised by that because I've always kind of wondered how they like film these like naked sex scenes without like their stuff like actually touching one another. Right. But I mean, she is. She looks totally naked, and so does he. Like, what is there's, it? Like, uh, a lot of times they'll wear like a. Um, you know, something covering them and, and there'll be like contact, but not actually any like, um, like skin to skin. Yeah. Maybe like there'll be some skin to skin, but not necessarily full on. And a lot of times there's not penetration, you know, <laughs> but sometimes well, yeah. there is, you know? Yeah. Like, didn't you hear recently that, um, what's his face called Drogo? Jason Momo is wearing like a pink fuzzy, um, what is it? They, uh, they call it a, like um, a dick cover. Yeah. What do they call it? A, uh, um, modesty sock. <laughs> it was pink and fluffy. Oh my God. Yeah. It seems like it would not help. I know it. Well, he like pounds her too. I mean, 
Like you see like her butt jiggling and stuff in that scene. Yeah. It's, there's yeah. And in between takes, he was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry about this. Amelia. Like, <laughs> literally. <laughs> like how awkward is that? It's cause like, I, I just think Jason Momoa is married yeah, and like Jon Snow is married and right. I, you know what I mean? It's like, it kind of blows my mind a little bit. Like the, the technical aspect. I know like this scene is very well done and it's extremely passionate, but, but these are still real people with real these lives are real and real people relationships. With, like, real relationships. Real life. Yeah. And I can't like, she's like her boobs are like touching his chest. And I just feel like that would be so awkward for the act, like especially Kit Harrington being that he's married. Right. So like, do you know what I mean? It's also just, like, it's gotta be awkward for this spouse, like for Rose Leslie. And <laughs> like, yeah, it's a some degree. I, I'm sure it's fucking really awkward for Amelia Clark too, because yeah. she like knows these people outside of the show. And it's like, yeah, like our genitals touched yeah. <laughs> and, and my boobs were on your husband's chest. And sorry about that. Kind of, yeah, it's just, I, I can't help but like look at it from that perspective sometimes. Uh, it's and so funny. Just like the technicality of shooting a scene like that because they are naked, like oh, yeah. naked, naked. And yeah. And so he like flips her over. Yep. And she like, you know. They just start going at it, yep. making and out. Get, and we get more uh, more voiceover from Bran, realizing, you know, putting the rest of it in perspective, like the final piece. He's never been a bastard. The final important details that he's he's never been a bastard. He's the heir to, he's the, the, heir to the Iron Throne. <laughs> like, you can only oh imagine, like, the, the, the vibe in the room between Sam and... And Bran, as they make this amazing discovery together, like the most important. And they have no idea that he's like having sex with Daenerys Targaryen at this very moment. (laughs) Or Bran could be watching. (laughs) Oh my god, it's so like it's so typical in like such typical Targaryen fashion that this would be happening. So the fact that it is happening is just so ironic because they don't know that they're Targaryens, you know. So there's that whole element too, which is hilarious. Oh man, it's just wild and. They, as Sam and Bran are realizing this, and like this amazing connection is happening between John and Danny, as like ice and fire are combining again, and we're getting all this amazing music. And Bran's just like, he needs to know, you know, we need to tell him. And like, <laughs> fuck, he does need to it's know. Like, no, don't tell him. <laughs> <laughs> don't oh, do it. Man, what a scene. Oh. And the music just makes yeah. it and the, the lighting in the room. And like you said, we're all rooting for incest at this point, basically. No, like, it's so wrong. It is so wrong. But it feels like, so right. It in, does. In this case. It feels so right <laughs> in, in this case. case. It's like, I don't even care it's anymore. Yeah. Like, oh, they did such a good job. Their, their chemistry. I know that Kit Harrington is married to Rose Leslie, but they know, have some amazing just, chemistry. It's yeah. there. It's electric, like that look between electric. the two of them when he walks into the room and they're just locked onto each other. Like it's fucking intense for sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, his chemistry was a little bit stronger with um, Egret in the cave because they were like in love at that uh. point. Um, and you can just feel that a little bit more. But this is a, it, this is close. I mean, they they portray it extremely well. Yeah. I thought it was really awesome. Like really well done. 
Anything else you want to add or should we move on to your uh, number three? That was my number three. Oh, your number two then. So my number two is the wall comes tumbling down. Oh, nice. Of course, that's my number one. And I know what your number one is. What's my number one? The death of Littlefinger. It is. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted it to be like I had. So I wanted the death of Littlefinger to be in my top five. I wanted it to be my number one. And I was having a really hard time choosing between the the like the grand meeting and the wall falling down. I felt that they were kind of like equals. Yeah. As far as like importance and my number two is the grand meeting. So perfect. Fabulous. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So we cut up to the wall and first we get brand by the heart, the heart tree warging into the Ravens. And so he's watching. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. So he's the one. Cause we, we get the Ravens. They, they're cawing. They're all sitting up around the wall mm-hmm. and uh, up at the top. Bran, like ever, he's such like um, a sentinel, just like on guard, you know? Yeah. And so Tormund and Beric, they're patrolling the top of the wall and they look towards the north and Beric is like, dude, it's a long way down. The crows keep telling me I'll get used to it. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's a guy, he goes, I can see movement. Watch on the tree line. And we get a horn blast like, too, right? Yeah. And then the horn blast and the other guy goes, what is it? And then all of a sudden out of the, the oh, brush and the so trees, good. the undead army emerges as far as the eye can see. With riders leading them out every in like intervals. Yes, and then you get this creepy spears. music, like clicking like a clock, hinting like time yes. is running out. It's up. <laughs> It reminded me of the music at the beginning of The Dark Knight when we, like, get the first scene at the bank robbery with the Joker. And there's, like, a similar type of vibe with, like... Oh, really? I don't remember the music. I remember that scene, but I don't remember the music. Yeah, it's, like, it's, like, a very distinctive, like... You can... It's, like, uh, it just evokes, like, a feeling of time. You know what I mean? And everything about that bank robbery scene is calculated down to the second. It all revolves around time. Like, he's, like, oh, and, like, I kill the bus driver. You know, and, like, steps aside and... bus comes flying through the door right at that time because he's got everything planned out to a T. Whereas he claims he plans nothing. It's total deception. Can't believe anything the Joker says. (laughs) But yeah, we get that clicking like, you know, telling us time is running out with these, like the dead are coming and... Like a rhythmic sound. Yeah, it's so... Building tension. Really good. And then so... Three horn blasts Yes, it's three oh, horn blasts. Remember it's, that? Remember that back in season one when they explained yeah, when they're up the at significance? The fist. Yeah, even before that, when we like first arrived to the wall and rangers return with like Benjen or something leading the way, and yeah, and Samwell is actually the one that says that. Oh, that you know, gives one us the blast, explanation. Yeah, right. Yeah, rangers one returning. blast for rangers, two blasts for wildlings, three for white walkers. Yeah, and it, it hasn't gone off three times in so long, and like, it was foreshadowing the first time that we we uh, had that happen, where we got three horn blasts, but here, it's like, at that first time that we got three horn blasts, that was foreshadowing this. <laughs> where like, yeah, they this arrive is like at, at an the extreme wall. level. Yeah, they arrive at the wall to take it down, you know, and that's when the three horn blasts are like a big deal. Yeah, and so um, 
the whole army is now out of the woods and they stop oh. and they're, they're still as fuck. You're like, what? And we happening? cut back up to the wall and Tormund and Beric are like, Oh fuck us. And then out in the distance, we hear a dragon screech. Oh man. And it's like, Oh no. And it comes flying out from the darkness. Dude. So fast. It's super fast. Okay. So did you notice, I was curious he is able to blow flames longer than the other dragons. I, in my I, opinion, yeah, I feel like he's now exponentially stronger that like now it's ice magic combined with fire magic. And he's like even more powerful than Drogon. I'm going to make a prediction right now. <laughs> I feel like Viserion undead Viserion is going to kill Drogon. Oh no. I know. No. Oh God. And it's going to ground Danny because she's only ever flown Drogon and John is going to have to, in a flight of fancy, in a moment of destiny, hop on the back of Rhaegal and take off and essentially sacrifice him, his own life in an effort to take out the night King. There's an ancient, a tale from the dance of dragons where two dragon riders are fighting in an aerial battle, a dog fight over the God's eye lake. Oh, damn. And one of the dragon riders undoes his safety chain and leaps off the back of his dragon and flies downwards and lands on the back of the other dragon, impaling his spear through the eye of the enemy fighter, you know, another Targaryen during the the Dance of Dragons. Sorry, his sword. And not just any sword, it was Dark Sister. And I feel like that story of yore may be a foreshadow of what could happen here. (laughs) John could leap off of Viserion and... Oh my gosh. Sorry, Rhaegal. And in an effort to take out the Night King, sort of like Jamie risking his life to try to <laughs> javelin uh, or try to joust Danny <laughs> a couple episodes ago. And oh it's goodness. probably not going to happen. Crazy. It's too obvious, you know, because of the story of what had already happened in the aerial battle and it happening, but it would be so nuts if that did happen. You know, I feel like Drogon's in danger. I don't like that. I, don't want that to come true, Duncan. Yeah, neither at all. do I. <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah, so John I dies. don't think I'm going to like a lot of things that happen in season eight. Oh, I know, I know. I'm going to hate them, but I'm going to love them at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I hope all of our predictions are wrong, too. I just want to be like totally surprised by whatever does happen. Yeah. I think we'll probably hit a couple on the head and be totally blown away by other ones. Yeah. Oh, man. So. I noticed that Viserion like is able to spit flames for a really, really long time. Yeah. Cause like we just had the loot train battle and we kind of saw Drogon would come in, spit his fire. It would go, I mean, it spit for a long time, but then it would stop and he would fly up and then he would spit again, spit the fire. And Viserion He's like just, the Energizer Dragon. He just keeps going. Yeah, and going. it just it never stops. Yeah, and we get these like as he's just blasting un unlimited supply of this icy flames. Uh, we get these close these awesome close ups of his face. He's like like we get this crazy sound.
and the fire is just like blue flame. Yeah. Oh my god. It, it, a couple of those so shots. Now we have blue fire. Now we have green fire yep. and red fire. Yeah. Totally. Very interesting. And uh, his head is just kind of like ah, like going back and forth and just spraying the flames. And we get this amazing sound of his screeching as he's doing it. And these blazes of blue flames are just like these gargantuan blasts are just penetrating all the way through the wall and just shooting out the other side. I know. And Tormund <sighs> and Beric are standing there like in total fucking disbelief. Yeah. Oh my God. And the, and Viserion is hovering and like, we get these amazing shots of the night King on his the back. Night King on the and dragon. Just like the CGI here is incredible. And oh they, God, the he physics. starts blasting the wall again. And yeah, Tarman and Beric start running down the watchtower. And like, I love, <laughs> I love Tarman. He's like, run! just like, yeah. <laughs> totally. and they all start fleeing and the wall just kind of starts to oh buckle and God. fall and the stairways are shaking and people are falling off the walls and there's just fire everywhere. And the undead army is just standing there like totally motionless. Yep. Attention, you know, just add attention. Yep. And we see that Beric and Tormund, they, the wall like literally collapses on either side of where they're standing. <laughs> oh my God. And it's like, oh my God, the wall came tumbling down. Yes, it did. And it, it, like the second kind of the dust settles, they start marching. And the drums are kind of playing, I think. And it's just like dominoes, too. Once that one section of the wall falls, it just like Like triggers all the way out to the sea. (laughs) Oh, man. So intense. You can tell, though, it, you know, that you have to like kind of go up the wall because of all of the The wreckage. Imagine all the rubble. So they still like are kind of like wandering through hills and valleys of the the broken ice. Oh, it's so cool. Massive chunks of ice too, like jagged peaks all around them. It's amazing. So and then we get um the Night King leads from above riding yes. Viserion onto Winterfell. There you oh, go. And they've done it. They've penetrated the wall and broken the defenses. Oh man, what a moment, right? Totally. Remember when that aired? Everybody I, predicted it, but it like it was so obvious, but it was so like it felt so good to finally it see it was happen. Like, you know, <laughs> so hard for it to be the cliffhanger, and we've been waiting for two years. I know. To, like, think about that—the most powerful, the most popular show on the planet taking a year off in its prime, leading into the the final season. That could have gone two ways: either people lose interest, and it, but it it didn't go that way at all. It only made <laughs> interest like hype up more. And got people more excited and built the anticipation even higher and led to them, like gave them more time to produce an even better product. Um, yeah. It, it's so intense. It's so, it's such a great show. Yeah. And it sucked waiting, but it's worth it. You know, like, I think it's going to be worth it. We're going to get something better. I seriously like lay in bed thinking about Game of Thrones sometimes and like what is going to come. <laughs> Like the anticipation, I feel like it's like Christmas and know, like Christmas right? is coming. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas is coming. It's, you know, it's like, oh my God, I can't wait. Someone sent us a picture of, of a meme where it's that it's the guy lying in bed facing away from the girl and the girl's kind of like 
facing the other direction, but looking over her shoulder, they're like back to back. Oh, yeah. And she's I wondering totally what he's thinking. That. I bet he's thinking about other women. And it's him, but the guy's speech bubble over his head, his thought bubble, he's thinking, I wonder how Drog- how big Drogon's going to be in season eight. <laughs> <laughs> I've totally seen that. It's great. It's so funny. Yeah. So, yeah, it finally happened after all of this time is Chekhov's wall. You know, you see a wall in, in act one, you know, it's coming down in act three. <laughs> you, you know about Chekhov's gun? You familiar with that? Yeah, I am. Um, you're probably going to articulate it better than I could, though. So I'll let you explain it. Oh, yeah. You, you see a gun in act one, you expect it to be used in act three. Yeah, exactly. So the concept like, of the wall here, it just in general was a giant Chekhov's gun where it's this this barrier of protection. And we know at some point it was destined to come down because that is what's going to lead to like the, the main, the main plot. aspect of the show. Yeah, the big exactly. arc of the plot it revolves around that big piece of protection being gone. So it was inevitable and it was fantastic the way they I did it. I just didn't think it was going to be the very last scene of the seventh season. I know, season. right? It's so crazy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I knew it was going to come down in season seven at some point, but like I thought maybe it wasn't going to be the very last, <laughs> last thing. thing that we were left with. Oh, and the, the physics of the dragon are so cool. Like he's flapping his wings and you can see his torso going up and down. It's yeah, like his muscles like expand and yeah, contract. And it's not like he, it's not like his, his body is perfectly still in the air and his wings are flapping around it. It's like his whole body is moving in conjunction with the wings and like nothing is perfectly stable, you know? So it's, it's a very realistic way to portray the flight of an animal. Like I just thought it was really, really impressive what they were able to pull off with the dragon physics in season seven. I can't even imagine what it's going to look like in season eight. It's going to be fucking epic. <laughs> it's going to be so good. Well, that's my number two. All right. My number two is the, negotiation scene itself. Okay. Okay. So cutting back over to the negotiation, Cersei, like we talked about, is asking, where's Daenerys? Basically, where is she? And we learn that she did not travel with Tyrion and the rest of the negotiation party. So there's all these little hints, basically, that she's traveling by dragon, you know, <laughs> which is a yeah. really good strategic I like move the way Tyrion part. says no. Yeah, it's he's just, just like, like no. she doesn't travel with us. <laughs> yeah. And then everybody's waiting and we hear a dragon screeching and everybody starts to stand up. Not Cersei, though. She sits, but Euron jumps up. She's trying to be so, and- like... I'm not afraid I'm so of you. so chill and powerful and I don't need to worry about yeah, this. Yeah, until the White Walker comes flying at her face. Yeah. <laughs> so she's uh, she's sitting and even Jamie has like a, a PTSD moment where he like remembers the it's loot like, oh train battle. Yeah, and jumps up and like gets, goes steps forward to get a like a view and Euron steps forward and everybody's like standing up and John walks out and oh, what a moment as Drogon like kind of kind of soars around quickly and then lands on the side of the pit and like uh, and we see kind of like Rhaegal's crum- flying like in the background too yeah he like yeah it's crumbling under him and he sort of like slinks downwards you know with his like his arms spread wide like he's halfway doing a push up you know <laughs> really cool and uh, it's just so like the graphics again here are just incredible like how do they do this and he like dips his head down, and we see Danny sitting on top of him. And he screech like he opens his mouth and lets out a big screech. Yeah, just like a show of power. 
<laughs> growls at everybody, roars, and Cersei looks a little shook here. She looks a little shaken up. She's trying so hard not to, like, yeah. sh- her poker face is pretty strong. <laughs> pretty strong, you yeah. Can, you can see a little chink in her armor when that dragon, yeah. like, I kind of want to, he almost, like, slides down into the pit. Yeah, it's so cool. He slinks downwards like a slinky. <laughs> and then the look washes over her face because yeah. she sees Daenerys Targaryen and she knows that it wasn't Marjorie Tyrell. Yes, exactly. She realizes it was Daenerys, the, like the younger, more beautiful queen from yep. the prophecy. She was wrong. It, that means that everything that she did, all of these decisions that decisions that she made that resulted in these horrible things, trying to prevent Marjorie from coming into power, she would have been a better ally. It would have been good for Tommen. You know, like Tommen's dead because of all this. You know. It's a reality check, potentially. Yeah, she realizes that she was, you know, living this prophecy, but it's like, oh my God. But it just pushes her further into delusion, you know? Like, yeah. It's crazy. And then she Euron can't accept sees it. Danny and he's like, I like <laughs> what I say. Yeah, totally. It's so funny. And, uh, Danny like starts stepping down off of Drogon and he, he, she gets to his shoulder and he like slowly he bends like, it down. Yeah. It looks like she's on an elevator. She just has her hand on his shoulder and yep, so he's like letting her down. Drops it down <gasps> like in such an elegant motion and he, his eyes never stray from monitoring the people that are there for the meeting. Just look like glaring at Cersei and the mountain and everybody. And Danny just steps right down. And he, his shoulder pops back up to like his posture that he was in. Like this I love the way stance. the dragons fly off. I know it's unbelievable. They like, like leap in the air. And it's incredible. It's so his well wings done. Like flap over the dais and or the dais. His wings span the entire dragon pit. He's yeah. He's so massive. He's it huge. covers the whole floor of it. Yeah. And it's shrouded in darkness for a second as he leaps into the His sky shadow. and flies away. Yeah, it's just amazing. And, and yeah, it's so, so I love crazy. how Danny like and Cersei make eye contact for the first time as she sits down. And then yeah. Danny just like looks forward. Yeah, she sits down and looks straight ahead and then turns to meet eyes with Cersei. It's so crazy. We've been here for some time. My apologies. <laughs> I loved that so much. Yeah, ever courteous. And she looks to Tyrion like, are you like, gonna, like you're up, like, buddy. You're up, dude. <laughs> yeah, you know her. And uh, he. this is when the negotiations start. Almost. <laughs> he begins speaking and Euron <laughs> cuts him off immediately. I'm like, dude, what? Just a mad dog. God He's damn. So crazy. crazy. I, Var- again, Varys' face. Yeah, He's like, like who what? is this guy? What is happening what here? Are you, like, what the fuck? And then Tyrion, Tyrion's reaction is priceless. Yeah. He's like, owns it. Uh, what the fuck yeah, is going Euron on? Yeah, because Euron isn't even talking about the situation. He starts addressing Theon. Like, yeah, it's like, I have your sister. It's yeah. Like, this has nothing to do with why you're here, dude. Like, I sit think we ought down. to begin with larger concerns. <laughs> well, then why are you talking? You're the smallest concern here. Damn. I love, I love Tyrion. He looks over at your or at Theon. Dear, like, yeah. And Theon's like, it wasn't even good. Yeah, do you remember when joke. we discussed dwarf jokes? To, <laughs> yeah, he explained it at the end. Never explain. It always ruins it. And that's like kind of like a Joker reference too. Never start with a head. Leaves the victim all fuzzy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You and your Joker stuff. Yeah, it's just everywhere. <laughs> it's so funny. 
So, uh, of course, Euron has to like just take it even farther. It, he just will kill not you at birth. An act of mercy for the parents, dude. That's fucking crazy. That's and so fucked up. You know, Jamie like had to speak up eventually because he always sticks up for Tyrion. So I'm glad that he did that. It shows he's on the right path still, um, and sort of foreshadows his decision later on, choosing the right decision and not bowing down to Cersei, um, who ends up being allied with Euron in secret, as we find out. So mm-hmm. him, him turning like standing up to Euron here foreshadows him standing up to Cersei at the end of the episode. So he's like, he's like, perhaps you ought to sit down, you know, and Euron talks back to him like, oh my God, dude. Why? Why? And this is... Sit down or leave. Yeah, and that means something. When Cersei stands up for Tyrion, you know, like, and she's probably, it's more like, you know, nobody talks shit about my brother except me. You know? I think it's not even, I I took it a totally different way. Like, she's not even really standing up for Tyrion, but this is so not why they're there. Right. Like, you just, you need to fall in line. Like, like you are stepping way out of your... right. Yeah, like, like your purview. You're just here for for the Navy, essentially. Like, you yeah. shouldn't even have a role to play in you this don't have a voice particular in this situation. situation. Yeah, yeah. So it's not even, like, necessarily the subject matter. It's just that he's, like, out of bounds here. And this also could be part of the ruse between Euron and, Cer- and Cersei. Like, maybe this is part of the plan. He just acts wild and then it's like, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah, and it's like, it has nothing to do with why they are there. It's a completely irrelevant yeah, totally. side. Yeah, so and that's I think entirely maybe possible. Euron thought he could do it because um, the Hound did it to his brother. Ah, maybe. Yeah, I think so. That a gave him the idea, <laughs> like, oh, I can, you know, fuck with Theon right now, but it's it's not this it's not on the same level yeah definitely you know? like i have your sister no one fucking plus cares, the meeting dude. had just started like shut the fuck up you know <laughs> yeah. like at least when the hound did it danny wasn't there yet yeah nothing was happening yet so it's like there was still like some flexibility some fluidity to the situation right <laughs> exactly so uh, this is when the ma- the meeting like really begins, you know, because the the mountain steps forward, threatening um, Euron, like you better fucking you know sit down or leave because I'm gonna make it happen one way or the other, like you know one. Yeah, I'll cut you in half and make you the half man. Yeah, exactly. So the meeting begins, and Tyrion has a great opening line: <laughs> "We are a group of people who do not like one another, <laughs> as this recent demonstration has shown." <laughs> <Which> <laughs> So true. And like he said, alluding says, to the outburst. Yeah. And again, showing people's reactions as they talk about these things. We've suffered at each other's hands. And it shows Cersei and Jamie who have suffered the loss of Tywin and have experienced their family being torn apart after Tyrion killed Tywin. You know, and it's it's like the way it, like it's shot, like you said, it's like a, it's just so good. Um, showing us everything we need to see without losing I'm not losing sure if it's beat. right here, but like we even get like glimpses of Brienne staring at Jamie and Jamie seeing her do that. And then it's another camera angle of Cersei looking at oh. Jamie, looking at Brienne. <laughs> Just and, like at the purple wedding. Yeah. It's the, the way that the camera angles cut in and out. So we feel like we're there yeah, watching. It's so good. The little nuances of the characters interacting right. I feel with like each that's other. something they said in the in the behind the scenes thing too. Like they I wanted think, you to feel I like you were there. Right. I think you're right. I didn't watch that this time because I ran out of time. But it sounds um, familiar. Yeah, Justin woke up from his nap, so I, I maybe that's where I'm getting it from because it, it truly is brilliant. Yeah, it's so good. So 
she, he's like, we didn't have to meet. We're entirely capable of waging war without ever meeting face to face. And of course, Cersei has to be, you know, argumentative here. So she's like, what, we're just going to live in harmony, settle it all. (laughs) She's so sarcastic. Yeah, always. Like in a weird way, I kind of like Cersei's sarcasm. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure. I gotcha. Like, I don't like Cersei as a character, you but lo- I like... It's like you love to hate her type thing. She's it's witty. Like, yeah, right. Like, she has she's, good lines. She's sharp. Like, yeah, you know, like in her own I way. Lo- I like... If not cunning, she's sharp, you know? Yeah, I like people that have that kind of wittiness about them. So, I kind of... Um, I like it when she does that, even though... Yeah, she's got a spark to her conversational... It's one of the few aspects of the Cersei character that I enjoy is her witty (laughs) comments, however unnecessary they are or impertinent to the situation. They're, they're kind of humorous in a way. I have a super dry sense of humor, so (laughs) I kind of like it. (laughs) Yeah. So, so Tyrion's like, no, like we know that's not going to happen. We're just going to, we're not going to just going to get along. And Cersei's like, well, then what the fuck? Like, why are we here, man? And that's John's cue. You know? <laughs> so he steps forward to talk about how it's really like the war for life and death. And we all like, it's not about being friends. It's just about living. And we like, it's the great war is what we need to focus on. Cause there's a general that you can't negotiate with. And I'm like, hmm, maybe, maybe Cersei can marry him. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe Cersei will figure out some way to tempt him and te- like team up with him. Um, so an army that doesn't leave corpses behind on the battlefield. And I'm like, oh shit, that's in the, the battlefield. And, um, he brings up how Tyrion mentioned how a million people live in the city. Cause that was interesting when they're riding up on the city, John had never been there before. So we're seeing John arrive to King's Landing for the first time and in su- be surprised at how many people live there. Just the vast amounts of people, right? A million yeah. people. And so uh, John's saying like a million people, that's just a million more soldiers. They don't leave corpses behind because they turn, they become the army like this. And that's, what's so stupid about Cersei. Jamie understands this and he's like, Oh God, we all just need to fight. There needs to be a unified front. Cersei doesn't understand that. Yeah. The North, the, like the Northmen will go North with Danny and get wiped out. But that's just going to be, they're just going to be fodder for the army. They're going to amplify the undead forces. It's going to double in size. Yeah. So like, she's so stupid. Like she can't see the forest through the trees. She's so focused about, you know, like maintaining power and everything that she's, she's going to put it all like humanity on the line for her own pride, essentially. What are the, what are the lives of the people worth? Like how much is your pride worth? Right. That, that question. Cersei will never kneel. That's so that's saying like she's willing to kill everybody, basically. Yeah, she's willing to be queen of the ashes. Yeah. But I mean, and again, with her kind of like snarky comments, I love it. She goes, I imagine for most of them, it will be an improvement. Yeah. Again, <laughs> so like, yeah. She's so horrible. And John, this, this is, is serious. serious. Yeah. And it's so true. It's like, stop being snarky. And as much as I love the snarkiness, like, this is not a time to be snarky. Right. But in fairness to Cersei, it she is doesn't a believe any of this yeah, bullshit. It seems like nonsense. Like she says, yeah, it, I don't, I don't think this is serious at all. It's a, just another bad joke, you know, like, and she says, it's like, um, what did the maester say? A child surviving beyond the wall with the help of a magical raven. <laughs> 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 you know? Yeah, She's like, if my brother, 
told me correctly. You're asking for a truce because of an undead army. Like, this is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, that's it. Can you shut up and listen, Cersei? Yeah. And she goes, that's all. Pull back my armies and stand down while you go on your monster hunt. Right. Or why you solidify and expand your position. Yeah, what Hard are you really doing? Hard for me doing? to know, which it is, like, with my armies pulled back. Yeah. So that you go, you do your thing, and then you return after marshalling your forces to being 10 times as strong now that you're allied with the North, which she's about to find out, which makes her even more suspicious about their true intent. Yeah. And, and I'm so, like, yeah, it's a solid concern. You know, <laughs> Danny's like, look, I'm not interested in taking your the capital, capital she says, from your you capital. until this threat is dealt with. So you have my word that you're safe for now yeah. basically yeah and i thought it was interesting too because cersei had said like something about my capital and danny replies here saying your capital will be safe so she's acknowledging that it's under cersei's possession for now yeah. she's like willing Which, to let for it now, slide currently. you know and i, I liked that <laughs> yeah it was interesting that Very thought interesting process choice of her words. choice of words yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there an echo in here <laughs> <laughs> oh man yep the word so, of a you would be, she's like, you'll, your capital will be safe until the Northern threat is dealt with. You have my word. The word of a would be usurper. Tyrion's like, okay, time out. We cannot wipe out the last 50 years from one conversation. So we need to move forward. Yeah. He sees the venom on Cersei's face and just like the bite in her words as she's like, and I love vicious. Danny. Like she rolls her eyes. She's just it's like, she takes this like breath in through her nose and she's just like, yeah, fucking stupid bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when, you know, it's time to bust out the evidence. We have something to show you. Oh my God. I love his face when he says that it's so expressive. Yes, like his eyes are oh wide. Because he's seen it, you know, I'm sure, like, heard it, like, thrashing about yeah. in this crate. Yeah, I don't think and he's seen he's it yet, like, but he knows it's there. We have something to show you. Like, this is... This is fucking... We didn't come here to, man. like, convince you to believe our stories. Like, we brought proof. This isn't about talking, you know, like... If any more words come pouring out your cunt mouth... <laughs> I'm going to have to eat every fucking chicken in this room. Right. That's what Danny's basically thinking when Cersei's talking. Yeah. And then the hound goes to retrieve the, the box. And I thought it was interesting. He, he goes to get it and he's carrying it up the stairs here and it's on his back. And we've seen this like symbol, like Jesus symbolism before with John and in various occasions. Mm -hmm. um, and and Danny as well, I believe. And here we may, we have some sort of like Jesus symbolism with Sandor. Like this is sort of made me think of bearing the cross mm. as he's carrying it um, up the stairs and towards the forward, like the, towards the, like to the middle of the dragon pit here. And he like sort of kneels and puts it down. So I thought that was interesting. It could be more like hinting that he may be like in the running for prince that was promised type thing yeah like a more important role yeah born amidst salt and and smoke you know uh the, the salt from his tears as the the smoke burns from his face Ooh, when, damn you know, when nice Gregor pushed Duncan. his face into the fire so I like that <laughs> thanks yeah so that's entirely possible we're getting like you know uh, symbolism Along those lines here, I feel that's a heavy box too. That guy is yeah. super strong. That's a, a big box. Again, yeah, yeah. Another reason we saw him carrying that big ass log. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> did you? Man. I noted. So when they're on the ship and he flicks the box, that the White Walker goes fucking uh -huh. nuts. Yeah. 
he's like moving this box around and like something it on the ground nothing's and like happening oh, and nothing's happening. No. And I was like, Oh no. Like what if there's like some magical spell over King's landing right. where, or if it's because just they, like dead they tried again. to bring that hand in. Right. And it yeah. In the book, like stop moving by the time it got to King's landing. Exactly. So, so I thought when I first watched it, it's like, I wonder if there's some like magical spell over King's landing that like doesn't allow their necromancy to, work in this area yeah and the whole the audience is wondering is it dead you know is this all for nothing that whole yeah, mission is it a failure box over yeah and we I learned mean, that it was just playing dead and like <laughs> just waiting for its moment to strike <laughs> oh my god as it ah, animates and jumps out of the box and, and goes cersei, screeching like, at cersei flies to the back of her oh, chair man. so like her her like demeanor completely changes 180 degrees. Moment of real panic. And interestingly, the mountain does nothing. We'd expect the mountain to step forward and intercede. Oh, I didn't notice behalf. that. I didn't realize the mountain didn't step forward. Yeah, like everybody is just in shock. Maybe he was like, oh, a fellow brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not a threat. He was also instructed, like when... Um, when Cersei gave his instructions to him, if anything happens, kill kill the dragon queen first, the king bastard king second or whatever. He she gives him a specific order. Maybe he is like thinking like, Oh, I can't kill yet. You know, I, I, my first target has to be this one, you know? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He's following that, the, That's more of like kind order. of a joke comment. Like I think, I, I, I don't know. Like he, he didn't react. It though. could it's be interesting. though. Cause he didn't, I mean, if he didn't react, I find that yeah. kind of strange. She recoils in horror as the, as Sandor grabs the chain that's that's holding on to him under the white and rips right him at back. the last possible moment. And his hands are like inches from Cersei's face as he's gnashing his jaws at her and screeching. And this look of horror is on Cersei's face as her hands like contort and her face contorts. They're grabbing the, like, the, she looks like how I look when I'm flying through turbulence in an airplane. Uh, or almost like, like gripping the seat in yeah. terror. And it, it, it's, I feel like this is her moment to have that Ilaria reaction where Ilaria reacted to Oberyn's head being crushed and there's that look of horror on her face. And a couple episodes ago when Cersei had Ilaria in the chamber and she mentioned that scream, how it was like horrifying and she'd never heard anything like it and i thought it was like meta commentary about the actress's brilliant performance and here we yes. have cersei trying to like emulate that that horror in this moment and she doesn't even scream she doesn't try to take the the, the all glory. her body language yeah. i love it so I, much i felt like it was like respectful to the actress who played Alaria that cersei's not trying to scream here and 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 capture that like take the glory away from from her accomplishment there she does a, a wordless like look of horror and uh captures the feeling in a different way which i thought was cool well so this is actually where the mountain kind of steps forward is after the white gets ripped back by towards, sandor yeah jamie and the mountain they kind of go forward to protect cersei yeah and jamie spasmed in fear when the white when the white came running to I mean, him. he didn't step forward disbelief he, on him. i think they're just they're in disbelief right and terror like this like, is horrifying you know, I, I know that you brought this up like way, way back is there's the fight or flight or like be or frozen. Freeze. Yeah. Fight or flight or freeze. I'm a freezer uh, for sure. I'm a refrigerator. Sh- I'm always cool. Yeah, <laughs> truly. I tend to freeze in situations and I because I like to assess things, I guess. Right. Like I, I would say I'm a freezer and then I'm a flight like I'll run, but if I have to defend myself, I will. 
you right. got to do what you got to do. But in that, you know, moment, I think they are assessing this, like, what am I looking at? I've never seen. Imagine if right. that was you. Like, how what I would do you be do? standing there in disbelief. And yeah, and I'd have nobody... to process it a little bit before I decided to do it. I, you know, am I going to run? Am I going to fight? Am I going to stand up? <laughs> yeah. So the whole King's Landing crew is just like deer in the headlights at this point as the white comes running <laughs> towards him and Sandor yanks it backwards and it comes running at him. And even Varys, oh, man. I mean, even the look on Varys' right, face. Right, because Varys hasn't like, seen it yet either, you know, as much as he loves things in haven't. boxes, he hasn't, you know, gone and opened the box himself yet. <laughs> Tyrion in a box, sorcerer in a box, dick in a box. Dick in a box. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm wise enough to know when a gift keeps giving. Oh my God. (laughs) So, yeah, like you were saying, the the white goes towards the hound. Yeah, and he draws his sword. Oh my God, and slices him in half, and he stays alive. Oh my god! And it's, it's two halves start scrambling around, and it's like dragging himself with his arms, and it's it, showing us Jamie's reaction and Kyburn's reaction. And Kyburn's like, "Ooh, I the like second, what I see." Yeah, the second that it gets sliced in half and starts crawling, Kyburn is instantly, instantly entranced and has no choice but to step, to stand up and walk towards it, and he just like. He's drawn to it like he's it's uncontrollable. The second it starts crawling and he sees it, it's just instantaneous. It's hilarious. And he, Sandor slices off the arm and it's like, blah, 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 you know, like it's like screeching. Yeah, like that movie Idle Hands. So Kyburn <laughs> reaches the hand and picks it up and it's like uh, bending its fingers and his like, as he's holding it and everything. Amazing uh, CGI or whatever they did here. And he's in disbelief. Yeah, he's just looking at it like, oh my God, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, John steps forward to take the hand from him and he gives it to him. He hands it over without trying to keep it, you know, so you got to give him credit for that. Like he doesn't try to say mine, my precious, you know, my precious, you know, like steal the hand for himself. So he, uh, John takes it and he's like, we can destroy them by burning them. And he sets it ablaze and it's just like, like and the like, white oh, behind so cool. him, he's screeching because yeah. it's not attached to him. So it's not killing him. But I was thinking Maybe it, it might feel, feel the pain. It. Yeah. And then he, he continues, he drops it on the ground. And we can destroy them with dragon glass. And he takes out cool this dagger. dagger. Yeah, it's so sick. And he jabs it right into the white and it just collapses. And uh, and he's he points out that like if we don't win this battle, that is what is going to become of every one of us. We're all going to be turned. And if, it's, if that's the fate of everyone, that means Hodor is one of those. And I want to see him, man. We're going to see Hodor. Hodor is coming back. He's got to, right? That would be, imagine the fan reaction. Like people would lose their shit. Oh my god! HBO he has, has to, to recognize that. the the potential like virality of that video. You know what I mean? Like yes, yeah. So I'm hoping he's we get, in I'm, the army. He's I mean, gotta be. I'd, he didn't I'd get recruit burned. him if I was the Night King. You know, I'd want he didn't get burned. Me. There was nobody there to burn his body. Yeah, totally. So, um, <laughs> so. Everybody's just watching and staring in disbelief and Cersei seems horrified, but is she just putting on a show to make them think that she agrees with their terms? And we see her visibly gulp like she's like, like her throat clenches and she like gulps and blinks as John approaches 
And uh, I think in this moment, she's genuinely horrified, but her psychosis returns when she's had a little bit of time to process. Right. She snaps back into losing, like snapping out of it, basically. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I do think she's truly terrified in this moment because... She's trying to play it cool. Like she doesn't move right, when the dragon flies in, um, you know, right, which is terrifying exactly. in itself. Like to see a dragon for the first time, like for all she knows, it could have just roasted him. Again, she's just sitting there calmly or, yeah. uh, you know, calmly air quotes there. But yeah. for her reaction to back up in that chair like that, that's not Cersei. Yeah, that's that a true a instinctual reaction. reaction. Yeah, totally. So, John's like, he's like, there's only one war that matters, the Great War, and it is here, you know, and and Danny speaks up and she's like, listen, I didn't believe it either until I saw them, until I saw I all saw of them. I saw them all. Yeah, and Jamie, like, you can tell that Jamie is on point. He was super shocked by the revelation of the, that the undead exist. He, he knows that that soldiers will join the army and we can't have that happen. Our, we, our forces can't be divided and, and aimed against us uh, when they're killed. And so he like, he sees the real threat here. He sees what's happening. He feels destiny calling him. He can't just sit by and do nothing. You know, this is a fate more horrible than the one he broke his vows for last time and killed his yeah, king. I to love prevent. how he says it too. Cause he's in utter disbelief. Right. He's, and he's, visibly shaken and yeah. scared and you can hear it in his voice when it really comes down to it jamie's a, a true humanitarian <laughs> like on, on some level so this is when euron freaks out or at least appears to freak out and <laughs> stands up and walks over and he's I like i found this kind of an interesting little hole for me because okay so they had this whole thing for euron to leave to go to Essos to get the second sons, but yeah, but this could be real. No like I- he could really be abandoning her here. <laughs> yeah, they had no idea that the that this was that gonna they were going to bring like a White Walker. But so, it is perfect. Like it's a perfect cover. Like nobody thinks he's going to be going to do this. It makes sense, you know. So yeah. it, like it could be he's actually but, like, having this reaction. If that didn't happen, how was he going to exit and look like a coward and have that all like? pan out he like, could see the dragons and be like fuck this i'm out of here he didn't do that but, we've yeah, already maybe, seen the dragons maybe it, like it was supposed to happen later you know like who knows maybe maybe he was supposed to stick around to, to learn at least enough about what the plan was so that when he leaves he could see what they're up against i don't know yeah I, it just feels a little um, sure yeah i, I feel too you. perfect for me as far as the way but i mean again i like calling little stuff like out like that out every once Analyzing in a while. Analyzing every little detail and you never know. That we've we- talked about before. It just feels a little um, imperfect to a really awesome scene. Sure. It's like sure. they had no idea that they were going to bring this White Walker. Right. It was he his just, cue to like leave to go get like, the second son. He read it perfectly and like came up with a perfect like story on the spot, basically. You know? Yeah. And he doesn't strike me as the most intelligent creature on the planet. So. <laughs> but it, 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 who knows, man? I mean, he's accomplished a lot. That's true. That's true. I know he's a little bit more um, developed in the books. True. Yeah. Yeah. We learn more about him and what he's done, I I guess. Um, So he's like, fuck this. Can they swim? John's like, no. 
So he's like, yeah, good. I'm going back to the island that I came from. Screw you guys. I'm going home. You know? (laughs) 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 And uh, everybody's like, whoa. As like this big tough guy is telling him like, listen, I've been around the entire world. Ah, yeah, yeah. I've been play hated. And, you know, I don't know what, (laughs) I don't know why, but this fucking terrifies me. And it's the only thing I've ever seen that scares me. And I got to get the hell out of here, basically, because I don't play that shit. You guys can deal with this. I'm going to my island where I'm safe. I love that he goes up to Danny. He's like, I'm going to yeah. go to my island. You should go back to yours. And when all this shit is over, you and I are going to make babies together. Yeah. <laughs> he gives her like this look like <laughs> eh, like a little nod. And she kind of like. <laughs> so funny. And so uh, that I mean, that's like he really does want to end up with her in the end. Right. So he could be betraying Cersei. In reality, on some level, somehow yet to come, I think we're going to see that happen. Um, so he's, you know, this is true. Like he, he is like angling at Danny. I wonder what Cersei's reaction to that could be. Cause she says later on, like, he's not going to miss his opportunity to marry the queen, you know? And again, well, she doesn't specify her and <laughs> it's true. Like if he has an opportunity to marry delusional. the queen, like the dragon she's queen. Delusional. Is the queen. Yeah, totally. So, uh, he's out. And this is um, when uh, Cersei seems to have a moment of clarity and she's like, he's right to be afraid, but he's a coward to run. If those things come for us, you know, there'll be nothing left to rule. Everything we've suffered will be for nothing. We have to, to, to team up. The crown accepts your truce. Until the dead are defeated, they're the only true enemy, right? And Varys... And did you see Varys' face? <laughs> yeah. He's smiling like, what? No way. Like, this is crazy. This is like what I'm talking about. Like, this whole this whole scene, Varys makes it. I'm he's sorry, so he good. does. I know, like, it's so funny, man. Like, Conleth Hill, too, he's working on instinct here, imagining what Varys' reactions would be to this type of, like, all these different dynamics, and he really nailed it in this moment. It's good. He's got that look on his face, like, no like, way. Like, oh my god, like, this is really happening? Yeah, and Jamie is probably relieved because this is the first rational thing that Cersei's said since, like, season four. You know, <laughs> since he Which came back it, with when no I hand. First, when I first um, watched this, I thought something was a little fishy here. That she would accept the truce so easily. But then again, like her distinct reaction to the fear of this White Walker. I was kind of like, right. Well, it could have been like world shattering. It could have been honest. But we come to find out that it's not honest. At least, I mean, it could be honest. Um, Yeah, it's not honest. Right now, but maybe not Until we find out. We don't know that she's, like, not on board until we learn, like, the truth about John having bent the knee. So I guess, like, she was never going to go along with it, but she would have just pretended to go along with it earlier if if John had not bent the knee, basically. (laughs) And Tyrion wouldn't have needed to go try to get to her to agree to it a second time. And I do find that kind of weird because it's like, you just saw, you just saw this undead thing. You just accepted the, the truth. Why should there be a condition for you to help? Right. And that's like the, what Jamie's thinking. He's like, this is fucking ridiculous, dude. Like, like Cersei is not you, rational. Like, the king, in, who cares what, who the fuck the king in the north supports right now? Who cares? There's an army of dead people marching on the Seven Kingdoms. You literally just saw one for yourself. Danny just said that there's like 
at least a hundred thousand of them. Like who fucking cares who is bending the knee to who right now? I know. Yeah. It's, it kind of bugs me. That's yeah. like the one thing about this whole thing that I'm like, God damn it, Cersei, you were so fucking stupid. Like stop making people try to bend the knee to you. <laughs> yeah. Even Danny realized, like she told John, like I, we will fight together, you know, even before John said he'll bend the knee, you know? So yeah, like, even, exactly. it, even she it gave up irrelevant. on that. Yeah. She realized that, yeah, it's like, it doesn't matter who sits the iron throne if the dead take over. <laughs> yeah. So then John, um, he like kind of sighs in relief. Yeah. And- but we learned that Cersei has another condition to the agreement where John, the king in the north, cannot choose sides um, until, you know, the end of the war. Basically, she says that I'll team up with you under the condition that John remains a, a, a third party, basically, and doesn't worry about trying to fight like our fight for the Iron Throne. And Danny's like, wait, just the king? Yeah. And she's like, I would, you know, like, why? Like, we, I would never ask this of you. Like, first of all, it's not something you'd ever agree, agree to. And if, and you, if did, you did, yeah. I wouldn't trust you. <laughs> I would trust you even less than I do now. And, and, oh man, she totally like guilt trips John here too. Like I ask it only of Ned Stark's son. You know, I know Ned Stark's son. And will so be now true he can't word. lie. Right. Now he can't and I'm lie like, because... But he's not Ned Stark's son. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> Which is just kind of funny. That's true, but he doesn't know that. Yeah, exactly. So he's like, fuck, you know, it's true. I gotta, like, I can't lie here. I gotta stick to my guns and tell the truth. And he looks over at at, at his crew at Davos and Danny, and and Danny looks at him like, Neil, Neil, <laughs> you know, like, or like, you know, like, don't, don't say you kneel to me. Like, just go along with it. I know, and it. the pained look across his face. Yeah, he's like, so... fuck, like, oh, it's just such a horrible moment. And he's like, I am true to my word. Or I try to be, you know, that's why I cannot give you what you ask. I cannot serve two queens. And I'm like, oh my God. And everybody's jaws drop. And he's like, I've already pledged myself to Queen Daenerys of House Targaryen. And I'm like, holy shit, a public announcement, a public proclamation that the king in the north has bent the knee. First of all, that's huge that it's going public now. And second, like Davos is just trying to process what he's hearing because he doesn't even know yet. I don't think nobody knows. Like it. Yeah, like because so they did it is, in private. Yeah, this is like the first time it's being revealed. And Danny Tyrion didn't even know. Yeah, Danny's realizing that asking him to bend the knee in the first place, demanding that before agreeing, you know, to fight with in the north. Like she's realizing that asking for him to bend the knee just fucked their negotiation too that he did it and now yeah, and she like closes her eyes and she's like damn it and realizes it's like her doing you know because she insisted and even though he did like even though she did agree to fight without demanding it in the end he he ended up following through and doing what she had initially insisted and it's biting her in the ass here um so Davos is trying to process it. Tyrion is just in disbelief and he's fucking pissed. That this is going to mess everything up. Yeah. And, and Cersei's like, Cersei's just like well, there's nothing then. left to discuss. The, the dead will march north first. Enjoy it. We'll deal with the remainder of you guys. Yeah. Like, have fuck fun. You. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. And they all stand up and leave. And Jamie gets up to leave too, even though and he's like, Brienne you know, like, like runs after him. Yes, this is like, a huge Jamie. moment. This is first we had Tyrion trying to recruit Bronn to team Danny earlier in the episode. And now we have Brienne trying to recruit Jamie. And she's throwing it all on the line here. Like she's 
Like this she is even she says can't. like fuck loyalty. I know, like oh my god, she's he's like fuck loyalty. Yeah, it's so crazy. Like she she rushes him, and he he's given in to defeat. Essentially, he's like, it's been good to see you. I imagine the next time it will be across a battlefield, and he's like storming off, and she's like, bro. Like, she's like, like, this is not going to fly. She like grabs him, you know, and like, like smacks him. And she's like, we both just fucking saw that shit. Like, you're just going to like walk away. Like, this is not like, it's not right, you know? And, and he's like, yeah. And like, I understand that, but I'm loyal to the queen and you're loyal to, to Sansa. Like, it just is what it is. And this is when like, she hits him and she's like, fuck loyalty like you said and he's he, like what he's flabbergasted from Brienne of Tarth. Yeah, like what did you just say like and like when Brienne of Tarth is saying fuck loyalty like you know it's serious because I mean goddamn, her she and her sword Oathkeeper and she didn't even hesitate like it was something that she had like was destined to do and like this like concept of fidelity and oath keeping and loyalty is just like her it's in her fiber you know like it was already like named Oathkeeper in her mind before she even had it you know <laughs> like and like for her to say fuck loyalty like it's just like it's it's so beyond her character yeah it's 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 like paradigm shattering for Jamie he's just like can't believe what just happened and she's like listen this this goes beyond loyalty and oaths and honor and houses like this is a war for life itself like you have to talk to cersei and he's just like he's like and tell her what yeah what am i supposed to tell her walks away and uh, i thought that like you just have to respect brienne for being like putting it all on the line on the line and and doing what she can to try to save jamie's soul essentially like this is like, you know, if he goes along with Cersei, it's the end of his redemption arc and it's the death of totally. of his character before he, like, he may not be dead, but his soul is dead essentially, right? So this is Brienne being like, listen, dude, like, join the good team. Like, you have to. Like, I know it's inside of you. It's Which like, is what um, he inevitably does yeah, at it's, the end. It's, this is like Jamie's Luke Skywalker. Like, they're still good in you, father. I sense it, you know? <laughs> like, And Jamie's... <laughs> Cersei's the emperor and she's like shocking, you know, like Luke and <laughs> and Jamie's still in his decision. Like he's like trying to figure out where he stands, but he's still backing the emperor at this point. You know what I mean? Like, totally. I sense the good in you, father. <laughs> it's, oh man. Like I sense the good in you, Jamie. Like, you know, it's there. Like just follow your heart, you know? so hardcore and he leaves totally. and this then we get like the the fallout with with john and his immediate group danny and davos and Tyrion, and davos is like fuck like dude i really wish that didn't just happen man and danny's like listen like i'm grateful for your loyalty loyalty i asked you to bend the knee but think about what we've sacrificed to get here you know I, my child is dead my dragon is dead he, he may have died for nothing and John's like, I know. And <laughs> he's so frustrated and he doesn't have the words yet that he's trying to, he's trying to form his defense, you know, while he's being berated by all these friends of his that, that like he is counting on that like are on his team and they have believed in him and he needs to, to like make it right and figure out how to do it. And Tyrion is scolding him. Like, I'm pleased you bent the knee. I would have advised it. You know, like you said, <laughs> like I also would have advised you not to go to Dragonstone. Like we know he was giving, he, he wants to give John legitimate advice, 
And he's like, but have you like, have you ever considered learning how to lie every now and then just a bit, just a bit, you know? And John's like, he, it's finally, he's, he's it come up. It pisses him off. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it comes down to. And like, he figures out the perfect way to explain himself and to rationalize his decisions. And to, it, it, this is just so good. He's like, he's just like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to swear an oath that I can't uphold. Talk about it, you know, bring it up. I know it. Like my father, it was the same way and it got him killed. Like you can, you can say it. I know you're thinking it, but, but when enough people tell lies and make false promises, words themselves stop having meaning. And when that happens, there's no more answers. There's no solutions. Yeah. There's just better and better lies and lies aren't going to help us. And that's the difference between John and, and Cersei, as we'll get to in a moment. Like John is willing to tell the truth, even to his enemies. Um, whereas Cersei is using deception um, to, to sabotage her enemies and to maintain the strength of her force. So Tyrion's like, you know, he can't argue with that. He's like, that is indeed a problem. Like he's forced to admit it, you know, <laughs> but he's like, uh, but the more immediate problem is that we're fucked. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, we're fucked. And uh, super fucked. They have to brainstorm, like, Davos, like, is there anything we can do? Like, anybody have any ideas how to change that? And Tyrion's like, there's only one possible solution it's that everybody stays here and I go alone to meet my Danny's sister. like, I didn't come all this way to ha- have my hand murdered. Right. And. He's like, listen, like, I don't want Cersei to murder me either. You know, I could have stayed in my cell (laughs) and uh, saved a great deal of trouble. (laughs) Um, Like, I escaped from Cersei because she wanted to kill me before. And now I'm theoretically walking right into the lion's den, literally lions, Lannisters, you know. Yep. And uh, John's like steps up as as expected, you know, he he's like, this is my responsibility I just fucked all this up. Like I need to go and talk to her myself. You know? uh, she'll definitely murder you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Tyrion, you know, like he's still like standing up for John and protecting him. And he's like, it, it's either I go and see her alone or we all go home and we've accomplished nothing and lost a dragon. And we're even worse than we started off. You know? Yeah. He, the guilt is washing over his face. And Danny here, this is a big moment. This is the moment where Tyrion, it all comes down to Tyrion and we've, had a question we've been questioning his loyalty is he still committed to the cause is he shaken danny puts everything in Tyrion's hands here and trusts him to go and handle this negotiation as an envoy as an ambassador for her and everything rides on what happens in this meeting with cersei and we don't get to see the full thing so we have we have to worry about where Tyrion's loyalty lies we don't have the option of of feeling comfort like he's on our side anymore fully um which which is tragic i mean imagine how powerful it would be to have one of the most beloved characters of the entire story betray danny and john in the final season because of the guilt of that's resulted in him being partially responsible for the deaths of the children in his family of his house. And we could have one of the most loved characters turn into somebody who's hated instantly. If he betrays <laughs> Danny and John, like, can you imagine that? Like it, 
Like I can't something, it comes down to it. And at the last, like some moment where like everything is riding on it, Tyrion does something <laughs> to, you know, turning his back on Danny and results in like something catastrophic, you know, like, I mean, who knows? It, it's something that like, it doesn't seem like it could happen because we all love Tyrion so much and he's been so, so consistently good and just, but like, um, like, Arya and Sansa said, like, sometimes fear makes people do crazy things or sometimes anger makes people do stupid things. Sometimes guilt can make people do stupid things, you know, and it's, it's possible that we could see that happen with Tyrion. Hopefully it doesn't, (laughs) but this is the moment. And Danny agrees and knows that it's their only, their best option and lets him walk off alone. And he walks off by himself He's got to get to the Red Keep from here. <laughs> There's not even going to send That's a guard a with him. <laughs> you know, like, send somebody with him to escort him to the Red Keep. Or like a least. litter so he can get there, like a carriage yeah, or something so, so he can get there faster. He was like a reviled figure with all the propaganda in King's Landing. He's in danger, but from like the, the flea bottom people, you know what I mean? Like he's got to get to the Red Keep <laughs> to be able to have this meeting with Cersei. And uh, so it cuts to... um. I mean, I guess that's the end of the main part of the negotiation. Should we continue talking with about their meeting? Because that sort of continues the negotiation. That's totally fine by me. Okay, because yeah, it's not in any, either of our top, top five. So we'll just continue this because it is sort of ongoing negotiation. So it cuts into King's Landing, uh, into, the, into like the, the halls of the Red Keep. And... Tyrion's walking along being ominously shadowed the by the mountain. Yeah, he's just <laughs> hulking over him and Tyrion keeps he's looking literally, back. He's literally half the size. He comes up to um <laughs> he comes up to that actor's waist. Yeah, Thor Bjornsson. It's crazy. Half Thor. Yeah, and he keeps looking back like kind of like imminently expecting death at any second. I don't think Tyrion has had a moment, a single moment where he truly feels safe aside from you know being maybe in the top level of the cat like the pyramid in Marine, since he was on trial you know like as far as he knows he was captured in volantis cersei has people all around the planet hunting him down mm-hmm. people could have infiltrated in Marine at any time so he's feeling like in danger here and he he has been for a long time so he runs into jamie here and uh Tyrion's like you spoke with her, like convinced her to meet with me. And Jamie clarifies, I spoke at her <laughs> until she kicked me out. <laughs> she thinks I'm an idiot trusting you. A lot of people seem to think that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, I'm about to walk into the room, a room with the most murderous, insane woman in the world who's already tried to kill me twice. Hired an assassin at the that Blackwater Bay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Hired an assassin at the Blackwater Bay at the Battle of the Blackwater. Um, who is it? Um the, the Kingsguard, I'm drawing a blank on his name. He tried to kill Tyrion and Podrick killed him. Yeah, I can't remember his name either. Right. And then uh, obviously at his trial, she paid people to give false testimony, etc., to frame Tyrion, Lear- later learning that Tyrion had nothing to do with Joffrey's murder. And uh, so there's two times that he knows of, you know, third, uh, I mean, obviously she sent assassins out to track him down and kill him. So those are other times that she's tried to kill him countless times. Countless. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so he's like, who's, who's really the idiot you for trusting me or me for trusting her and walking oh, right into her clutches. I suppose we should say f- goodbye. One <laughs> idiot to another. <laughs> yeah. I thought this was funny too, because Jamie's like even more of an idiot. He's not an idiot to trust 
Tyrion. He's an idiot to be to trust Cersei. You know, he's they're both totally. idiots for trusting Cersei, and he's going to realize later in this episode that he's an idiot to have allied with Cersei. And totally. his his real redemption arc will begin by his leaving her, I believe, and we'll see him at least attempt to redeem himself in the final season. Yeah, so, I think he will. Will he follow through and redeem himself or will he fall? Will love become the death of duty again for Jamie? And will he in, end up aligning himself again with Cersei in some desperate moment where her life is on the line and he falls into his old behavior and his old routines and his old feelings? The same thing, you know, like we're, we're both we're worried for both of Tyrion and Jamie falling into the trap of being forced to somehow out of guilt or out of love to protect Cersei, you know? And as Tyrion walks into Cersei's chamber, the reins of Castamere begin to play and it cuts to the chamber and Cersei's waiting and Tyrion walks in shadowed by the mountain and Cersei does not hesitate to jump right into the attacks. You know, I shouldn't be surprised, I suppose. She's your kind of woman, a foreign whore who doesn't know her place. And they, it, it, I don't know why it made me think of that clip when she was on Jimmy Kimmel's show <laughs> and she takes a sip out of the goblet and they're like doing Game of Thrones quips at one another. And she's like, that's a lovely tie. It's a shame. It's around such a worthless neck <laughs> to Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> I feel like this is the same type of line here. Like, I shouldn't be surprised. She's your kind of woman, a foreign whore who doesn't know her place, just tossing a barb, you know? And Tyrion responds, a foreign whore you can't abduct, beat, or intimidate. That must be difficult for you. <laughs> Great way to spin that back around at her. Yeah. And she she thinks that he's convinced John to kneel and uh, calls him her her pet northerner, which is hilarious. And Tyrion's like, I didn't know about that. And she keeps making all these accusations against both of her brothers. Like, you convinced her to kneel. And he's like, I didn't know. And like she says to Jamie, you met with Bronn and cons- or you met with Tyrion and conspired knowingly against me. And Jamie's like, I didn't know about that. You know, <laughs> Same thing. So these paralleling scenes with their interactions with her brothers in this episode. There's- very, very close. Yeah. And so she may come to find that nothing she believed about Tyrion and his motivations is true. You know, that he's not about all about destroying that. Like she says, your goal that you've worked towards your entire life, destroying our house, you know, and like she may come to find out that nothing that she believes about Tyrion is true, that he didn't kill Joffrey, that he's not trying to destroy their family, you know, that he's, the one that's been thinking clearly the whole time, basically, much like she may come to find out that Danny is the queen from the prophecy and she was wrong about that, you know, so she could be wrong about the Valonqar as well, I guess. <laughs> I guess <laughs> she could be, but I, I don't know. I have a feeling that might play out. Yeah. It, oh man, I can't wait to see what happens. So Tyrion's like, I'm not trying to destroy the family. I'm trying to prevent that from happening. I'm the one trying to prevent that, trying to save our family and save the future of humanity so we can have a family. He's like, Daenerys didn't even want to negotiate. She wanted to bring you fire and blood. And I you don't even know so it. Like she, he's like, you're only standing because I saved you. I'm working to save our family. You know, and it's true. And she like th- 
you know, can't deal with it. And she's like, you killed our father. And he's like, yeah, after he sentenced me to death for a crime I didn't commit. Fucking, yeah, I killed him. And interestingly, he says, hey, he says, hate me for it if you want. I hate myself for it in spite of what he was. So we get this idea. We learn that Tyrion feels guilt over killing his father. It's something that he hasn't really expressed before. That he, I think he did non-verbally. I think his guilt came out with the amount the that he drank. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, it makes sense. So it's it like we learn he feels guilt and she's like, oh, like poor little man. And she just keeps like attacking. You left us open. Do you have any idea what you did when you fired that crossbow? You laid us bare for the vultures and they tore us apart. And I thought that was interesting. She said vultures because it was the sparrows that invaded the city, right? So it's like she's like giving like these these people that seemed to be so meek and mild and non-influential sparrows like nobody worries about the sparrows. Nobody's watching their back for the sparrows. But it, it turned out that they were vile and vicious and and bloodthirsty and and like picking at, at the dead. Basically, you know what I mean? Like so they, they turned out to be more like like vulturous <laughs> and uh, also as well as the other houses that were combining forces trying to you know strip the Lannisters of their power and wealth so you could say that the sparrows as well as the other houses together are the vultures um, which is just kind of a cool I like that choice of words yes she, so she's like you may not have killed Joffrey she accepts the truth of that now but you killed Marcella by sending her to Dorne you killed Tommen I don't know how <laughs> 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 no one would have touched them if oh by if father were alive so she thinks that that since he eliminated Tywin from the equation it opened up the Lannister house to attacks from people would have been too scared to attack otherwise and Tommen would have been safe and and Marcella wouldn't have been in danger because they never would have dared to strike and kill Marcella while Tywin was alive because he would have destroyed all of Dorne you know what i mean so um this is when we start to see how deeply he regrets like what happened to the children. And he's like, I've never been more sorry about anything. And she's like, Cersei freaks out kind of like, she's like, remember I will burn our house to the ground. Burn our house <laughs> yeah. to the ground. She's like, I will not hear it <laughs> here with him and like freaks out. Not from you. And this is Tyr Tyrion's hail Mary. This is like, I was like, Holy fuck. When I was watching this, this is when he puts it all on the line. He's like, all right, you love your family and I destroyed it. I'll always be a threat. So put an end to me, you know? And I was like, watch this. I'm like, oh my God, I forgot this happened. I totally did too. Oh my God. And he, she like kind of is taken aback by this admission, you know, like he's like, if it weren't for me, you'd have a mother. You know, he killed her in childbirth. If it weren't for me, you'd have a father. You'd have a father. I killed him with a crossbow. If it weren't for me, you'd have two beautiful children. I've thought about killing you more times than I can count. You know? <laughs> and like, he's just admitting it. Like, I want to kill you. You know, I've thought about it. And, and she's realizing that he's telling her like, your smartest move is to kill me. You know, and she, they're both silent for a second as she's absorbing it. And she, her teeth are all clenched. She's super pissed. Yeah. And he turns and starts walking towards the mountain. And this is the most ballsy thing anybody has done in this entire series is walked towards the mountain and said, do it. And I was like, oh my God, this is fucking nuts. And he turns back to Cersei and says, say the word, you know, just like Jamie, give the order. Say it. Yeah, say it. 
and oh my god, a pause. And, and she can't do it. Yeah. She can't fucking do and it. Ecstasy and anger and power and shock all fill her face simultaneously and she hesitates and like you said, she just can't do it. She grimaces and turns away, unable to give the command. And like, isn't this what she's dreamt of for the, all of this time? And now in the moment she knows, like, is it that is it that she feels sympathy and she won't do it? Or is it because she can't do it? She knows that part of her bigger plan revolves around Tyrion surviving because this would trigger war instantly and she can't have that yet. So as much as she wants to do it and as much as she may have done it, she knows she can't do it. And as, as it, it comes across as maybe she feels sympathy and maybe she chooses not to do it. But I think that strategically she knows she can't do it. And that's what is upsetting her is that she, as she has the opportunity here and she can't do it because it would sacrifice her power. Basically, I totally agree with that. But I also think there's an underlying tone of deep down in her soul. She knows he's right. And I think that's what Tyrion thinks, you know, and I think that this is and he immediately when he realizes that he's not going to be killed here, he like he he exhales. Right. And he (laughs) grabs a drink. And it's like this. It's like the old dynamic that it used to be where like they hated each other, but they'd be sitting there talking with each other and negotiating. And I think that this is the first moment since he escaped from King's Landing, since he was taken into custody, that he's felt safe where somebody isn't immediately trying to kill him. There's been the looming threat of Cersei hanging over him since the moment he was taken into custody, since the moment Joffrey died. And he's been in danger, in constant danger. And this is the moment where he can finally let a deep breath out and go grab a glass of wine. And that's, it's over. That part is over. You know what I mean? The, the hit, the hit is called back. He's, he's, no longer in danger of Cersei killing him. That's his interpretation of this. And I think that, I think that that's a fair perspective. I think that effectively at this moment, the hit is withdrawn. And like, I, I just thought it was really cool. I watched this like and the first time yeah. I realized that it's, it's the first time I think he's felt safe in a very, very long time. And it's gotta be just like a giant weight off of his shoulders. So he pours a glass of wine and it turns out that this glass is for Cersei you know, and he brings it to Cersei and too bad he didn't sneak some poison in there. <laughs> like he, I don't think she drinks it. Yeah, I don't think she does either. But uh, it, she's preggers. True. Yeah. And that's another hint that he, he picks up on. Probably he's like, oh, not drinking. Like, weren't you a lush the last time I saw you? <laughs> you know? Yeah, you were drinking like Robert. Yeah, exactly. So this is when he goes to pour himself a glass. And this is when he brings up the difficult thing. You know, he's like. I am more sorry about the children than you could ever know. And you can tell he's so sad. And she says, again, I will not, you know, like I'm not. It's like, I don't care. I I love them. You know, I did. You know it it in your heart. If there's anything left of it. Suit your feelings, Cersei. Since we just equated her to being the emperor. (laughs) (laughs) You know it to be true. Um. And she's like, it doesn't matter. And we get that that thing echoing Sandor, as he said earlier, it doesn't matter. The past is the past. There's nothing that can be done now. It doesn't matter if you love them. There's nothing you can do now. Your love isn't changing the fact that they're dead and gone and that she's just in constant pain. Like Mike Tyson, just like stomping their testicles for you can feel my pain because that's the pain I have waking up every day. <laughs> what? Literally. I've never even heard of that. <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, we get that great echo. We're echoing Sandor and how it doesn't matter now. The past is the past. It is what it is. And she's, Tyrion's like, well, if there is no future, if it doesn't matter, then what's the point? Why are we here? Why did you even allow me to come? And they're, they're kind of just like discussing it. And she's like, well, what, what, what were you hoping for? You wanted John to submit to Danny, obviously. You want everybody to bend she's the like, knee. I didn't want it to happen like this. Right. Yeah. And she's, and he's like, yeah, but yes, I do want everybody to bend the knee eventually. Eventually. Right. And she's like, why? Like, what, like, why are you turning against me? Right. Like, she's got it. Like, I mean, she obviously knows he hates her and they've always hated each other, but she's like, like, tell, explain to me why you're her? backing her. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And he says it, you know, I think that she's going to make the world a better place. Like she said to Yara, to um, Theon and Yara and in that room when they were joining team, joining forces, like our fathers made the world a worse place when they left it. And like, we're going to leave they the world. They were terrible a men. Place. Yeah. And Tyrion believes it. And I think that, I think that she deceives Tyrion in this scene. And I don't think that he's plotting against Danny. I'm hoping. That's what I, I want hope to believe. so too. I'm gonna stay positive with that whole. Yeah, probably. Yeah, stay positive. Line. And so, Cersei is like, "You said she'd destroy King's Landing, but now you're saying she's gonna make the world a better place. Like, what the fuck?" And Tyrion's like, "Yeah, like she knows herself. She chose an advisor who would check her worst impulses instead of feeding them, and that's the difference between you and Danny. And it's true because." Think about it. Cersei did the the polar opposite. She chose Kyburn as a hand who's just encouraging stroking her, dark, her ego. Yeah, stroking her ego, encouraging her dark desires, like a yes man, you know. And also the saying that's the difference between you implies that there are also similarities, which could be a hint that they're both Targaryens, you know, for that whole secret Targaryen theory. Yeah. Could be. So Cersei is like, fuck the world, basically. I don't care about making the world a better place. I don't care about checking my worst impulses. All I care about is this, you know, and she has her hand on her belly. And she doesn't say it expl- as explicitly at that, as that. She's just like, fuck the world, basically, and like is holding her, her stomach. And Tyrion sees the, the wine glass that she hasn't drank and sees her the way that she's cradling her, her belly, you know. And he realizes and she breathes and he's like... He's like, oh my God, like you're, you're pregnant. pregnant. And this is, this is the thing. Like Tyrion was just saying how he feels more guilty about the children, about the deaths of Marcella and, and Tommen than anything else in his life. Cersei being pregnant now is a way for her to manipulate him, to get him to swear, to do, do something to protect the new child, or at least to do no harm, um, to, to make up for his role in the demise of the last three children or two. Um, and if, if Tyrion were to turn on Danny, I believe that it would be because of an oath sworn here and now to protect protect this child. You know, interesting. I kind of like it. Um, I I can see it's that. The only thing I could think that would make Tyrion side with Cersei is the idea that he has to make up to atone for the deaths of the children of the Lannister house, or at least instruct Daenerys to not like kill the child. He's got to do something to like Cersei is on. She's off limits until the kid is born. Once the kid is born, we can try to salvage and save the kid and Cersei's a target. But, but I also think Tyrion realizes that this is, she's newly pregnant. She's not even showing. Right. Okay. And that means that there's going to be like quite a distance of time where this could be up in the air, where Tyrion may be, you know, 
feel obligated to do something in her favor to protect the child. So it's not good. Exactly. Uh, and, exactly. Yeah. And she, she continued, he's seeing what's happening, but she continues on a monologue, you know, and she's like that thing you brought that undead beast. I know what it is. I know what it means. I know what the implications are for the world, for humanity. When it came at me though, I didn't think about the world. I didn't care about that. When I saw its teeth, you know, gnashing at me and it opened its mouth and I saw the black down its throat, I wasn't thinking about like the death of humanity. I was thinking about my family. Maybe, maybe Euron had the right idea to just get away and go and hide. And this is when Tyrion realizes and says, you're pregnant. And I'm like, fuck, baited. Like, God damn it. This is a piece of bargaining material that could be influential for Tyrion like put up or shut up if you really care about jo- about the kids that you played a role in their deaths then then do something now and promise me you won't do anything that'll result in this child's death you know what i mean and then that's that's the the last we see of that scene is him saying you're pregnant and we don't see the further negotiations the after that he has to do something that makes her agree to send her army north. So there has to be some concession on her and his part. She doesn't send her army north. Right. But he doesn't know that he may have sworn a vow under the impression that she would follow through. And he may not know until after he's made a mistake that she was never true with her word. That's true. So it's it's, very fishy. It's a pickle. It's definitely a dill pickle for sure. Pickle. Yeah. Uh, nice. I, I like it. I like that there's uncertain uncertainty there. Yeah, for it's, sure. it's hardcore. Definitely. So then it cuts back to uh the dragon pit and it's Danny and John time as they're hanging out, bonding over some bonding over some bones. I, I thought for a while like people were saying, Oh, they're you know, they pick up a dragon skull, but there's no way this is a dragon skull. Those would have been picked like taken from for years ago this has to be just some other piece of some other animal that died in the pit and like became eaten i thought that by, too uh, i was like i don't know but the way she like picks it up and holds it and looked at it made me kind of question i mean it could have been what like they were a go- little dragon right it could have been what they were going for but it wouldn't really make sense i don't think no that there would be a dragon i I, I took it the first time i watched it The first time I watched it, I thought it was just like an animal skull, like an animal jaw. And then like over the course of me watching it a few times, it's like, well, she's kind of like she's talking about dragons and talking about about dragons. It could be a skull from a dragon, but it looks pretty intact. But then at the same time, you know, the dragons were tiny when they died. They were. So I don't know. I I would like to think it is a dragon. Yeah, that'd be but, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I feel like, that's I feel vibe like they were all going of for. the dragon skulls are down in the the dungeons of the Red Keep. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the dragon pit was stormed and dragons were killed there. Um, but I feel like the bones would have been, you know, taken as like victory tokens long, a long time ago. You know, there was. Yeah. So I have kind of, I don't really know. I, it's poetic if it is a dragon. Right. Like I said, I feel like it's the vibe they were going for, like, but it doesn't really make sense. So it doesn't make sense. I'm totally in agreement with you on that. So John is, he picks up the bones and Danny walks up and he's trying to tell her like, listen, like really nobody's more like upset about this than I am. Seriously. 
She's like, I know. I wish you hadn't done it, but I respect it. And I like that she does respect that. She sees like the value in it, you know? You kind of have to because he makes a good point when he says like, yeah, if I were have to lied, then it's just like, Words mean nothing. if no one tells the truth anymore, then it's only better lies. And it's just stupid at that point. And it's irrelevant because we have an army of dead men marching against us. Right. So. And she, she sort of becomes reflective here and she's thinking about where they are and the significance of where they are and what it meant and the effect that it had on their family. And she talks about how the dragon pit was the beginning of the end for the Targaryen dynasty, that dragons aren't slaves. And she knows this, that when she saw how her, how Viserion and Rhaegal were stunted, their growth was stunted by being locked in the crypt under the, the pyramid. Crypt. Right. So she's like a dragon is not a slave. They were amazing. They were extraordinary and terrifying and people were awestruck with them and just, and we locked them in here and they, they just got smaller and smaller. And so did we, like we lost our extraordinary nature without them. We're just normal. And we were just like everyone else. Right. And we lost power and everything like that. And she, they're sort of passing back and forth this bone. I love John here. Because you're not like everyone else. Yeah. And, and your, your family, family hasn't seen its end. You're still here. And Danny's like, I can't have children. Right. But also he's like, you're still here. But also I'm still here because he's a Targaryen too. And that's the other thing too is like your family like hasn't seen its end. This hinting that he may be able to help give her family a future. You know, it hasn't seen its end. There's still a chance for a new legitimate yeah, Targaryen he's, and he has heir. like this look in his eyes like, I want to do you. So <laughs> yeah, we can yeah. like get together and, you know, make a baby. And, and she sees she's that. like, well, I can't have children. <laughs> who told John's you that? like, well, who told you that? And <laughs> the witch who murdered my husband. <laughs> and she sees how smart he is here too. Like, and she, it don't, this only solidifies her perspective that she should have listened from the beginning. Cause he's like, has it occurred to you that the witch who murdered your husband may not have be a reliable source of Intel? You know what I mean? Like maybe you shouldn't believe the things she tells you. Cause she could be trying to sabotage you further. And I'm dying laughing. Cause she's like, <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, like maybe. she kind of like shrugs her shoulders. Yeah. She's like, okay. She's like, you are, you're right <laughs> you're, about everything. There's, there's the a start. valid point there. <laughs> yeah. And she admits it. Like if I had just trusted you, everything would be different. Like, i.e., you might be right about this, too. Maybe maybe yeah. she should trust him and maybe she will be able to get pregnant, you know? He doesn't like, soothe her, like, thought process either. He doesn't say, like, oh, you know, it's hard to trust somebody you don't know, blah, blah, blah. Right. He, he just goes, okay, well, what are we going to do now? Right. now? Now you're going to trust me? <laughs> like, yeah. You're going to move forward He doesn't really, trust? like, acknowledge it, you Yeah, know? he's just like, so what now? He's like, he's assuming that they're both on the same page, that they trust each other now. I think that's what she said. Like, exactly. like if I had trusted you, everything would have been different. I.e., like, now we're fully on on the same team. Like, we're, we're, on we're board. trusting of each other. We're yeah, allies. Exactly. So he's like, so, like, he understands that. And he's like, so, what next? You know, now that we're fully on board with one another. Well, I can't forget what I saw north of the wall, but I can't. I love how she's like kind of whispering here, too. And she's like, I can't pretend that Cersei won't take back half the country the moment I march north. Oh, I know. It's rocking a hard place, right? And she's right. Even though Cersei claims she's going to march north with them, she turns her back. She's calling Cersei's bluff. Right. And yeah, basically. And uh, Tyrion, or John brings up Tyrion's assessment. (laughs) It appears Tyrion's assessment was right, was correct. We're fucked. (laughs) 
Cue the boat scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and speaking of Tyrion. in the scene. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Tyrion, uh, here he comes, followed by Cersei and company and ominous music. And oh, God, that ominous music, again, makes me nervous about what happened and what Tyrion agreed to in order to get Cersei's pledge. I know, of, and kind of all their jaws drop when they see yeah, them walk in. Right. Like, oh, my God. And I'm just hoping that. I just have to comment, too, on the Kingsguard's army or armor. It's so cool looking like oh, the yeah. black and the silver. Know, right? with yeah. like the Full makeover by Cersei. It's pretty cool. Totally. So uh, when we do learn that she lied, when she tells Jamie, um, it's implied that she may be deceived Tyrion because she said, why would I trust the man who killed our father? Right. So either that's true and she lied to him and deceived him or he's in on the charade, which would be very sad. Yeah, it's so believable. It was shocking that she was lying here. You know, my armies will not stand down. I will not pull them back to the capital. Right. I will march them north to fight alongside you in the Great War. We'll face it together. Yeah. And when it's over, perhaps you'll remember that I chose to help. Oh, my God. That's the most convincing line right there. Like, she knows that the dragons are more powerful and that she's doomed. And she's like, maybe, maybe you'll forgive me if I help. Maybe you'll let me keep King's Landing. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Call our banners. All, All of them. them. Lies. Oh, my God. So Lion intense, man. Cunt. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There's no cure for being a cunt. There is no cure for being a cunt. All right. So let's move on to your numero uno. My number one is the faceless man's demise. What? Oh, man. I'm sticking true to my theory until nah. I'm proved otherwise. <laughs> nice. I know there's some holes in it, but I don't know. I just, this scene solidified it for me after like the first few times I started feeling this way, because I know that I had said when I explained my theory that Littlefinger has never pleaded for his death or like, he's always like kind of stood strong. Yeah. He's always kind of stood strong in the face of death. So yeah, it's like a desperate gambit. Like, (laughs) Yeah, oh, and man. he even sounds a little bit different, and his mannerisms are a little bit different. There's a little bit like, oh, it's hard to tell though, though, because like he like goes through like a series of things where he like he starts you know like whining and get a, little, a little bit sad, and then he like waits to see how she reacts, and she doesn't fall for it, and then he like exaggerates it and starts like crying almost, and then he like looks to see how she's reacting, and she's not buying it. <laughs> Oh, I know it just it doesn't seem like Littlefinger to me. It just it's so out of character for him. It seems like he's scheming though, like he's like he's trying to do the things that he would think would would work for her. You know what I mean? The only things like left to do. I don't know. So if if my theory is to stand on two legs. The little finger would have half. I mean, there's so much evidence that's compelling for your theory, too, though. Like, I I think it's a totally viable theory. I think it's a viable theory, but I think little finger would have had to have a conversation with this faceless man. And given the history on what happened to give this faceless man some ammo to make it believable that it's little finger. 
because it's like I know Littlefinger has been known to kind of like change his voices from here to there. Sure. Depending on who he's talking to. But he sounds different. Interesting. And the way he like his eyes go wide when she says Lord Baelish. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like him. It would be the like, ultimate, like ultimate. Um, I think he would have trick. like looked at her and like faced her, but I don't think he would have like been wide eyed, like blinking at her. Like and we a know that Bran doesn't necessarily see everything. He would have had the capa- the capability. We know he can see what's happening as things are happening. I think he has to check but, in on people to see them. I, right. It's not like this knowledge. He has and also, to actually if, like if Littlefinger swapped faces with somebody, then it, from outwards appearances, it would look one way, but actually so be why another. check in on Littlefinger? Cause he's still there. Right. Yeah, exactly. As far as Bran is concerned. Cause and like, even if he was checking in on him, he may like be tricked because he looks like somebody else may not even recognize exactly. Littlefinger looking at him. And he's assuming that he's at Winterfell, so Bran's mind is tricking him into looking at the little finger at Winterfell, at Winterfell, and not the one fleeing. Yeah. So we we start. Sansa's on the on the uh, battlements. Yeah. So exactly, she's up on the bannerments at first, and she's like looking out to the snowy landscape, and she turns to one of the guards and says, have my sister brought to the great hall. Oh, and this is right after that, like not right after, but soon after the scene where Baelish seems to have turned Sansa against Arya. And we'll talk more about that later. Sure. And so they're all sitting at the great table, Sansa, Sansa and Bran and Maester Walken. And the room is filled with North Northern men and the guards escort Arya to, into the hall. And she's standing there alone. And she looks around and she spies um, Sir Royce. And then she looks over at Littlefinger or what is being portrayed as Littlefinger, in my <laughs> opinion. <laughs> and Arya looks over at Sansa. And she's like, are you sure you want to do this? Mm-hmm. And Sansa's like, well, it's not really what I want, but it's what honor demands. And what does honor demand? Arya says to her sister. Well, it's to defend my family. We can't have anyone harming us. And that I defend the North from those who would betray us. And when I first watched, when I was a first time viewer of season, this scene, I was like, Baelish. there's no, Baelish. there's no way that Arya and Sansa are going to like try to kill each other. Right. That's they so may ridiculous. dislike each other. So I knew that there was something like fishy about this whole scene and then she goes like okay we'll just get on with it yeah get on with it (laughs) like what and they kept like panning over to Littlefinger and I remember like distinctly looking at Dave and this is before like my theory came into play because I watched this episode like this actually the season like you know over a dozen times so you're like oh my god Littlefinger's about to die Littlefinger's gonna die and he's like what are you talking about like Littlefinger has nothing to do with this I'm like I'm calling it. You stand accused of murder. You stand accused of treason. <laughs> How do you answer these charges, Lord Baelish? <laughs> and he's like, what? Oh, man. And everybody turns towards him and he's just like, like, doesn't even know how to react. <laughs> I know. And this is kind Stays of my silent. point where it's like kind of out of his character, because even when he's caught off guard, he keeps his cool 
and he doesn't keep his cool from the beginning. Like even his facial expression changes and he's like, what? Right. And and Arya goes, my sister asked you a question. Oh my God. Lady Sansa, forgive me. I'm a bit confused. Which charges confuse you? (laughs) Oh my God. This is so epic, dude. Like all of Littlefinger's dirty deeds are coming to light here. Everything's coming full circle. Yes. Like you murdered our aunt. You threw her through the moon door. Do you deny it? Oh my God. Well, no, I'm sorry. I did it to protect you. And the the veil people like Bannerman are all right there listening to the admission. Now they know he lied to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, so Sansa continues. Well, I'm sorry. You did it to take power in the veil. Yeah. Um, earlier. You conspired to murder John Aaron. You gave Lysa tears of lease to poison him. Do you deny it? And at this point, Littlefinger, the first one, it's like, yeah, you witnessed me push Lysa. Yeah, obviously, you know about that. Yeah, so and now he's like, this how one, the fuck do you know this? Yeah, he's like, maybe Lysa told you. Because there was that one point where Lysa hinted at it. Like, you gave me the drops to put in his drink, you know. But Yep, so it still could be that Sansa's figured it out. It could be, but but she but she didn't say tears of lease, you know. So, so Baelish is like, wait a second, There's that's a more detail details there. than... Yeah. So he's like, how the, he's a little bit concerned, you know, like, how do you know this? And this is another hint that it actually might be Baelish because he seems to like pick up on what, you know, they should know and what they shouldn't know. Um, Well, this is why I think he like debriefed the faceless man. uh, Yeah, it's totally possible. And it's also possible that you like are able to use people's memories if you're doing the faceless man magic for all we know. Who knows, man? That's true too. That's yet to be seen, but I think he probably had to confess his crimes. Right. And so this is funny because he, he's like, you may have known that. And he assumes that Lysa would have told her because Lysa had let it slip partially that time. Right. So he's like, whatever your aunt may have told you, she was a troubled woman. She imagined enemies everywhere. And I thought this was crazy because this is exactly what he's been telling the Sansa to do. Imagine your enemies. Imagine the worst possible reasons they could have. Exactly. You know, imagine what what Arya is really here for. He's telling her to imagine enemies everywhere. No wonder Lysa went crazy. You know, with like <laughs> this type of influence on her. That's totally true. Right? So it, like it kind of puts in perspective like the type of potentially trauma and mental brainwashing that Liza had been subjected to. And from early childhood, like as we learn, Sansa goes on to continue like how, how Littlefinger had divided their, like the, the women of their family first, Liza and Catelyn and now trying with her and Arya. So this like, but yeah, you, you know, continue. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, this is like a total pattern. I mean, <laughs> she basically just calls him out on all of his crimes that right. you sent the letter to my parents telling them that it was the Lannisters who murdered John Aaron. You conspired with Cersei Lannister and Joffrey Baratheon to betray our father. You know, do you deny it? And he's like, I deny it. Right. And the only reason he says, like, yeah, he's like, I know of no such letter. You know, the only reason he outwardly denies it is because he thinks for sure there's no way you could know that. Like, it's impossible. Right. Yeah, so, so he's like, I deny it. Right. So that's when she goes on. 
You conspired with Cersei Lannister and Joffrey Baratheon to betray our father, Ned Stark. Thanks to your treachery, he was imprisoned and later executed on false charges of treason. Do you deny it? And I deny it. That's, None of yeah, you were there. Hard denial. <laughs> and it's crazy. Like, first of all, like, it's just unreal that all of his dirty deeds are like, you know, being presented in front of the whole North. Everybody's learning the truth about like the conflict. That's- and then the true truth sets in. Yeah. Bran. Right. Yeah. None of you saw it. None of you knows the truth. <laughs> he goes, well, you held a knife at his throat. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. And, and then to, to further that, he goes, you said, I did warn you not to trust me. Oh my God. Yeah. He like, he's, he's he, the first thing he's like, you held a knife to his throat and Littlefinger turns like aghast that Bran knows this detail because none of you, none of you knows the truth. None of you saw it. But all of a sudden he's confronted with exactly what happened. Right. And he turns to face Bran in, in shock and doesn't even say anything. And that's when Bran expounds upon that. You said, I did warn you not to trust me. And holy shit. Like what a crazy moment. Right. Right. They're throwing shit at his face, and finally, yeah. Arya has the dagger like partially drawn, you know, and little little finger knows it's serious at this point, and he starts like trying to get in Sansa's favor. <laughs> he comes up to the table, right? And he like, is this where he gets down on his knees and he's like, "Lady Sansa, I've known you since yet. you were a girl." He's he, at this point, he's you. like leaning on the table with like both of his hands. Oh, on that's the table. right. He's like leaning into her. Yeah, and Sansa's like protecting protect me. me. By selling me to the Boltons? If we could, if we could only speak alone, I could explain She's like, everything. Fuck that shit. <laughs> right? It's like with uh, Jorah. Didn't he say that to Danny? Right? If we could That's only like, speak alone, Khaleesi, you'll I never be alone everything. with her again. Exactly. You'll never be alone with her again, Littlefinger. Ever. Hopefully, or <laughs> unless you're still alive. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then Sansa repeats his words. Yep. Sometimes when I'm trying to understand a person's motives, I play a little game. I assume the worst. What's the worst reason you have for turning me against my sister? Oh, my God. That's what you do, isn't it? That's That's what what you've you've always always done. done. Turn family against family. Turn sister against sisters. That's what you did to our mother. And Aunt Lysa. And that's what you tried to do to us. No. Sansa, please. (laughs) Oh, my God. And Sansa totally nailed that there because this is exactly what Littlefinger does. We like we had this revelation at some point on the podcast where we like realized that it's it's what he's done ever since he was young, basically. Um, It's like his whole thing, Um, just setting his enemies against each other and letting them take each other out. And this is where I feel like I, I just... Him begging for, like, Sansa, please. It's just so out of character for him. And mm-hmm. this is kind of where I first started getting that, that, that like, spidey sense. Like, this is not Lord Baelish. Yeah, this he had, is not. Yeah, this is. Sansa's yeah, this is when he's to like, kill him before. She like, said, like, I could have Lady Brienne cut you down. And what does he say? Well, then I die. I think he he had some ammo there, though. At this point, everything's been revealed. He The people are turning against him, you know. <laughs> That's true. I don't know, though. I just have this, like, gut feeling that he's still alive. No, I mean, it's totally possible. But he had, like, he had sort of stepped away from the table there. And at this point, he turns back around and he's like, Sansa, please. And uh, 
Arya, I'm a slow as, learner. Yeah, as he moves towards the table, Arya strategically repositions herself in a place to strike Littlefinger if necessary. Like if he does something aggressive, yep. she kind of yep. like encloses in from the side and he sees it out of his peripheral vision. <laughs> Give and, me a chance to def- defend myself. I deserve that. Yeah. And she's like, fine, try. I'm Lord Protector of the Veil <laughs> and I command you to escort me back to the va- the eerie and Lord Royce is like, uh, nope, nope. <laughs> not happening. Not bro. gonna happen, bro. Sif. We know the truth now about you. Just admitted like hijacking the authority of the veil, <laughs> and remember that whole like situation with 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 young Robin, where Littlefinger essentially threatens to have Robin throw um, Royce through the moon door. He's yeah, like, he's like no, I'm not gonna stand up for you here. And this is where totally. we see Littlefinger amplify his plea level by level, like potentially feigning tears to try to win sympathy you. in a desperate last resort. I beg you, I've loved I your mother since I was a boy. boy. And yet, and yet, you, and betrayed yet her. you betrayed her. I loved, I loved you. you. I loved you. <laughs> More than anyone. More than anyone. And yet you betrayed, yet you betrayed me. me. Oh my <laughs> God. And the music here is so good. It's so badass. As Sansa rises up and tells him that like, this is just like the biggest moment here when she pulls it all together for him. Thank you for all your many When you brought me back to Winterfell, you told me there's no justice in the world, not unless we make it. AKA, I'm making justice now yep. by executing this is, you. This, this is, my... is justice, motherfucker. Yep, and it's your swan song, Littlefinger. If it oh, truly yeah. is Littlefinger. Thank yep. you for all your many lessons, Lord Baelish. I will never forget them. Oh. And then Arya in Grey Worm style, all right? Yes, like her the blade is like up against her forearm. Yeah, she like she unsheaths it and slashes his throat in one motion, the same way that Grey Worm does when he executes those two, so two slavers uh at, at uh when Mar- when they at the Battle of Marine, the brief battle, right? <laughs> Kills those two guys in one stroke. And then he fucking dies. Dude. Or the faceless man dies. We'll see. Yeah, he he starts like he's trying to talk still. He's like Sansa and Arya just like creeps up out of nowhere, lightning speed and just and like his throat just opens up and he still tries to talk. I, <laughs> you know? I know. Oh my God. And then Arya like returns to Sansa's side and everyone watches as Littlefinger bleeds out on the ground. Oh my oh God. Oh my God. Right? Dun, dun, dun. Right. Is he alive? Maybe. Maybe. Okay, so let's start with our notes. Starting off with notes, we're at the beginning of the episode, right? Outside the uh, walls at King's Landing. Yes, and that awesome music. Yeah, and how cool is this? I love it. Right, speaking of the music, yes, the music is epic, and it's a mix of of what I like to call the dragon attack music and the the reigns of Castamere. Yes, it's like a slow version of, like a deep version of Rings of Castamere. Mm-hmm. Combined with the dragon music, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Oh, yeah, definitely. And this is this is just amazing. We get all these, like, first of all, Bronn and Jamie are looking down from the battlements and just at this this beautiful 
image of perfection, of like the epitome of order, all of these unsullied, standing in perfect formation, totally still. Remember, like they'll stand until they die if you die. order them yep. to. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> these guys are so cool. Um, but I mean, I, although they are a little bit different now that they've been freed, they probably have some sort of autonomy that they've gained uh, from the the lax regimentation of being in in marine. I imagine. And this is the first time that Jamie and Braun have seen the Unsullied. Uh, so yeah, they're true. like, fuck me. <laughs> she has the oh. Dothraki, which we've seen. Yeah, just and a now- terrifying, like chaos personified and then here all of a sudden it's like the total like polar opposite this structured army yeah also terrifying (laughs) Uh, and i love braun here and because he's like um you know is that oil and the soldiers like no it's pitch and he goes well how many barrels and the soldier says 500 and braun looks at him he's like Get 500 more. Double that. We got trouble black. (laughs) And I love, again, the Dothraki. They just come screaming in and they like funnel through the Unsullied. How bad an ass is that? Just like right through all the gaps and the the pathways. And it it was just like the coolest thing for me. I, I just. It, it, it was like ma- it just demonstrated Danny's mastery over both of both order and chaos, as we see. Oh, I love that. Right, we see chaos just coming through the order and just com- the combination of both, and it's total full spectrum domination. <laughs> and you can see it on Jamie's face. He's like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, like holy shit! Nobody's ever seen anything like this before. <laughs> and she has dragons. Don't forget those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Force multipliers. Yeah. So. So awesome. Oh, God damn. Uh, There's a funny conversation about what are we fighting for here, too. Remember we talked about with uh, Jamie and John, or so with John and Barrick last week about what they're there for. Why is, why is the Lord of Light brought us back, you know, type thing. And they, Barrick said, you know, maybe, maybe it doesn't matter why. Maybe we're just fighting for justice. and Maybe that's just enough, you know, fighting to help people that can't fight for themselves. And so uh, here they're talking. It's Jamie and Braun talking about what are they fighting for? <laughs> and apparently it all comes down to Cox. <laughs> you know, even it though, all comes down to Cox. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Uh, Braun's like, like what, you know, what's left to fight for uh, if, if you don't have a cock, right? And Jamie's like, gold? And I'm like, yeah, nope. that's a pretty good call. You know, silver. <laughs> I, I like silver too. Um, no, because the soldiers spend it on women of the night yeah and if if not that then on family and and without a cock you don't have any fan you don't you can't make any family right so yeah so, so maybe it really is all cocks in the end <laughs> yet your brother has chosen to side with the cockless <laughs> he's always been a champion of the downtrodden gotta love Tyrion, you know <laughs> yeah and just the back and forth is great and uh that's when you hear the trumpet and the uh the uns- uh, the Dothraki come riding through the Unsullied, just ruthless and vicious and savage. It's so cool. And then um, they ready the archers and everything's about to, you know, get crazy potentially as they're like... Well, because they're not sure if they're going to stop. Yeah, they don't know. know. Like, yeah, we know after the fact that this is all just a show of force by Danny, basically saying, "Uh, my army's here. My dragons are here. My fleet's here. Try anything. We're going to fuck you up. Yeah. Let us meet in peace. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> exactly. So next, we cut to the deck of a Targaryen ship, and we see Danny's fleet is approaching King's Landing. And who's parked outside King's Landing but Euron's fleet? And so there's like a face-off. Yeah, they're, they only have like four or five boats. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so they're riding They as in up. Danny. What? <laughs> They as in Danny only has <laughs> okay. like four or five boats. <laughs> okay, thanks for clarifying. So they're riding up on this big ass fleet that Euron has with that monster mega mothership. <laughs> that thing is so yeah. cool. That with the Bertha. The, yeah, with the big cracking arms sticking out on the side and everything. So sick. So we got Tyrion. Varys is there as well. The whole Tyrion crew, looks nervous. Yeah, and Danny is not there with with them, right? No, she's on Drogon. <laughs> Probably still at Dragonstone because she can fly and catch up really quickly. So, uh, so John's on board too. And this is his first time seeing King's Landing, like we mentioned earlier. And uh, he learns that more people live in King's Landing than the than in the entire North. And he's like, God, like, why would people want to live that like that? And I totally Ugh. feel him. You know what I mean? I totally agree. I am not a city person. I go into San Francisco and I get so claustrophobic. I can't wait to get out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't necessarily mind being in the city, but it's not some place that I would want to be when there's like a power outage <laughs> or if there's like an economic collapse or something like that. No, I, I mean, give me give me the forest and the mountains yeah. and a quiet place to lay my head and I'm a happy person. So um, I think that they sort of exaggerated the the size of the or the the number of people that live in King's Knit Landing for the sh- for the show to probably to make it a little bit more relatable and make it seem sure. like there's more at stake. Yeah, in the books, the population is about five hundred thousand. Okay. And <laughs> Tyrion Tyrion makes you know gives John a pretty good couple answers for why people would want to live in. <laughs> <laughs> in King's Landing, right? There's good work. You know, there's lots more work here. And the brothels are money. You don't get those type Far of women out, outside the dread fort, you know? <laughs> Except he liked, he liked himself some Raws up in the north. Yeah. She, yeah, she was, she was like a le- living legend type thing. <laughs> Pretty great. So we g- it cuts down to the cargo bay and Sandor is checking on the box with the white. And he cautiously approaches, very cautiously, like tiptoes type thing with his torch and knocks on the box (laughs) and it starts scrambling around in there. And he's like, hmm, still alive. Interesting. He doesn't seem like scared. He he seems a little nervous, but he he seems like inquisitive. Yeah. And he's like studying it kind of. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, he's the strongest and most physically capable. So it makes sense that he's in charge of trying to wrangle this demon beast. Demon beast. I like it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So Cersei is, is sitting there with Jamie and Kyburn and she's all pissed because she's heard that Danny's crew is here, but Danny's not with them. And this is our first hint that well, aside from not seeing her on the ship, you know, and everything that she's going to be arriving via dragon. It just makes perfect sense. We should have been expecting. Of course. Her, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, she's uh, the dragon queen. Yeah, exactly. And Kyburn's like, no one's seen her. And, <laughs> and, uh, he tells her that there, that, that, uh, John and Tyrion and Varys and everybody are on the way to the dragon pit now. 
And this is when Cersei gives the Mountain the instructions. If anything goes wrong, kill the silver-haired bitch first, then our brother, then the bastard who calls himself king. And uh, after she threatened him last episode, Jamie looks horrified at this, at this command given to the Mountain. And he's like, what the fuck? Like, who is this person? You know? She's fucking She's crazy. Nuts. Yeah. And so uh, then we get to, it goes back to outside the landing, King's Landing as the crew is walking up. And there's a brief discussion about, between Jorah and Missande about dragons and about the dragon pit, which they're talking about. And Jorah's telling her about the history of the dragon pit and how they they had to build it for the dragons because once they were like in mainland Westeros, basically having these big ass dragons flying around was too risky for, for the private property and personage of, of the common folk. You know, he mentions that the dragons don't understand the difference between what is theirs and what isn't, which calls into question the level of intelligence that we were talking about in a previous episode are speculating mm-hmm. about how well Drogon understands what is going on in conversations and things like that. He mentions that land and livestock are were in danger as well as children. And of course we know that Danny has learned that lesson the hard way when she, um, when maybe Drogon. Maybe it's kind of like adolescence, you know, like even like child development, you know, they. Oh, maybe. Yeah. That's they grow into <laughs> understanding more versus because when Drogon did that, he was still quite small. Oh, Loki. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go grab him so he doesn't cheap, cheap. Okay. So I've got him in, in my sweatshirt now. So hopefully he'll be quiet. Hi, Loki. <laughs> Yeah, so I think it might be like a development thing because like with kids, you know, they develop into understanding language. So, I mean, when he roasted that child, he was still quite small. I mean, he wasn't small, but he was young. And so I think as he's gotten older, he understands more. And I'm sure their bond has gotten stronger, too. Right. And he could probably tell when she's mad, if you know, if he does something like that. Like yeah. Drogon kills a kid and Danny's like all pissed off and sad. And he's like, maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> Probably not, Drogon. Uh, and this is when the when Bronn and Brienne and Dan, uh, Cersei's guards all approach. We talked about this scene already. Yeah, we did. Next is Littlefinger and Sansa, right? Yep. <laughs> oh, man. God, Littlefinger. Yeah. You want to talk about it? Sure. Um, we we do get that glimpse at first of that raven struggling through the through the winter storm that they're oh, having. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. And that's kind of what the first thing that Littlefinger says is: he, it's not easy for ravens to fly in these storms. You know, maybe John tried to send you this information earlier. Sansa's like, no, he's always been this way. <laughs> he never asks for my opinion. Why would he start now? So I think she's, you know, discovered that he's bent the knee mm-hmm. and they kind of talk about that. And here and- Littlefinger's totally like undermining John's authority here, encouraging Sansa to take over basically and usurp his authority the way that Alistair had the option to when John was gone. Yep, exactly. So, um, Littlefinger basically is like, I can't believe, basically stroking Sansa's ego. Like, I can't believe he did this without consulting you. And it's like, well, 
why should he cons- sorry i mean i know that they're siblings but he is king in the north and sansa is lady of winterfell but if he wants to bend the knee to somebody why does sansa have a say in that yeah totally i mean she's not in a position of of authority over the the, the north here. over bending the knee i mean she's lady of winterfell so right. her concerns are of winterfell yeah. sure she has some authority she may, there. maybe she's warden of the north you know and has you know has some authority but not like this type of authority exactly so you know he's kind of stroking that ego in her and she's like no this is definitely him it's his signature he pledged to fight with daenerys targaryen he's, he's bent, bent the knee, the knee. <laughs> And then Littlefinger kind of goes into how Danny is super beautiful. And this is and like she- a subtle attack at John's character, like casting doubt about the strength of his resolve and potentially comparing him to Rob. That's true, because he's bl- blinded by beauty. Right. Like, I heard Talisa was quite beautiful. Cost Rob the fray alliance and ended, you know, and led to his death at the Red Wedding type thing. Like yeah. hinting doom is in the future now that John has fallen for the, the beauty of the Dragon Queen. And she's like, well, you think he wants to marry her? And I mean, it makes perfect I, sense. It does make total sense. I mean, they're both young and unmarried. Like, why shouldn't they? Right. And as Littlefinger says, together, they would be difficult to defeat. <laughs> the whole power of the north plus danny with dragons and the unsullied and the dothraki like geez so then sansa brings up Arya, and we know that little finger likes to rip sister uh, sisters apart yeah anybody who's got a relationship with anybody else he basically likes to turn against one another yeah just to cause more chaos yeah so Sansa's you worried know, that Arya would be mad if she betrayed John. Yeah, I mean, she would kill. She would. Kill, she was afraid that she would kill her, and I think she would. <laughs> right, because because doesn't Littlefinger say or Littlefinger says he was named king, but he also says that he could be unnamed king, right? Yep, he says that. Is is it this episode or the last episode? Um, I think it's the last episode that he says says that. Yeah, they're talking remember. about the Northmen getting anxious ah oh right yeah i thought that was this so we get this conversation about if Arya would kill her own sister (laughs) oh and we've been wondering this because i going kind of into my theory this is where little finger doesn't seem like little finger to me anymore oh interesting Um, because she, Sansa says, do you know what she is now? Do you know what the faceless man are? And he smirks and he turns away from her. Hmm. Yeah. And he says, only by, only reputation. by reputation. And I'm like, really? And I thought it was interesting, first of all, that she even divulges to Littlefinger that Arya is a faceless man. I mean, that's like priceless strategic information that you have an ally, an asset who can become anybody and infiltrate any place, anywhere as anyone like you can't go around telling people that especially not little finger little finger so why is she divulging this to him this has to be part of a setup to try to make get him to make a move the, the fix has to be in at this point you know what i mean because there's no reason especially if she doesn't like him or trust him that she should be divulging this to him 
And and I totally agree. Right. And and I'm like, dude, like he has to know more than he admits, right? He has well, family I think connections this is in Bravos, a faceless et cetera. Man. Right, right. I think he is the faceless man at this point. So I think that's Maybe. why he smirks and turns away because he's almost like he but, but I am a, a faceless man But right a now. real like faceless man in the game of faces would never betray any hint of that. No. So I think that's why he like looks away and, you know, he goes kind of into what they are like a more, more of a like, well, they worship the God of death, I believe. So he's like, well, speculating he's, a little. he's speculating because I think. It is the faceless man at this point. I think Littlefinger's gone. Mm. And this is the faceless man that is talking to Sansa. It's possible. And, you know, so he's trying to, this faceless man is trying to play it off a little bit. Like, well, they worship the god of death, I I guess, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never trust godly men. That's a Littlefinger-ish line, though. That's something I could see him saying. That's true. And this kind of goes into, you know, how how magical the faceless men get. Like, I mean, they can take on their voice. They can take on the appearance. Can they tap into some type of, you know, like attitude or thought process that the person that they're impersonating right. has? Capture, like and, use, uh, use their memories to get into character or something. And I'm sure Littlefinger had some time, if if my theory stands true or the theory stands true, to, train to coach person. this person a little bit. Mm-hmm. So Sansa goes at the well, they're killers, and Arya was one of them. What do you think she's after? Yeah, and that's interesting to me because it's it makes me think that Arya seems to think she's like one of the faceless men, and that she's not on the run from them. You know. Yeah, I mean, she said she's a faceless man. Yeah. So maybe she did graduate from faceless man school. Yeah, because she doesn't seem like she like didn't make the cut and she's on the run. She's like talking about how she was she's like in on, you know, like she's one of them, basically. Yeah. So I guess that's canon as far as we know. That's true. Um, So, you know, this is this is definitely Sansa leading Littlefinger down a rabbit hole here. Mm. Because Sansa's like, well, she could want me dead because she thinks I wronged my family. You know, Littlefinger is trying to lead Sansa to think about, like, critically think about why Arya is here. Mm. Uh, this like, is this is something else that I thought was interesting, too. Your theory that Baelish could be a faceless man. Get this. I was thinking at this point, I was like, is this even Baelish or is this Arya posing as Baelish? Testing oh, Sansa's shit. loyalties. Oh shit! Che- like, I didn't ta- even think of that. Yeah, talking to Sansa, seeing if she's uh, like willing to betray John, doing her own recon to see, <laughs> you know, to see if Sansa's really on her side, or if Sansa needs to be like dealt that. with. That's <laughs> pretty crazy, right? I like that. Um, you know, so Littlefinger's so like that well, can why explain the smirk as well. That's that's true. I just don't think it's Littlefinger in this scene. I, I mean, whether it's Arya or a faceless man, I he the faceless man does a good job. It, it you know what it's reminiscent of is when Arya portrays Walter Frey oh, and kills yeah. all the Freys, where that actor did such off, a great right? job. There's just something off. It's like looks 
if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, it is a duck. But then there's like something off about that duck. Right. But- you know, it's like not quite that character yeah. anymore. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to to guess it's Arya though because he got, he does go into his strategy here, right? Like imagining what the worst motives are and everything like that. That would be that's so Littlefingerish, you know. I don't I don't know if it's Arya, so Littlefingerish, and yeah. I think while I like the idea that it could be Arya, I think this is where he's maybe instructed the faceless man. Like this is what I do. This is how I kind of think. So. When you're talking to Sansa, Make it if convincing you, by saying this, you know, like the type of yeah. thing. Yeah, um, but she, Sansa's leading him down this path because you know why would she? He asks her why would she unearth this letter from Cersei to to provide proof of my betrayals. Um, you know, this could be realistic speculation as well, though, because I could see all of this stuff being true. The only part where I see it transition into the bizarre is when Baelish says, and then what would she be? Right. And and she's like, Lady of Winterfell. And Sansa knows that Arya does not ever have a desire to be a lady of anything. Right. So they're talking about what people's worst motivations are and how they could be, be pretending to be cool with you while they're scheming against you. And it all culminates with Littlefinger leading her to the point of figuring out that Arya may be wanting to take power and remove her from the equation. And I'm not sure if, if Sansa realizes everything, like realizes that that's not the case beforehand. It may be that coming to that little, that realization and having Littlefinger push her to that point is what makes her realize that Littlefinger can't be trusted and lets her in on his scheme because she knows that Arya doesn't want to be a lady, never has wanted to be a lady. If she's even uttering the fact that Arya may want to be, She's being led to say that by Littlefinger because that's not a thought that would ever cross her mind or Arya's. So when exactly. when she says that out loud, I think that something clicks in her head and she's like, "No, no, this doesn't make sense." You know what I mean? Yeah. Littlefinger is the enemy here, and this I could see this prompting Sansa to go and consult the Oracle to talk to Bran about. <laughs> you know what I mean? The Oracle. Yeah, and be like, "We need. I need some information here. Littlefinger's got me down this rabbit hole, and I need to know what the hell's actually going on because this doesn't make any sense, right? We it's need so to funny because we literally. were at the Warriors game. We were at the Warriors game last night, and it's called Oracle Arena. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so yeah, I think that if 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 they weren't if like um we've been speculating about how much are, are Sansa and Arya collaborating and working together to trick Littlefinger. Maybe, maybe not at all until this point. Maybe this is the moment where Sansa realizes after Arya didn't kill her and handed her the dagger instead. And then after, you know, after Littlefinger makes is leading her to, to speculate about Arya wanting power at Winterfell. Maybe this is the moment where Sansa realizes that the, you know, there's something fishy going on. Littlefinger's the enemy. Yeah. I agree. Anything else you want to add about that scene? Nope. Next we're at strategy planning time, right? Down in Dragonstone in the map room. Yes. We'll sail together. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Talking about going North after the, um, after their meeting, right? Yeah. So John is basically saying like the Dothraki need to go on the King's road. Um, 
they'll get there within a couple of weeks. That's really fast. Two weeks from Dragonstone area. I mean, God damn. Didn't it take like a couple months to get to King's Landing from, from Winterfell for King? Yeah, well, yeah but then again, so. Robert's train of crew of yeah, people like was going. Giant caravan. Yeah, 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 it's caravan. That's the word I was looking for. They're going really slowly. Yeah, they have all these wagons and all their kingly bullshit that they drive letters, along with them. Yeah, like portable houses, Whereas basically. Whereas the Dothraki, I mean, they're nomads. Yeah, and so he says I, if they ride hard on the King's Road, they'll get yeah. there within a fortnight. Isn't a fortnight Two 21 weeks. days? Okay, I thought it was days. a little bit... 14 days? I always mm, thought it was like a little longer than two weeks. Fortnight. 14. Oh, got it. Okay. So, and Danny's asking, like, what about the Unsullied? The Unsullied are going to sail with them to White Harbor and meet the Dothraki, you know, on the King's Road. Then they'll ride together. And then they'll ride together. So Jorah suggests that Danny flies because she's got tons of enemies in the north. <laughs> and he's we've seen He'll see that dollop of Daisy. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. No, no, he's, he's saying uh, like, uh, well, yeah, the dollop of Daisy in her caravan if you're riding. Yeah. And one one angry man with a crossbow. Yeah, definitely bad news. And and the man who killed the conqueror, he says. And I'm like, that's a good point, Jorah. Pretty good thought. Got to yeah. protect the queen. And and John kind of agrees, you know, he's like, well, no, it he disagrees. Is, it's your decision. But if we're going to be allies, I, I think he's allowing her to decide that, though. I don't maybe not agree, but he understands if she wants to fly in like for safety reasons. Right. Yeah. But he, he's yeah. He understands, but he thinks it's better to have them. If we're going to be together. allies, we need to travel together. Yeah. It, I think it sends a better message. Definitely. And, Danny makes her point. She's like, well, I'm not coming to conquer it. Yeah. I'm coming to save it. Exactly. We'll sail together. And she, at that moment, like, first of all, it's, it's cool because she says, I'm not here to conquer it. So she's like, Jorah, I'm not a conqueror, you know, like, <laughs> like that. Yeah. And then she, even after, though she totally is, right. she like conquered Slaver's Bay. <laughs> totally. Totally. So she, uh, um, she, then she, after she says we sail together, it cuts to a, sh- a shot of her and she like Everyone's touches the table. Everyone's looking at them, looking at the two of them looking at each yeah. other. But then she like turns and she's looking down at the table and like touching it. And she sort of like smiles giddily. And you can tell that she's like, and at this moment we get the Danny and John theme playing on one lone cello in the background, just yep. slightly. You know, and just, he like, he like scans her body. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, yeah, inevitably. And then <laughs> like his eyes are low and they like rise up and then their eyes meet and we cut over to Jorah and he's looking at them, looking at each other yeah. and Tyrion is looking at them, looking at each other. And again, you feel that sexual tension. Definitely. And it cuts back to Danny and she's like looking down at the table and she's like grinning giddily as if she's like excited about appearing Uh, in public with john (laughs) i think she's excited about being on a boat alone with john Uh, yeah that too that too (laughs) she does she knows what's up she knows it's gonna happen yep so as they're leaving the uh this area john walks out first with davos and theon runs out to catch john to have a quick little conversation with him i love this scene how about you i do too i love the way john turns around and like he gets into like this stance right 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 and you know 
Theon talks to him, you know, what you said, you could have lied, but you didn't. You risked everything to tell the enemy the truth. And it seems like he's kind of like scolding John at first, like you risked everything just to tell the enemy the truth. You know what I mean? But this is, it's the opposite. This is something that Theon admires about John, you know? Totally. <laughs> and John's like, you know, we, we came down here to make peace. And if, if we're going to do that, like we need to be we honest can't lie with to each, each other. other. Yeah. yeah, we can't lie to if each other. If we're going to be fighting with each other, we need to be able to trust each other. And that's like, you know, like they say, if you're like in a foxhole with somebody, you know, you need to be able to know they've got your back and they'll provide cover fire or that they'll like run to, if you get hit, to drag you back to safety. You know what I mean? Like you got to be able to yeah. trust these people. You can't be lying to them. Totally. So he even says like, you've always known what to do. You know, even when we were young, you always knew, you always knew every what step. was right. Yeah. You always knew it was right. I want to cover this quote verbatim because it's, it's important. Uh, like it's just a really cool quote. He says, you all, you've always known what was right. Even when we were young, all young and stupid, you always knew every step you take is always the right step. And I just thought that's an, like an amazing line, right? Like what, what writing totally. every step is always the right step. You know, and John is like, it's not, yeah. it may seem that way from the outside, but I promise you it's not true. I've done plenty of things that I regret. Yeah. And Theon's like, yeah, not compared to me, man. <laughs> and he yeah, agrees. <laughs> He's like, no, no, not compared to <laughs> not you. Compared to- I always wanted to do the right thing, be the right kind of person, but I never knew what that meant. It always seemed like there was an impossible choice I had to make. Just like Jamie, man, you know, caught between oaths, except, uh, whereas Jamie tried to make the best of those decisions and like, I think did the best he could, like killing the king was the best choice in that, in that scenario. Theon makes the bad decisions when he's thrust with these impossible choices. He betrays Rob. He joins his father. He, you know, kills Sir Roderick. He makes the bad choices where Jamie has made, you know, arguably the better choices. Um, and they're both trying to redeem themselves at this point. You know? <laughs> totally. And, and he goes back to, he, he, Theon lists like the first most impossible choice on his mind. Which am I is, a Stark or am I a Greyjoy? Yeah, like the, 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 the core, th- like, um, divide of his, of his identity crisis that he's been struggling with the whole time, you know? Oh man, it's so crazy. He's realized the crux of his issue here. <laughs> John says our, our, our father was more of a father basically than your own father. And he's talking about Ned there. Like Ned was more of a father to you, Theon, than your own dad was. Yeah. And Theon agrees. And John brings <laughs> up the point. Well, then why the fuck did you betray him? You betrayed his memory. Yeah. Oh man. It's, yeah. It's <sighs> like, it's, it's tough love. You know, he's, he's got to like point out that Theon fucked up and the fact that Theon admits it and wants to do right is probably in, influences John's decision to turn it back around with the next line. You know, Theon's like, I did, I fucked up. It was, it was horrible. And there's like a pause and John like, like lets out a breath and he, ter- he brings it back and offers and like sticks out the olive branch and remind, tells Theon that even though you fucked up, you know, you, you lived with Ned for like 10 years as something like you fucked up, you betrayed him, but you never lost him. You know, he's still a part of you. 
just like he's a part of me. <laughs> and that's that's another funny one, too, because that's it's more true than John knows because he's not directly descended from Ned. Yeah, I have that in my notes, too. Like, he's a part of you. Yeah, like a father figure and not an actual father. <laughs> Same thing yep, for both yep, of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I thought this was really very mature of John and very beautiful sentiment from John. And instead of using Ned's memory just to scold Theon and berate him and make him look like an asshole, instead he's using Ned's memory for inspiration and showing Theon, just like in in life, how Ned would have done to to bring him to the right path and tell him to, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, I mean, Theon is, he's regretting the things that he's done and John goes, well, it's not my place to forgive you for all of that bullshit. How could he? But what I can forgive, I do. (gasps) Huge. And it's like, wow. You know, you don't need to choose your great joy and you're a Stark. (laughs) And I loved that line because I think about it from John being a Stark and And a Targaryen. Targaryen. Oh yeah, true. You know, it's like you're both you. It's, it's okay to be proud that you're a Greyjoy Uh and know that that's where you come from, but it's also okay to identify with being a Stark because you spent your adolescent years growing up with Ned. You learned a lot from him. And embracing that influence is okay. Yeah, you can have both. You yeah. don't have to choose. I love uh, I love the way that he delivered that line too. At first, there's like a pause. He's like, "You're a Greyjoy, and you're a Stark." <laughs> you know. <laughs> and at first, he's just. It seems like he's telling Theon, like, "You're a Greyjoy. Just fucking get used to it." You know. But then he adds the Stark thing, and like the whole message changes, and Theon's eyes like kind of light up, you know. And this is like the beginning of the end of Theon's identity crisis, where he realizes that he doesn't have to choose, you know, and that he can forge his own destiny and be the person that he wants to be and be the right type of person, like you mentioned. And it's sort of like the like the conversation with John and Beric again, where they're talking about the the Lord of Light and what he wants from them. And it's sort of like, like this message that, that he's said, John, as John is telling Theon, like, it doesn't matter like what your house is necessarily, what you, what like you're supposed to do based on what your father was like. Like, it doesn't matter. There's nothing that you're supposed to do. Like you can forge your own destiny. Maybe, maybe the fact that you can do what, what you want to do and you can try to be that good person. Maybe that's enough, you know, like you don't need anything more than that. Yeah. Right. You don't have to choose. My voice totally just cut out when I said, yeah, I don't know if you heard this. <laughs> I, could, yeah, I barely heard anything. It like, it like got caught in my throat. That's <laughs> funny. Like, eh. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I do love when Theon goes in. You know, Yara was the only one that tried to save me when I was Ramsey's yeah, prisoner. You can tell it haunts him that he didn't. Quite, and she uh. needs me. And I love John here because y- you can tell John still doesn't really like Theon. <laughs> yeah, he's trying so hard to be welcoming you know, there. But it's like, oh, yeah. well, why are you still talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> and just walks out. And Theon's like, that's true. Like, I got to like, I, I gotta make some moves. And now it's time for Theon to step up. And he does. He does. So we cut down to the shore of uh, Dragonstone. And the Ironborn are 
preparing to abandon Danny, it seems. <laughs> and Theon's like, wait up. Like, this is not okay. Like, you, we all chose to follow Yara, and we need to go get her. We're not leaving her behind. And that guy, Harag, <laughs> who looks a lot like Euron, I think uh, is worth I mentioning. I thought so, too. It probably helps with encouraging Theon to want to fight him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Probably. So this guy's like, you know, she's dead. We're like, we're out of here, basically. Why the fuck should we listen to you? Like, you're stupid. The dead can't swim. Like Euron said, we're going to an island and we're going <laughs> to, we're going to fucking. But she's our queen. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we're going to, um, yeah. And so, he, yeah, he's like, he's like, run away, little Theon. That's, it's what you little, do best. Little Theon. Yeah, and that's what Euron keeps ca- saying to Theon as well, right? Little Theon. So yep. the fact that he calls him little Theon and looks like Euron, I think it's enough for Theon to enjoy beating his ass in a minute here, right? Yeah, for sure. He's like, I'm not going to let Euron in. Some Euron wannabe beat me up. <laughs> and this is when Euron's greatest weakness becomes his greatest strength. <laughs> the ballless wonder. Yeah. The guy knocks him in the face and knocks him over and Theon gets up to fight him and he's taking all these punches. And then the guy like goes to knee him in the balls and oh, I love his face when he yeah, figures it out. <laughs> he, it like doesn't, he doesn't really react. The guy's like, huh? And like, does it again. And after like two or three knees, Theon realizes his superpower and his face and goes from, smiles. yeah, it goes from being dejected to like this smile developing on his face. And he's like, <laughs> and he starts punching the guy and beating him up. And that guy was, it, he was like really out of breath too <laughs> for a while. Well, yeah, he's a big guy. Keeps like destroying Theon and being like, stay down. <laughs> stay or I'll down. Kill you. <laughs> yeah, I'll kill you. <laughs> he sounds so weak as yell. I would hate to have a, a yell that sounds that weak. Yeah. You know, oh. like if I was saying, I'm going to kill you, it sounds like strong. You know what I mean? <laughs> That guy was like, oh I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Winded and airy. I don't want to yell because I'll like totally blow your ear- eardrums. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're hard limited at minus seven decibels in my headphones. You're not, you're, okay. you're, not, you're not blowing my eardrums. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so Theon whoops his ass and gets up. Does he up. kill him? Um, I don't think he kills him. Probably not. But (laughs) as Theon is getting progressively more beat up, you know, he, he, he's, he ends by the end when he beats the guy down and leaves the guy lying on the ground, he gets up and he's kind of like, he like all like imbalanced and everything, and he looks yeah, like Tyler Durden. Bell rung. Yeah, he, he looks like Tyler Durden from Fight Club after his first fight. Totally. You know, where he's just like yes. elated and an ecstasy of having won a fight. And it reminded me of that line where what is it? Tyler Durden says, "You haven't lived until you've been in a fight." When he first meets um, Jack or whatever his name is at the God, I can't even remember the last time I saw Fight Club. Oh yeah, it's a great movie. It's been so long. Yeah, you haven't lived until you've been in a fight. (laughs) And this is like a a big catharsis moment for Theon. You can see it like all over his face where he finally like feels comfortable with who he is and has found the right thing to do. And he 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 stood up and did he he got in this fight and got partially beat up but he feels good because he's he's taking you know every step he's making now he's trying to make it the right step and and going to fight 
for Yara is the right thing to do. And I think that even though he was needing the balls or where his balls should be a bunch of times and everything that he's, he's happy with this, that he's, he's finding his path finally. Totally. Right. So this is, it's awesome. And he's like, after his stunning defeat of this ironborn guy, he turns to the rest of the crew and he's like, not for me. You know, it's not about me. For Yara. For Yara. <laughs> Everybody starts chanting Yara and, and Theon is just, it's just a, it's such a good moment for Theon. Like the, the best moment we've had for him in years, <laughs> you know, it's, it's good. I love it. Yeah. It's like the, he's finally Theon again. I feel. Yeah, exactly. Like this is the moment for, where he's, you know, something that he believes in. He gets kind of a blessing from John that it's okay to be both. And, you know, while I can't forgive you for everything, I do forgive you for what I can. And I, you, you had mentioned this back when Theon was reek and kind of coming back towards Theon is, you know, this, that season, you know, he was trying to figure out his first name. Was mm-hmm. it reek or Theon? Yeah. And I think here he finally gets, you had said like, he gets his last name back. Yeah. He's got to figure out his first name first. You know, <laughs> is yeah. he Reek? Is he Theon? And now and he knows he's Theon. He's Theon. And, and now he's got to figure out Stark or Greyjoy. Like, and what he's am a Greyjoy, I? But you he's know, also a Stark. But and he's now, also a Stark. And that's like the powerful thing is that he realizes that he's, you know, this whole time he's been thinking like, you know, I, I figured out my first name. I got to, I've got to figure out my last name. That's like what we're, we think he's doing. Right. But John's like, you don't have to choose. You don't have to worry about figuring it out. You can hyphenate you can your just, name. Yeah. You can just be <laughs> you and be both. And it's like super empowering for him, you know? Yeah. So I, I feel like after coming off that conversation and then having this like dude kind of confront him, he's like, fuck this. Yeah. Like, I have something to fight for too. I need to get my sister back, you know? And he also has that fresh confidence boost that he's needed, you know, which is, is the blessing of the, the stark male heir, basically the stark lead man, you know, like the, the patriarch, yeah, the yep. stark male pa- like head figure, the patriarch of the stark family. Like it's, it's big. Like he felt like he betrayed Ned and, living with that guilt and his betrayal of Rob. And he was so scared to face John because he thought he would be rejected. And as, as much as he, you know, he had betrayed the Starks and was angry at them and had turned against them. Like, I think he was scared most of all of being rejected by them because deep down he loves them and wants to be like them and, and admires them. And well, they were like brothers I mean, yeah, and it's... idols, you know, like, like he comes from the, the shitty old, like, horrible ironborn people and, and he got to grow up with the starks of winterfell yeah, like the noble honorable starks you know he hates them for being honorable but he also admires it and is jealous i think it bothered him when he was younger which is why he was so like yeah kind of an asshole if you will but right, now like, that he's older and gone through what he's gone through he knows that he was brought up the right way. Yeah. And by like really good people. And 
definitely respects it. And he, since he's like, he loves those people, you know, he just needed their blessing to be able to start with a clean slate. Essentially, he needed that that seal of approval that he was good to go and was in their good graces, so that he could then focus on fixing himself. You know, it was just like he needed that that approval yeah. from John. I really you know? feel like he's back. Theon yeah. is back. His his. I mean, his story arc is not complete, obviously, because we have season eight to go through. But I feel like coming into season eight, Theon is Theon Greyjoy. He is back. Yeah, I think like, yeah, that's a perfect way to say it. I think Reek is dead. You know, like Reek is is a season seven casualty. He (laughs) understands that his upbringing was important in his development as a person and has gotten the blessing, if you will, from a Stark. I'm using air quotes right, there, a yeah, Stark. Yeah. And now he has something to fight for as well, which is to get his sister back because that's like the final, I think that will be the final puzzle piece for him to feel whole again. Yep. Because she tried to save him and he didn't try he didn't to save her. He didn't think he was worth rede- redeeming. But now yeah. that John says you're a Stark and a Greyjoy and John sees value in him enough to include him in the Stark umbrella, he thinks he sees that he's worth redeeming. Totally. I I, I like Theon at this point. Yeah, um, I'm excited too. to see him in season eight because I really think he's kind of come full circle. And he was a great meet- fighter. You know, totally. Yeah. I mean, when we first meet him, he's was a total like immature hot shot with a bow, you know, like everything sword kind of cocky. And then he went through this horrible torture and did all these horrible things. And and now he's got his groove back. Yeah, he does. And I'm excited. (laughs) I, I hope that he does get to rescue Yara. I think if he doesn't, he'll still be okay with who he is, but that'll always haunt him. Yeah. I could see him now that he's got approval from John and he's saved Sansa. He's got all he needs from the Starks. I could see himself putting his life on the line to save Yara and potentially dying in the process. Totally. And um, totally. that could, you know, having Yara could be even stronger, could be even better strategically, um, you know, than having Theon yeah. potentially. Totally. So. But he could redeem nice. himself by sacrificing himself to save Yara, I think. So oh, yeah. moving on, now we're at with Sansa and Arya outside the Winterfell, um outside Winterfell on the ramparts, right? Yes. And yes. Arya's like, hey, are you, like, are you okay? Like this is after Littlefinger's been killed. And Sansa's like, Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm all right. It's just weird because in his own fucked up way. Like, I really think that he kind of loved me. <laughs> it's, it's fucked up. Right. And I, this is cool because it's great to see them comforting, comforting each other, Sansa and Arya and working together. Yeah. And they're really like, ever since the start of the story, they have been yin and yang. Sansa has been the perfect lady. Arya has been the tomboy fighter warrior. Who's like the opposite of a lady. So, together working together at winterfell they can be a powerful duo yin and yang for diplomacy and warrior capability it's it's a really potentially powerful and effective combination if they just put aside their differences and get on the same page you know what i mean i think they are because yeah they, again a lot like theon they have both gone through a lot 
they are more mature now and their childhood made them who they are, but there's a respect now yeah, and- between the two of them. And they may still butt heads here and there, but they're going to remain loyal to each other I no matter so. what. Hopefully, unless Sansa does like freaks out and <laughs> does end up betraying John in the end or something, but hopefully not. Um, but yeah, this like I from as as far as Arya and Sansa working together, I agree. I I see it as Arya essentially pledging fealty to Sansa in this scene. Um, so he loved me. It's weird, and Arya tells her, you know, you you did the right thing. Uh, and this is, this is interesting. Sansa's like, well, you did it. And Arya says, I'm just the executioner. You passed the sentence. You're the lady. And I thought that was weird because as Ned would say, the man who passes the sentence should swing the sword. Swing the sword. Right? So yeah. it's a little bit anti Stark, <laughs> but I'll let it slide. You know? Yeah. I have that note too. It's like, well, Sansa should have done it, but Sansa is not a killer. And we, yeah, we get that Arya's echoed. Tyrion actually even says that. And she's also not a man. She's not supposed to be, you know? So maybe maybe Ned would be okay with this. Like, Yeah, I mean, I don't see... Well, Catelyn does kill somebody. Mm, she yeah, kills Freya's... But that was, that was a, such a different situation. And it is expected in at least Bear Island in the North that women are fighters and tough and everything, <laughs> everything like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think... I think Sansa being the lady of Winterfell would have an executioner. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just don't see, and I don't see Ned having a problem with that. So, so Arya says, you're the lady, you know, you passed the sentence, you're the lady. And Sansa says, does that bother you? Because we, there's been this whole undercurrent of tension between the two of them. And this is the moment where that ends and where Arya pledges fealty to Sansa. Essentially, she doesn't say it, but she does it. She's the first thing she says is, I was never going to be as good a lady as you. And to me, that says you're meant for this job. I don't I want nothing to do with it. Like you're the one that it's supposed to be. And I back that, you know what I mean? Totally. So that this is Arya um, swearing her sword to Sansa basically. And she says, so I had to be something else. And this is when she, and further submitting to Sansa, she, she decides to agree with what Sansa had stated in the previous episode. I never could have survived what you had, what you survived. She says, cause that's what Sansa said. You never would have survived what I survived dealing with Ramsey and all that craziness. So I was like, wow. Joffrey. Yeah. So I was like, wow, Arya is admitting it or at least conceding the argument, whether or not she agrees um, as as a gesture of submission to Sansa, the lady and uh, Sansa (laughs) perfectly, you know, turns it around and says, no, you know, I was wrong. Basically you would have survived and gives her a huge compliment. You're the strongest person I know. I love that. Yeah. And Arya's like taken aback. She's like, I believe that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Well, don't get used to it. You're still very strange and annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful line there. Uh, So funny. Yeah. Where like, I like that too. They're like, they, they don't want to have like a perfect dynamic between the two of them. They enjoy a little bit of like the, the, the playful antagonism, you know, as Sansa says here, like de- demonstrates with her strange and annoying comment. You know, they, I think that they realize that they're going to enjoy that 
um, that like that that they can move forward knowing that they're allies, but that they can like have a little bit of fun and pick on each other a little bit. And that that's something that they'll both be able to enjoy. I think, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean? totally. And this is when Arya brings up that amazing Ned quote from season one or that they've heard throughout their whole lives, you know, about what, about what happens when winter comes and how they need to be as Starks, as wolves in winter, we must protect ourselves, look after one, one another. And immediately Sansa's like, father, she knows what Arya is talking about. And she continues the quote, when the snows fall and the white winds blow, the lone wolf dies. But the pack but survives. the pack survives. I love that so, so much. Good. Oh my god, I just got goosebumps all over my arms. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and Arya's like, oh, I miss father. I miss miss him, you know? Mm, me too. And they agree. And uh and we end the episode with Sansa and Arya on the same team, on the same page, working together. Staring out into the north. Yin and yang with a full spectrum <laughs> dominance over Winterfell. I love them. And the stark music is playing. It's like a higher pitched violin. And it just, I, I've said it before. The violin is the, the one instrument that invokes the most emotion from me personally. Right. I can't listen to a violin without getting emotional. Um, every time. And um, the Starks, there's some Stark music must just <laughs> must knock you off your feet I get, every time. I get tears in my eyes every time it comes on. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, I, I put it on, um, Justin loves it. And I think it's because I watched it all the time when he was like really small baby. <laughs> Seriously. And also just like hour after hour sitting in his room, like nursing him and cuddling him and Duh. Napping in a chair with him, you know. You know the Mozart effect. Have you heard of that? I have, but I can't quite remember. It's like, like if you play Mozart music for your baby when they're in utero or when they're like a like a newborn, you know, when they're in early development, that they'll the music and the complexity of the combinations of notes and things like that will encourage brain development, and that they'll oh. it will result in them having a higher IQ. Um, Maybe there's a germ effect also, where if you play like George R. 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 Martin writing, that it'll like or develop synapses. Or just even listening to Ramin Jawadi. Yeah. So that's it for notes, right? Yep. We've still got Raven's Calls and everything ahead, but quickly, let's wrap up season seven with just a brief discussion about where we are and where we're going. I mean, what a ride it's been to get to here, huh? Oh my gosh. Yes, you have done such an amazing job and you fought super hard. Oh, thanks. I mean, I was just talking about seven, seven seasons of Game of Thrones, but yeah, oh, I mean, the, 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 the podcast ride is crazy too. But yeah, let's like more about the show. Like, uh, man, like it's been such a wild ride to get to this point in this series. We've had ice and fire separated by a by an ocean. Now they've come together. Literally and figuratively, <laughs> and uh, even in this episode, and wow. <laughs> and now, um, I mean, man, like just the the trials and the tribulations, the deaths of our heroes and people who, from the start, we thought would have major influences on the show and be there till the end for the end game. I mean, the loss of Ned, the loss of Rob, the loss of the Red Viper, the the trial and the the sentencing of Tyrion and the deaths of Tywin and the sparrows and the blowing up of the sept and the elimination of all these great houses the, the Tyrells and the and the Martells, Martells. and the Tarleys and 
Oh, God. Jesus, the, the wall coming down. Well, actually, kind of, I mean, I know that Jamie and Cersei are still alive, but the Lannister and, and Tyrion, but it's like the Lannister... The, 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 <laughs> <laughs> the Lannisters lost their patriarch. Yeah, and their future. And like through their... And, and all their children. Yeah, it's... Tyrion's gonna need to, to find a wife. Maybe maybe Sansa. You know that could be the future. Could you imagine if they got back together? Right. That would be. It might be the end of the Stark line, though, unless Arya decided to have you know to have kids. And no, but then again, there's no male Starks. There's Bran, but oh, he's not Bran, gonna have kids. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Ooh. I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's no real way for the Starks to have a legitimate male heir at this point because it's not like Arya or Sansa could just have a kid because then it would just be a bastard. And if they were married, they would take the name of their, you know, the the male's house, I assume. yeah. So Stark, the house Stark may be over at this point. Um, Yeah, with this generation. Yeah, unless they come up with something crafty, like some type of royal decree or legitimization or something like that. That'd be hard, though, because John's going to find out that he's a Targaryen, so he's not a Stark either. But as a, as a king, he could um, still issue a decree of legitimization for if, like, Sansa had a bastard, or maybe he could issue some type of allowance... To um, for the preservation of the great house for for um, like Sansa to retain her name in a marriage or something like that. I don't know, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she went back to being a Stark after she. I mean, technically, she's a widowed Bolton. Yeah, was it under duress though? She could claim that she was like forced to do it. And That's uh, true. if if Rhaegar's marriage to Lyanna could be annulled, then then so um, could hers. Yeah. She's also a Lannister. <laughs> <laughs> Never consummated. So that was Sansa by, Stark, by default Lannister Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Hyphens, hyphens, hyphens. <laughs> hyphens, hyphens, hyphens. <laughs> good one, good one. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, we're 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 at a really interesting point right now. Also, the two years off with between seasons is wild. It, it's it's resulted in just a heightened amplitude of anticipation and it's like really played off I think for or played out well for um, for HBO I think that this season's gonna be a massive success and uh, it's gonna be super super exciting there's less than a week until new episodes of I Game know. of Thrones I know oh my gosh we have six days <laughs> ugh yeah, and even less, even few. Oh, I almost fucked that up. Even fewer, fewer by the time this episode comes out, too. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's gonna be a wild ride. So looking forward to um, to talking about season eight, and uh, we'll be doing. Well, Rachel, you won't be. You won't be available. But Game of Microphones will be doing live broadcasts immediately following the season eight episodes as they air. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of bummed that I can't do it, but just being that I'm on the West Coast and you're on the East Coast, it it falls right at dinner time for us and with my son. I just, I wish I could, but what I might do is film some of my reactions as I watch the show with my husband. Yeah, do it. I'm going to record mine as well, and we're, we should also say to all of our listeners out there, everybody, record your reactions to season eight. 
And, yes, uh, please, and post them on Game of Microphones. Or don't, you don't have to post them publicly if you don't want to, but send them to us, and we'll compile them all into reaction videos. Oh my gosh, that'd be so much fun. Yeah, so everybody everybody, record your reactions for Season 8. Send us clips and uh, of you know major moments, and we'll sync them up and... Uh, Get them all put together. That'd be. A lot I of fun, wish I, I would have recorded my reaction to the loot train battle because I was seriously like standing on my couch. Oh hell yeah! So yeah, we'll we'll have our live reaction episodes with me, a couple a couple of um, a couple guys from our new network, and special guests popping in on Skype. Um, it'll be fun, and um, then we'll do our regular episodes during the week. We'll have special guests on the premiere episode and on episode three, we're going to have an actor who spent 60 days shooting the, one the major battle for season eight. He's going to be joining us to talk mm, about I his experiences. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Really cool. So we're hyped about that. That's something you guys can look forward to and we'll, uh, yeah, it's, it's almost here guys. Thank you for sticking with us yes. all. Thank you this for rewatch. thank you for sticking with us and making the rewatch a, a hearty success. And uh, we're looking forward to carrying through season eight and beyond into the long night and spinoffs. And we're gonna we have we have ideas for plenty of types of episodes to keep everybody occupied during the break. So we'll be still issuing regular podcasts. Um, through the through the gap between the end of Game of Thrones and the beginning of the spinoff, uh, which is another thing to be very excited for. They're shooting yes. this year, right? Yes, I believe they are. Awesome. So we'll jump right into Raven's Calls. You hear that? I do. It's our last rewatch, Raven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll start with an email from last week, which I forgot to include. Sorry about that. It's from Lady Evgenia of House Lazarova. Beyond the Wall is such an epic episode. That moment when Drogon shows up above John made me jump and scream in relief. <laughs> Only thing that made me angry is Benjen saying, There's no time. It seemed there was enough time for him to jump, to jump on the horse with John and get the hell out of there. <laughs> Losing him and Viserion and Thoros was heartbreaking. Can't wait to hear the podcast episode. Really enjoying it and learning so much from you guys. I started listening to the season seven rewatch as I need to be ready for season eight. Almost there, counting the days. Have a lovely sunny day wherever you are. It's been gray and gloomy in east of England for weeks now. And talk to you soon. Yeah, it's been kind of sunny in here in Connecticut. Thank you very much and hope you're having a great week. Lord Johnny of House Store. I just want to say my favorite part is you guys recapping the whole series and doing an over-the-top job and finishing in time. I thank you for all you two do and put into this. Oh, thank you, Sir Johnny. You we love doing welcome, it. Sir Johnny. Yeah, we love doing it, and we thank you for being an avid listener and, and um, supporter of the show. And um, also, thank you for doing those amazing motorcycles that we like looking at online, too. Those paint jobs are incredible outlawed paint and thank you for our fire and blood books too yeah totally sir matthew of house rep theon and john stand in dragonstone reminiscing about ned john says our father was more of a father to you than yours ever was little does john realize ned wasn't his father either <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
classic. To quote Yondu from Guardians of the Galaxy about Rhaegar and Balon, he may have been your father boy, but he wasn't your daddy. Ooh, let me try in my, um, in my, um, fuck, what's the actor's name? I'm, ah, Michael Rooker. Okay, I'm going to try doing my Michael Rooker impression. Okay, <clears throat> go for it. He may have been your father boy, but he wasn't your daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. (laughs) Pretty good. Thanks. Sir Matthew continues. Sansa teases Littlefinger's fate right to his face. Even if I wanted to, Arya would never go along. She always loved Jon far far more than she ever loved me. And she'd kill anyone who betrayed her family. And finally, after Arya slits Baelish's throat and he is struggling to talk his last breath, Sansa really dropped the ball by not saying... (laughs) <laughs> no need to see the last word, Lord Baelish. I'll assume it was something clever. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, man. That oh would have been too fucking epic if she said that. Oh, man. Good what call. What an epic end of season seven. Thanks for guiding us through the rewatch, Duncan and Rachel. And I can't wait to see what happens next. Likewise. You are so welcome. Thank you for being such a great and active participant yeah. in our I think you've sent more feedback than anybody else throughout the rewatch. So thank you very much for being consistently a part of the show and participating. It means a lot. It was really great to have you uh, have your feedback as a rock to look forward to every week. For sure. Definitely. So thanks again. Lady Sarah of House Larkham. Where do I even start? This episode was beyond epic. The Hound to Brienne. Is she alive Bran responds, she is alive and back at Winterfell. Pod to Tyrion, I never thought I'd see you again, my lord. Tyrion to Pod, it's good to see you again, Pod. Tyrion to Bran, I can match what Jamie is promising and I want you to join me on Daenerys' side. <laughs> Bran to Tyrion, it's good to see you again. When they get to the pit, there's so much tension that you could cut it with a knife. Cersei gets impatient, so where is she? Then Daenerys arrives on Drogon, and Jaime is shocked and in awe at the same time. And Cersei isn't phased by Drogon. Yeah, that's that's true. That must be interesting for Jaime because he was like face to face with Drogon and Danny for that brief moment right before Bronn tackled him into the water. So, oh, uh, that's right. So yeah. he's like, you know, he tried to kill them, and Drogon tried to roast him, and <laughs> luckily Drogon doesn't seem to remember him. <laughs> <laughs> I try to finish her off. Uh, that's great. Uh, when Theon seeks guidance from John, John tells him, "You can be a Greyjoy and a Stark. You're still Theon." That may foreshadow John's confidence crisis that he has when he finds out that he is a Targaryen, and remembers what he said to Theon. Yeah, because he's going to have to um, have his own identity crisis coming up. Hilariously. I mean, he's always oh he, he's yes. always sort of had an identity crisis as well, where he's caught between being a bastard and wanting to be a Stark, right? So nothing's yeah. going to change. He's still not going to be a Stark, but he's going to be a Targaryen. And he's going to be like, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> and he's fucking his aunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brienne saying to Jamie, fuck loyalty, reminds me of the Hound saying, fuck the king during the Battle of Blackwater. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> fuck loyalty, fuck the king. When Daenerys sits down and Cersei says, we've been, we've been here for some time. <laughs> when Jamie and Cersei are in the map room, it looks like Cersei is wearing a chinchilla fur wrap. Cersei explains to Jamie that little, sh- 
that little show that Euron put on was part of a ruse to go get the Golden Company. That is what breaks the camel's back for Jamie, leaving and and makes him leave Cersei and King's Landing, heading for Winterfell. It starts to snow in King's Landing when Jamie starts to leave King's Landing. Interesting. Jamie leaves and the snow arrives. Hmm. Mm. Arya like tells, that. yeah, Arya tells Sansa she wouldn't have been able to survive what Sansa did. Sansa disagrees, saying Arya is the strongest person she knows. Sansa and Arya muse on one another of Ned's sayings about how lone wolves die in the winter, but wolf packs survive. Sansa and Arya both realize the truth of Ned's words as they need to stick together. I love the scene when the Night's Watch begin to spot the Night, Night King's army, and then all of a sudden, there is, there is the Night King on top of Viserion, and then blue ice fire destroys the wall. Then the army begins to march through the wall, and there's a shot out from overhead, and it looks like the whole army is in a formation of, of the Stark Direwolf logo. Really? Oh, I didn't even notice that. I'll have to look again. Interesting, yeah. I remember hearing that. For sure. I have really enjoyed the rewatch. Thank you so much for doing it. Much appreciated. And I'm so looking forward to commenting on season eight and also hearing your commentary as well. Thank you very much, Lady Sarah. And it's been great yes. having you to, um, sending your consistent feedback as well. Yes. Thank you means, so much. It means a lot to have people who, who care enough about the show to uh, stay in contact every week with us. We love it. We love it. It's my favorite part for mm, sure. Definitely. Lady Sarah of the Dust Bunnies. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah, it's a great name. <laughs> Howdy, lords and ladies. Ah, where to start? I had forgotten how jam-packed this episode is. Oh, yeah. It is in my top three favorite episodes. Nice. Mm. In homage to you both and to my OCD love of list making, I have a top five awesome. emotions of this episode. <laughs> nice. I love it. Number five, Confusion. Jamie finally leaving Cersei. After all she has done, this is what breaks the camel's back? Four, pain. Did anyone else feel it when the rogue Iron Islander kicked Theon in his absentee cash and prizes? <laughs> As a girl, I have no idea what that feels like, but I can't imagine that it didn't hurt a little bit. <laughs> Great pain tolerance, Theon. I think it's from his... Seasons of torture. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he might definitely. be a little numb to it. <laughs> yeah, he's used to pain. Number three, satisfaction. Seeing the smug look on Littlefinger's face fade so quickly was fantastic. I've hated uh, the character since the beginning. Oh, yeah. And it was perfect that the Starks got justice. Took him long enough. <laughs> <laughs> Two, anger. Sam, Gilly found it, not you. <laughs> I literally screamed this at my TV when I watched it for the first time. That's hilarious. <laughs> Number one, butterflies. Seeing John and Danny together and the roundtable meeting and all of the reunions that come with it and why I think this show means so much to some people. You love, you hate, you cry and curse. Thank you both for taking this journey with me. And I can't wait to see how much I will cry in the final season. Oh, I have a special box uh, of tissue waiting for me. It's going to be fucking embarrassing for me because I'm going to be on video, man. <laughs> like oh, live man. reactions after the show. I'm going to have like ice, like steaks strapped to my face to like bring the <laughs> swelling down and shit. Frozen peas. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm accepting all bets. Sorry, this is a long one. Happy watching. No, we love it. Yeah, Send your feedback. Definitely. Nothing's too long. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for writing. Always Thank good to you. hear from you. Lady Carlin of House Werderman. Hi, Duncan and Rachel. Thank you so much for this podcast and for all you have done to keep us accompanied during the long night. You are welcome, Lady Carlin. As season eight approaches and the war for the dawn begins, I wanted to hear some of your specific thoughts regarding your favorite pieces from the score. Ooh, this is right up your alley, Rachel. I have heard you frequently frequently mention how amazing and ingenious Ramin Javadi is, but I wanted to ask what are your top three favorite scores, not including the main theme, Light of the Seven, or any of the main house themes. For me, it would be Winds of Winter, Season 6, Episode 10, The Children, Season 4, Episode 10, and Wildfire, Season 2, Episode 9. Nice. Okay. Let me think here for a second. Um, Two Swords is definitely my number one if I can't pick the main title or Winds um, or uh, Light of the Seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Two Swords um, is really good. I like the the song that's playing during the battle at Castle Black. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> oh, with the big 40 foot horn. Yeah, yeah that was super really good. Really good one there, too. Um, I will say Goodbye Brother which is the the first time we hear the Stark theme in season one. I love the dragon, like the, the dragon fight music. Yeah, I'm trying to find the name of it. The red woman too. Oh, I love the red woman. Oh, man. So good. I think there's one called Dracarys. Yeah, there has to be. Is that season three that she does that? When she acquires the Unsullied? Yeah. Yeah, the music's really good there, too. Yeah, and then my third one would be Dracarys. Nice. I also like the sort of mystical wonder inducing music the ascending scale that we get with certain scenes with aria when she's on her journey and it's like it's like um weird instrument that he plays for aria's theme is good oh nice yeah and there's like sort of like chimes ascending or something creating mm-hmm. this like feeling of wonder and like enchantment kind of um really cool theme for Aria. Um, we've been discussing the John and Danny theme a lot lately, which I really like now that I've noticed yeah, that, it. That's up there. I, I like the whole, um, the list would probably be shorter to pick out songs. We don't like yeah. <laughs> non-existent. I literally listen to it all the time in the car. Yeah. Um, so good. I either listen to Ramin Jawadi or Bob Marley. Those are my two kind of go-tos in the car. Uh, my my son loves Ramin Jawadi, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if I had to pick, those would probably be my my top three. There's other really good ones. The Spoils of War is great, mm. and um, yeah, God, there's so many. Oh, I know. Where those are my top begin? three: Two Swords, Goodbye Brother, and Dracarys. Nice. Yeah, great question, Lady Carlin. Thank you for writing it. in. 
Yeah, yes, it's good to hear you. you. Good to hear from you again, too. Sorry we missed your email the first time. Yeah, I, I still can't find it. I'm glad we got it. Yeah, thank you for making sure we, uh, for contacting us again and making sure we read it. Would have hated yeah, to miss it. Yeah, that for everybody, yeah, too. If, if you guys send something and we don't seem to, if we don't read it or don't seem to, to respond to it, we probably didn't get it because we, we respond to everything and we, you know, we read everything we get on air, basically, so... Yeah. So slap us across the face virtually. Yeah. Yeah. If there's like a communication breakdown, just reach out to us again and we're really easy to get a hold of. Yeah. Facebook Messenger or um, ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Or for, comment or, right on our posts and we can find yeah. them there. Yeah. Nice. Sir Patrick of Hindsight, the Dothraki streaming between the ranks of the Unsullied is its own song of ice and fire. Ooh, I like that. Throughout the series, I've wanted Cersei to become the, quote, wicked queen figure she's seeming seemed destined to be. Now we see her strolling into the dragon pits, clad in black, accompanied by a pirate, a necromancer, and an undead dreadnought. Great point. <laughs> He could have tried. He could have died. Young or old, a true knight is sworn to protect those who are weaker than himself or die in the attempt. Thoughts of Brienne of Tarth concerning Sir Quincy Cox, Knight of the Salt Pans. This, so this thought was the very crux of everything this story stands for. It really is all about Cox in the end. <laughs> Remember, Jamie asking Kyburn if he could make him a new working hand? Remember Kyburn admiring the craftsmanship of Jamie's golden hand. Now Kyburn admires the white's animated hand and he pops a Kai boner over it. <laughs> when a character breaks his own code, he or she pays by having the offending part destroyed. Peter breaks his allegiance to quote the latter by declaring his love for Sansa. Thus he gets his vocal cords severed. His last word is a gurgling I. He just wanted to, to, it to be, I love you, but by poetic justice, he dies, referencing only himself. Yes, so good. I think his wits were impaired during his trial by his own admiration for Sansa. He keeps getting this wrinkle in the corners of his eyes when she says something impressive. I feel this scene is referencing the death of the raptor trainer in Jurassic Park. <laughs> Whenever he gets that look, I just know he is thinking, clever girl. In the final shot of Cersei, just after Jamie leaves her, he brings her hand she brings her hand to her womb. She's got no one to posture for in this scene. I think she may have been posturing at Jamie, pushing him away so he wouldn't be there when the moon tea kicks in. What is Kyburn doing here indeed? Damn, that's that's rough. Your brother decides to align himself with the cockless, and then shortly after it cuts to a shot of Theon standing behind Tyrion. The single best moment of payoff in the entire series is when Sandor smiles warmly upon learning that Arya is alive and well and has become a badass. He and Bran look like proud parents as they walk together, fitting since their battle essentially consummated her rebirth into the faceless men, and Sandor likely took Bran's maidenhead when he kicked her in the box. <laughs> oh, man. When Bronn says, suck his magic cock later, Tyrion has a sore look on his face. In my opinion, he thinks Bronn is referring to the alleged magic properties of dwarf cocks. <laughs> Good point. Love it. Really great feedback this week, Sir Patrick. Thanks so much for writing in. All right. Thanks, everybody, for making the rewatch a blast. We loved it. Duncan, great job editing. Thanks. I mean, seriously, dude. I, you are unreal. And you have been amazing as well. 
A duo for the ages. Yes. (laughs) I like it. All right. That's our show. Episode 109. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes. Thank you guys so much for sticking with us through the long nights. We love all of you. Indeed. And a huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers for announcing our show. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping? Go to gamamicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones. We'd like to thank our patrons, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lady Terry of House Theodore, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, Lord John of House Grills, Lord Jeremiah of House Carpenter, and Luke the Low Duke. Thank you guys so much. We love you and appreciate your patronage. And another huge thank you to Lord Bryson of House Wolf for your contributions as well. And make sure to check out Sirenicide, the serialized horror drama podcast featuring me and Archmaster Stitches. Go to sirenicide.com and download it wherever you get your podcasts. We also want to give a huge thanks to Lady Lisa of House Sky, Pie Romancer. She has been amazing behind the scenes working to get our website, Game of Microphones, up and running. Mm -hmm. She's also an incredibly skilled artist, so check out her amazingly illustrated book, The People You May See, available now on Amazon.com. It's Prime eligible, too, so you'll get it super fast. (laughs) Yeah. You can check all her work out at fineartsbylisa.com. She's also on Instagram and Facebook slash fineartsbylisa. We love you, girl. Definitely. And I've got an Elisa Sky original that's up on display on the Game of Microphones set. So as we go into what? our live that's broadcasting. Awesome. Yeah. So when we're doing our podcasts during season eight and you can see the Game of Microphones studio, keep your eye out for the picture of Drogon on the wall. That's a Elisa Sky original. It's awesome. I love it. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Next episode, we'll be covering the premiere episode of the final season of Game of Thrones. I'm so excited. (laughs) The name of which is as of yet unknown. In other words, an episode has no name. Oh, my God. (laughs) Thus far. (laughs) We'll be doing live shows immediately following the episode, as well as studio-produced episodes like this during the week between the new episodes. So that means double the material for you guys, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have some really cool guests and a lot of new faces um, appearing regularly on the show, and it's going to be a lot of fun, guys. So we're looking forward to experiencing the new season with you guys. Yes, cannot wait. So make sure to tune in next Sunday, April 14th at 9 p.m. Eastern to HBO to watch the premiere of the final season of Game of Thrones and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. If you'd like to call, you can always call us at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. If you'd like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. Imp slap. Ah. 
You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steemit. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. Likes, comments, and shares are appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. I didn't believe it until I saw them. I saw them all. How many? A hundred thousand at least. In the nick of time. That is true statement. <laughs> I'll get it out before the <laughs> before the new season comes out for sure. Yes, you will. <laughs> I have oh, faith in man. you. Jamie's like, dude, we don't have a fortnight. If the North falls, like, we're all fucked. We're fucked. <laughs> Girl, our child is not going to be born if we don't deal with this threat. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Yes. Right. She's, like, so stupid, but also, like, so, you know, smart at the same time about some things. Like, she has Euron pretend to freak out and leave when it's, like, an excellent plan to, like, sneak off and go get the Golden Company, you know? And, like, she's doing slick things and making astute observations while at the same time, like, she's, like, she sees all the details, but she misses the big picture, you know what I mean? (laughs) Exactly. She can't put all the details together to see, like, the actual picture in front of her. We bought ourselves a big army. She's like 20,000 men, horses, elephants, I believe. Yeah, that was a crazy line. Yeah. We're going to see war elephants in season eight. I hope so. Yeah. We got to see one of them, like a kraken, a big giant spider or elephants. I'm hoping we get an army of ice spiders, (laughs) an (laughs) army of war elephants, Nymeria and her army of dire wolves. Oh my God. (laughs) And all three dragons at least a few times. Yes. (laughs) Blow the budget. Blow the budget. (laughs) Just poo. Uh. (laughs) Do you really think you're on Greyjoy? Got scared and ran away. You're on fucking Greyjoy. Dude, he, he sailed over to Essos to pick up the Golden Company and come back under the cover of being terrified, you know, and everybody bought it. And I was like, oh my God, that was so slick. So they must have had this plan for, she's like, listen, you're on for some reason. We don't know why they want to meet us. We don't know what they have. Like if they have something to show us, we don't know about that. We don't know what the deal is, but you're going to think of some reason to abandon me. During the during the proceedings, right, and make me seem like I'm in a position of weakness because she, when you're strong, you act weak. When you're weak, you act strong. You know, art of yeah. war. Yes, yes. <laughs> so she's like, no one walks away from me, and I'm like, oh, spoke too soon, Cersei, because because Jamie is about to walk away from you. Yep, that's more like treason, yeah. but okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, then, Cersei. <laughs> yeah, then then he's I'm like, well, pledged. I pledge to ride north, and I intend to honor I'm that pledge. And that's when she pledged. says, and that will be treason. <laughs> treason? <laughs> yeah, disobeying your queen's command, fighting with her enemies. What would you call it? It doesn't matter. Yeah, like, he's like, this is We're talking bullshit. about grammar. 
We have way more <laughs> big, like larger problems in grammar. Also, and like you're just not listening to what anybody else has to say. So even if you're asking me what I, my opinion is, it doesn't matter to you. Like you know. <laughs> It's like, yeah, you're just being a giant belligerent. Bitch. Yeah. Yeah. So she's, he starts walking away and she repeats herself. I told you, I told no you, one no one walks me. away from me. Yeah. And he's like, are you going to order him to kill me? Cause Gregor like, ooh, like steps in front of him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my God. Give the order then. When I first watched it, she like nods her head. She he does. She gives Gregor the order, and this look flashes across Jamie's face as Gregor draws his sword, and his eyes sort of like flicker, like he half blinks in astonishment at just the betrayal. I don't believe you. The person he loves most in the world ordering him to be executed, and he calls her bluff and says, "I don't believe you." Yeah, dude, that's just- twice in one episode. She threatened, you know, two times in the same episode. First, Tyrion says, "Give the order." And then Jamie says, give the order then. They both fucking, she threatens to kill both of her brothers in this episode. I know, it's That's crazy. Fucking she's nuts, She's dude. lost her mind. Yeah, with, with the death of Tommen, like her moral compass is just gone. Oh man, two episodes in a row now. Cersei first mentions Bronn by name, and now Bronn mentions, mentions Cersei by name. It's the first time these two characters have been like connected to one each other, and I don't like it, you know? Yeah, that's true. Bronn is unaware that Cersei has singled him out for punishment just last episode. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, he he's pretty proud of himself. He's totally patting himself on the back that two traitors' heads are coming right through their door. Yep. She can lop them both off and throw them into the Blackwater. <laughs> <laughs> and Bronn is blunt and self-oriented as ever. And Tyrion's like, it's good to see you again. <laughs> yeah. I left this shit city because I didn't want to die in it. <laughs> Am I going to die in this shit city? <laughs> so, so good. You might. Yeah, Tyrion's just straight up with him. Um, Sandor's just like, dude, fuck this. And he goes and stands right in front of his brother. Yeah, he can't take his eyes off of the mountain. He's just like, this is, you know, he just needs to get closer, A, to see what the fuck happened, and B, to confront him, you know? And he just walks right up to that dais and the, and the mountain just comes right out to meet him. And I'm wondering, is he knowingly coming out to meet Sandor as his brother, or is he just doing what he's supposed to do and protecting Cersei from whoever this is? Is he thinking enough to know, you know, like that Sandor is even there? I think he knows it's, her bro- it's his brother. Right. Cause there was that time where Jamie like insulted him. Like, does he even know what we're saying right now? Exactly. And he kinda, like like turns he, towards he him. He listens because to Kyburn's point, when he first introduces him, like this is, you know, Sir Gregor Clegane. Right. He's um, still he's Gregor taken Clegane. A, yeah, he's taken a vow of silence. So just because he's not speaking does not mean he doesn't understand. Right. But at the same time, it's like, is that actually true? Has he taken a vow of silence or is that a cover because he's undead and no longer talks? Oh, you know what I, mean? you know what? I never even thought of it that way. Oh, yeah. I thought that was like maybe a public explanation to explain why this guy isn't saying anything. Oh, <laughs> when he's really, really like a necromancy <laughs> abomination. You know what I mean? Yeah. And dude, he looks fucked. You're even uglier than I am now. Yeah. yeah. It seems to be like a recurring theme in season six and seven. Yeah, for sure. Or maybe just season seven. I don't know. I'm losing track at this point. (laughs) It's all (laughs) blending together. I know. Seriously. So what do you have for your number three? 
Let's see. Oh, man. We got so many good things to talk about in this episode. My number three is the revelation. Me too. Okay. Okay. The cool. Truth. Yes. Sam the and truth. Bran, the ultimate intelligence combo. Right. So Bran is just chilling as usual in a dark room, <laughs> just brooding like, like Stannis or John, <laughs> and he's sitting there looking into the fire, which I thought was interesting. Just just the idea of. Bran looking into a fire sort of evokes imagery of two supernatural powers facing off with each other. The werewood network. Networks. Yeah, exactly. The ice network, the fire Wi-Fi. This scene was so hard because you know it's coming. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's like incest, you know that I mean. it's incest, but you want desperately for them to like get together because they don't know it's incest. Right. How <laughs> you gotta be a really good writer to get like 99% of the world rooting for it's incest. It's like, I don't right? want to like it, but I do, I do. And it drives me crazy. <laughs> it's hilarious. And it's just a balance of priorities again, you know? Yeah, it's, you know, and Jamie talks a lot about this with Brienne. It's like when there's so many oaths to keep, like right. you're bound to break one honor of them. Honor your father, honor your king. What happens when your king asks you to kill your father? You know, like what do you do? So it's like this Romeo and Juliet esque tragedy with star-crossed Completely. lovers from opposite warring families. You know, a tale that ends in tragedy: a dead prince, a dead wife and mother, both Romeo and Juliet dead at the end of of that story. Spoiler alert: a destiny lost and shattered to the winds of time. I love that connection. That's great. And just one shred of hope left behind in this case, hidden and protected and secreted away to the north. A king hidden as a bastard. It's fucking epic. I'm sure it's fucking really awkward for Amelia Clark, too, because yeah. she like knows these people outside of the show. And it's like, yeah, like our genitals touched yeah. <laughs> and my boobs were on your husband's chest. And sorry about that. Kind of, yeah, it's just, I, I I can't help but like look at it from that perspective sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's so funny. Bran's just like, he needs to know, you know, we need to tell him. And like, fuck, he does need to it's know. Like, no, don't tell him. <laughs> <laughs> don't oh, do it. Man. We hear a dragon screech. Oh man. And it's like, oh no. And it comes flying out from the darkness. Dude, so fast. It's super fast. Okay, so did you notice? I was curious. He is able to blow flames longer than the other dragons, in I, I, my opinion. Uh, I feel like he's now exponentially stronger. That like now it's ice magic combined with fire magic, and he's like even more powerful than Drogon. I'm gonna make a prediction right now. <laughs> I feel like Viserion, undead Viserion, is going to kill Drogon. Oh no. I know. No. Oh god. Drogon would come in spit his fire it would go i mean it spit for a long time but then it would stop and he would fly up and then he would spit again spit the fire and viserion he's like just, the energizer dragon he just keeps going yeah and going. it just it never stops yeah. and we get these like as he's just blasting un, unlimited supply of this icy flames uh, we get these close, these awesome close-ups of his face. He's like, like, we get this crazy sound. And the fire I is just like, I love that it's a flame. Yeah. Oh my God. It, it, 
a couple of those so shots. Now we have blue fire. Now we have green fire yep. and red fire. Yeah, totally. Very interesting. And uh, his head is just kind of like ah, like going back and forth and just spraying the flames. And we get this amazing sound of his screeching as he's doing it. And these blazes of blue flames are just like these gargantuan blasts are just penetrating all the way through the wall and just shooting out the other side. I know. And Tormund and Beric are standing there like in total fucking disbelief. Yeah. I love Tormund. He's like, run! <laughs> just like... Yeah. But in fairness to Cersei, it she is doesn't believe any of this yeah, bullshit. It seems like nonsense. Like she says, yeah, it, I, don't, I don't think this is serious at all. It's a, just another bad joke. You know, like, and she says, it's like, um, what did the maester say? A child surviving beyond the wall with the help of a magical raven. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And I love Danny. Like, she rolls her eyes. She's just it's like, she takes this like breath in through her nose and she's just like, fucking stupid bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought when I first watched it, it's like, I wonder if there's some like magical spell over King's Landing that like doesn't allow their necromancy to work in this area. Yeah. And the whole, the audience is wondering, is it dead? You know, is this all for nothing? That whole yeah, mission, is it a failure? The box over. Yeah. And we I learned mean, that it was just playing dead and like, <laughs> just waiting for its moment to strike. <laughs> oh my God. As it ah, animates and jumps out of the box and, and goes Cersei, screeching like, at Cersei. flies to the back of her oh, chair. So man. like her, her like demeanor completely changes 180 degrees moment of real panic and interestingly the mountain does nothing you'd expect the mountain to step forward and intercede oh on i didn't Cersei's notice behalf. that i know jamie stepped forward i didn't realize the mountain didn't step forward yeah like everybody is just in shock maybe he was like oh a fellow brother <laughs> yeah yeah you know, I, I know that you brought this up like way, way back is there's the fight or flight or like be or frozen. Freeze. Yeah. Fight or flight or freeze. I'm a freezer uh, for sure. I'm a refrigerator. Sh- I'm always cool. And even Varys. Oh, man. I mean, even the look on Varys' right, face. Right, because Varys is hasn't like, seen it yet either, you know, as much as he loves things in haven't. boxes. He hasn't, you know, gone and opened the box himself yet. <laughs> Tyrion in a box, sorcerer in a box. Dick in a box. Dick in a box. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm wise enough to know when a gift keeps giving. I'll have to have Dave record his zombie screech. Oh, yeah, do it. It's so good. I cannot emanate it at all, but Dave, he does it all the time to scare me and it drives me crazy. Uh, Awesome. He points out that like, if we don't win this battle... That is what is going to become of every one of us. We're all going to be turned. And if it's if that's the fate of everyone, that means Hodor is one of those. And I want to see him, man. We're going to see Hodor. Hodor is coming back. He's got to, right? So he's like, fuck this. Can they swim? John's like, no. So he's like, yeah, good. I'm going back to the island that I came from. Screw you guys. I'm going home. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and... uh Everybody's like, whoa, as like this big tough guy is telling them, like, listen, I've been around the entire world. Ah, yeah, yeah. I've been player hated. And, you know, I don't know what, I don't know why, but this fucking terrifies me. And it's the only thing I've ever seen that scares me. 
And I got to get the hell out of here, basically, because I don't play that shit. You guys can deal with this. I'm going to my island where I'm safe. I love that he goes up to Danny. He's like, I'm going to yeah. go to my island. You should go back to yours. And when all this shit is over, you and I are going to make babies together. Yeah. <laughs> he gives her like this look like <laughs> eh, like a little nod. And she kind of like, uh, but the more immediate problem is that we're fucked. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, we're fucked. Super fucked. So he runs into Jamie here. And uh, Tyrion's like, you spoke with her, like convinced her to meet with me. And Jamie clarifies, I spoke at her <laughs> until she kicked me out. <laughs> she thinks I'm an idiot trusting you. A lot of people seem to think that. <laughs> <laughs> so will he follow through and redeem himself or will he fall? Will love become the death of duty again for Jamie? And will he in- end up aligning himself again with Cersei in some desperate moment? And he turns and starts walking towards the mountain. And this is the most ballsy thing anybody has done in this entire series is walked towards the mountain and said, do it. And I was like, oh my God, this is fucking nuts. And he turns back to Cersei and says, say the word, you know, just like Jamie, give the order. Say it. Yeah, say it. And oh my God, a pause. And, and she can't do it. Yeah. She can't fucking do and it. Ecstasy and anger and power and shock all fill her face simultaneously. And she hesitates. And like you said, she just can't do it. She grimaces and turns away, unable to give the command. And like, isn't this what she's dreamt of for the, all of this time? And now in the moment she knows, like, is it that is it that she feels sympathy and she won't do it? Or is it because she can't do it? She knows that part of her bigger plan revolves around Tyrion surviving because this would trigger war instantly and she can't have that yet. So as much as she wants to do it and as much as she may have done it, she knows she can't do it. And as as it, it comes across as maybe she feels sympathy and maybe she chooses not to do it. But I think that strategically she knows she can't do it. And that's what is upsetting her is that she, as she has the opportunity here and she can't do it because it would sacrifice her power. Basically, I totally agree with that. But I also think there's an underlying tone of deep down in her soul. She knows he's right. And I think that's what Tyrion thinks, you know, and I think that this is and he immediately when he realizes that he's not going to be killed here, he like he he exhales. Right. And he (laughs) grabs a drink and it's like this. It's like the old dynamic that it used to be where like they hated each other, but they'd be sitting there talking with each other and negotiating. And I think that this is the first moment since he escaped from King's Landing, since he was taken into custody, that he's felt safe where somebody isn't immediately trying to kill him. And he may not know until after he's made a mistake that she was never true with her word. That's true. So it's, it's very fishy. It's it, a pickle. It, it could, it, it's definitely a dill pickle for it's sure. A pickle. And so this is funny. Cause he, he's like, you may have known that. And he assumes that Lysa would have told her because Lysa had let it slip partially that time. Right. So he's like, whatever your aunt may have told you, she was a troubled woman. She imagined enemies everywhere. And I thought this was crazy because this is exactly what he's been telling the Sansa to do. Imagine your enemies. Imagine the worst possible reasons they could have. Exactly. You know, imagine what, what Arya is really here for. He's telling her to imagine enemies everywhere. No wonder Lysa went crazy. You know, with like <laughs> yeah. this type of influence on her. That's totally true. Sansa's like, protect me. me. 
By selling me to the Boltons? If we could, if we could only speak alone, I could explain She's like, everything. Fuck that shit. <laughs> right? It's like with uh, Jora. Didn't he say that to Danny? Right? If we could That's only like, speak alone, Khaleesi, you'll never I could be alone everything. with her again. Exactly. You'll never be alone with her again, Littlefinger. Ever. Hopefully, or <laughs> unless you're still alive. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's what you do, isn't it? That's, That's what, what you've, you've always, always done. done. Turn family against family. Turn sister against sisters. That's what you did to our mother. And Aunt Lysa. And that's what you tried to do to us. Give me a chance to defend myself. I deserve that. Yeah. And she's like, fine, try. I am Lord Protector of the Vale. And I command you to escort me back to the the Eerie. And Lord Royce is like, "Uh, nope. nope. (laughs) Not happening, bro. Not going to happen, brosif. Bron and Jamie are looking down from the battlements and just at this this beautiful image of perfection of like the, the epitome of order all of these unsullied standing in perfect formation totally still remember like they'll stand until they die if you die. order them yep. to you know what i mean like <laughs> these guys are so cool um but i mean I, although they are a little bit different now that they've been freed they probably have some sort of autonomy that they've gained uh from the the lax regimentation of being in in marine i imagine and this is the first time that Jamie and Braun have seen the Unsullied. Ah, so yeah, they're true. like, fuck me. <laughs> she has the oh. Dothraki, which we've seen. Yeah, and just now- a terrifying, like chaos personified and then here all of a sudden it's like the total like polar opposite. This structured army. Yeah, also terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so cool. How many barrels and the soldier says 500 and Braun looks at him, he's like get 500 more double that we got trouble (laughs) and i love again the dothraki they just come screaming in and they like funnel through the unsullied how bad a ass is that just like right through all the gaps and the the pathways and it it was just like the coolest thing for me i i just it 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 was like it just demonstrated danny's mastery over both of both order and chaos as we see, Ooh, I love that. right? We see chaos just coming through the order and just com- the combination of both and it's total full spectrum domination. <laughs> Tyrion makes, you know, it gives John a pretty good couple answers for why people would want to live in, <laughs> in King's Landing, right? <laughs> there's good work. You know, there's lots more work here and the brothels are money. <laughs> you don't get those type Far of women out, outside the dread fort, you know? <laughs> When Drogon did that, he was still quite small. Oh, Loki! <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go grab him so he doesn't cheap, cheap. Put him in my shirt. I'll be right back. Okay, <laughs> put him in your shirt. Okay, so I've got him in in my sweatshirt now. So hopefully he'll be quiet. Hi, Loki. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Littlefinger is trying to lead Sansa. To think about, like, critically think about why Arya is here. Mm. Uh, this like, is this is something else that I thought was interesting too. Your theory that Baelish could be a faceless man. Get this. I was thinking at this point. I was like, is this even Baelish, or is this Arya posing as Baelish? Testing oh, Sansa's shit. loyalties. Oh, shit. Che- like, I didn't ta- even think of that. Yeah, talking to Sansa, seeing if she's uh, like willing to betray John, doing her own recon to see, <laughs> you know, to see if Sansa's really on her side or if Sansa needs to I be like dealt that. with. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, right? I like that. 
if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, it is a duck. But then there's like something off about that duck. Right. But- you know, it's like not quite that character yeah. anymore. I've done plenty of things that I regret. Yeah. And Theon's like, yeah, not compared to me, man. <laughs> and he yeah, agrees. <laughs> He's like, no. No, not compared to <laughs> not you. Compared- <laughs> I always wanted to do the right thing, be the right kind of person, but I never knew what that meant. It always seemed like there was an impossible choice I had to make. Just like Jamie, man, you know, caught between oaths, except, uh, whereas Jamie tried to make the best of those decisions and like, I think did the best he could, like killing the king was the best choice in that, in that scenario. Theon makes the bad decisions and I thought this was really very mature of John and very beautiful sentiment from John. And instead of using Ned's memory just to scold Theon and berate him and make him look like an asshole, instead he's using Ned's memory for inspiration and showing Theon just like in in life, how Ned would have done to, to bring him to the right path and tell him to, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're a great joy. And you're a Stark. And I loved that line because I think about it from John being a Stark and And a Targaryen. Targaryen. Oh, yeah, true. You know, it's like you're both. You it's it's okay to be proud that you're a Greyjoy and Uh know that that's where you come from. But it's also okay to identify with being a Stark because you spent your adolescent years growing up with Ned. You learned a lot from him. And embracing that influence is okay. You know, like you don't need anything more than that. Yeah. Right. You don't have to choose. My voice totally just cut out when I said, yeah, I don't know if you heard this. <laughs> I, could, yeah, I barely heard anything. It like, it like got caught in my throat. That's funny. <laughs> like, eh. <laughs> Classic. And this is when Euron's greatest weakness becomes his greatest strength. <laughs> the ballless wonder. Theon is Theon Greyjoy. He is back. Yeah, I think like, yeah, that's a perfect way to say it. I think Reek is dead. You know, like Reek is, Reek dead. is a season seven casualty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yesterday he fell in his trampoline. He goes, fucking damn it. And I'm like, oh, oh shit. my God. That's hilarious. We're not listening to Duncan and mommy in the car anymore. (laughs) Oh, man. Now they've come together and like literally come together in this episode. And (laughs) and, uh, I don't know if I'll include that. That was a little rough. (laughs) Maybe I'll just say literally and figuratively. And uh, even in this episode and (laughs) and now um, you can put that in the outtakes. Yeah. And finally, after Arya slits Baelish's throat and he is struggling to talk his last breath, Sansa really dropped the ball by not saying, no need to see the last word, Lord Baelish. I'll assume it was something clever. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't 
don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 